Welcome to the Broken Token Podcast. Whitney, we've made it to the official number 100 show. Now there, I mean, the dirty little secret here is there's maybe a couple A's and B's and dot fives in there. But oh yeah, yeah, they're, they're there. There's no doubt about but it. But this is the 100th episode. It is, and it is hard to believe, <laughs> dude, it's hard to believe that we I mean, made it this long. That, that we made it this long. I mean, a hundred. You think about it when you start a show, and it's like, okay, episode, episode seven, episode twelve, episode twenty-one, you know, thirty-three, whatever it is. I mean, number one hundred is a milestone, and especially for us because we're a monthly show, and we're not bi-weekly or we're not weekly or anything bi-weekly, you know, meaning every other week, uh, and and we're not a weekly show or whatever it may be. I mean, it's so easy to hit a hundred that way. Quickly. Yes. Quickly, quickly for us. It's been, uh, you know, walking uphill to school both ways in a snowstorm. And it's, it's just been a very, it's been a very slow and exacting process, <laughs> but man, 100 here we are. The thing Is that, that a nice way to say painful? Uh, no, 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 uh-uh, no. Well, maybe some months, <laughs> but you know, Hey, it, it's the benefit is in the struggle, but one thing I will say, and I feel you know, we've had we've had so much time to prepare, yet we failed so so much. I should have brought like some party zingers or some noisemakers or something like that. I sh- I should have ordered some stuff and had it sent in so we could sit here and like make it sound like we threw a big party for number one hundred, <laughs> you know. But uh, we'll just uh, we'll just have to do the the, the foley work. We'll we'll do makeup foley work on episode one hundred one. Oh, okay. yeah. Now that? you're now you're setting a bar that yeah. we have to achieve Whitney <laughs> exactly and I don't know about you well you obviously well I, I say I don't know about you I honestly could probably answer this from your perspective because not being your house uh-huh. um, I was about to say I don't know about you but I don't care to have like party poppers down here and all the confetti yeah but it's not your house so <laughs> you really had no vested interest <laughs> in it other than the excitement and, and then, then the excitement, yes now I was just going to get some of those it, just the blow horn just the blow horns and then some of the rattlers that you spin and stuff like that and uh and who knows i may even put on some clown makeup you know (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh i think i could spend a weekend vacuum vacuuming up the results of like a case of party poppers just to see you in put, clown, on, put on clown makeup yeah yep. yeah well you know hey it, you never know you, when this is going to well, happen you just reminded me uh and and i'm not gonna I, i've got now that you've mentioned clowns i've actually got to make a note here for oh, something no. later in the show oh that, no 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 no, no. <laughs> that, that i left out i, I should, never should have brought this up <laughs> well no it goes in a it goes in a list that it does yeah yes yes put yeah. it on the list i'm looking at the list yeah. throw it on the list there's no doubt about yeah, it yeah we'll have to renumber the list here yeah yeah that, that's okay though when we get to that point we'll say in no certain order except for number one how about that <laughs> okay that's fine that's <laughs> Spot. That works. Uh, well, oh, if you're hilarious. if you're new to the show, I'm sure you figured out this is our hundredth episode. So the show is going to be slightly different than our normal format, and we're not we're not going to do a retrospective. We're not going to go through. I, I know some podcasters, uh, at least ones I listen to, they'll on the on the key shows yeah. they'll go back and they'll do a retrospective on, on the cornerstone show yes there yes. you go that's yeah. a perfect that's a better word they'll go back and they'll do a retrospective some will even 
talk about every show between the last Cornerstone show and this one. Yeah. <laughs> That's the sound of painful. Pain, yes. Painful. So, no, we're not going to do that. But the show format's going to be slightly different. There's going to be, uh, Whitney and I have gone through, talked about kind of what we'd like to touch on and it's going to be some fun stuff and some memories and just kind of what's brought us here and yeah i know not too long ago we looked at episode one during a show yeah and we were kind of shocked at how long we've actually been doing this exactly and i'm going to cover a couple of those fun facts oh and real quick real quick okay because this the show is going to be just a little bit different uh, on the format, we'll go ahead and, and we'll go ahead and get the news out of the way right here, right now. Stern released the Mandalorian. Spooky announced Halloween. Done. Done. Oh, I All didn't right. even know about Halloween. Oh yeah, yeah, man, yeah. Spooky. Um, Charlie and Bug released a couple of videos on YouTube. Uh, one's like a teaser trailer, but Halloween is going to be their next title. And uh, like the movie, like Halloween? the movie franchise. Okay. Right. Yes, okay. Michael Myers and all of that, all okay. of that. So, um, yeah, and there's probably a couple little things to uh, to say about the Mandalorian. I've, I have uh, I have since watched that series. I have not. But between between ninety nine and now. In our Brent, episode ninety nine, our, yeah. our episode ninety nine, and now I, I have caught myself up on the Mandalorian, and I will say that everything that everyone told me about the Mandalorian is true. It is that good. And uh, oh, I thought I, you were going to say there was a clown oh, in it. Oh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> no, there's no space clowns how, how in they the get Mandalorian. A space clown in this thing, there is, there's no space clowns in okay. the Mandalorian. All and right. you know, I was uh, I was texting with uh, with good good friends, uh, you know, David Corgan and Jim Hale. And well, let's not go. Let's not go. As fair far enough. As good. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. Yeah. All let's I was just going to say is the Mandalorian <laughs> is the Star Wars we deserved. That's all I'm going to okay. say. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, I have to check it out. You you will you I, owe I, it to yourself to watch I, it. I have access to it, and honestly, um, we won't get into it in this episode. When we get yeah. more into back in our normal for- format, we can talk about it. But I, I definitely need to catch up on Picard. I need to. I uh, need to catch up on uh, Discovery. I've not even watched Discovery. Oh, yet. man, you're in for a treat there, I, too. I'll tell you. Discovery's good. As a quick sidebar, one of the things that, that I had gotten very excited about, I guess, in 2020. Welcome to episode 100, yeah, everybody. This is how, this is how we <laughs> do how things. This is how it goes. Yeah. In, in 2020, late 2020, and then through 20 this up to 2021 now is Pluto TV. I've talked a lot about it yeah, on yeah, the show. Yeah, yes, you have. Yep. And they have, they're tied in with um i think it's cbs which is own owns or is owned by paramount and they've started running like a channel that has things that are on the paramount plus streaming service which i think was cbs plus which includes picard and discovery so i've caught a little bit just enough like okay i just want to get a feel for this and I'm like, yeah, I really, I wanted to see Picard anyway. And I, I was kind of tepid on Discovery, but I was like, yeah, I want, I, I need to sit down and watch these. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. Oh, it's really good. Now you've, you've, you've seen them all recently too, but for the other Pluto fans that I've made out there, <laughs> just like 
last week they finally started throwing all kinds of new episodes on the Star Trek channel, which is running TNG. Okay. All kinds of stuff. So, so be, besides TNG? Oh, no. They had been in the cycle since almost the inception of that channel of the same handful of episodes. Basically, season oh. one um, up through, let's see, uh, Crusher came back on three, right? Yes. So, yes. yeah, basically. Because, yeah, because it was... Um, uh, Pulaski in season two. Yes, yes. Be- uh, who obviously is a much better doctor than Crusher, but uh, uh, that I will agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they 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 had a lot of not all, but a lot of one, a lot of two, uh, a fair number of three, and then one or two just way further down in the series episodes. But they've started adding, they've started piling a bunch of episodes in now. Okay, got Any, it. anyway, yeah, yeah. So I tell you what, Whitney, let's kind of get back. In, uh, let's get back on track if that's a, such a thing for us. Fair enough, yes. We did want to touch on a couple updates because I know we, we're a little behind in recording, so we wanted to kind of bring everybody up to speed. Then I guess the mayhem, bedlam, and chaos can ensue as it comes to what is our 100th episode. Fair right? enough, yeah, yep. So I got on a Whitney, I guess I'll start off. And yeah. it, in, in all honesty, there isn't much here. I, I, I'm just kind of continuing my eviction in, uh, of project games out of my space. And I haven't even had much of an opportunity to do that. I, I still have in works the uh, Nintendo Versus Cab that I was working on last time we, we talked about it on the show. It, so And here's something kind of weird. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off on, on this side, sort of side-related subject, see if you know anything about it, and maybe... I'm not going to get super deep into this because in all honesty, it's been about three or four weeks since I ran into this, but okay. I had a problem with the monitor in that game. Okay. I remember the last time we recorded, we were talking about Nintendo and inverted video. Yes, we so, were. Correct. Yeah. And, and for folks that aren't familiar with it, that doesn't mean like inverted as in like upside down. It means the colors are inverted. And if, if I recall correctly... Everything other than these older Nintendo boards, like Radar Scope, Donkey Kong, I think Donkey Kong Jr., maybe DK3, things in that genre, everything else out there arcade-wise, the signals for the red, green, and blue color guns are on the positive side of the scale, like zero to plus something. And they vary depending on, you know, just what they're drawing. The Nintendo's do this do the they invert that and I think they work zero and then down into negative voltage. Does that ring a bell? It does. Okay. Yes. Yep. So that kind of gets you in an interesting situation with the the Sanyul monitors. They eventually converted to what we all know and love, I guess, as that standard video type signal. And then they had to to, to deal to deal with it, they the Sanyul monitors would take standard video, and then to deal with the older boards, they had an inverter board that rode along with the monitor with the monitor chassis. Yep, to take the output of the arcade board, which was a negative video signal, mm-hmm. flip it to the standard positive. Mm-hmm. And then shove it into the monitor. Yeah, and in that way, the Sanyo monitor became the equivalent of 
your run of the mill Geo Seven, right? Whatever, whatever it may be, you could you could use it with Jamma boards, no problem, or, or other arcade game or other arcade PCBs. So when you did when you got up to the versus games in that era, they went to standard video signaling. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so you didn't need that inverter board anymore. You could just go straight into the monitor. And I'm trying to put all this together, Whitney. I, I've already gone way deeper than I wanted to. Um, it, like I said, it's been a, several weeks. And I'm trying to remember exactly how this happened. But when I plugged the Versus board into it, the video was inverted. Yeah. And it shouldn't have been. I went come down to my Versus cabinet, and I was like, let me make sure I remember all this correctly. And I the Versus board in my Versus cabinet that I've had for like since the beginning of, of my of my collecting career yeah the board is run right into the monitor totally bypasses the inversion board it's just hanging there off to the side yeah okay yep. i took my versus board out of my game that's been in there since the onset of my collecting hobby took it outside same problem the video was inverted so the only thing i can figure is i've got some that chassis was some super early chassis that would take the inverted video directly because what if i it, whatever was fed into it it's flipping in the chassis okay no sideboard okay and honestly i just got to the point where you know i'd read some things about they left some some components out of the board to set it up for the systems that they had and i couldn't find anything that was exactly like my problem Okay. So I just ended up going and pulling another chassis out, testing it before I went to rebuild it. I mean, it was ugly because the caps were all crap, but it worked and I didn't have a video inversion problem. Yeah. So it was just, it's just the weirdest I had, I'd sit there and and people that listen, have listened to the show for years know that I've always said the Sanyos are so pretty. But to me, they're just a pain in the backside to work on. They're they're definitely one of the more complicated yes. monitors to work on. But when oh, but Brent, when they are dialed right, mm-hmm. they are absolutely beautiful. I mean, I, I'll say this, and I was talking with actually Alex over in the UK just a couple of days ago, and he picked up a new Donkey Kong, and he said it's got. Why the- would you do that? <laughs> oh, he's my he's my buddy, and uh, <laughs> not why would you talk to Alex? Why would you pick up a Donkey? Kong? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, well, he's my buddy with really good taste, okay? There we go. Whatever. Yeah. (laughs) And he was telling me about the monitor in his Donkey Kong and just how how he says it's so crisp and it's so clean. He says it's it's got to be the best arcade monitor that that he's seen. And uh, and I, I mean... Almost all of my Sanyos at home oh, are yeah. that they way. Can be they, they are they are crystal clear, and they put to shame some of my other monitors. Mm-hmm. They really do. The, the reason I don't like there are a lot to work on. Yeah, because yeah. the way that the cabling is laced through the standoff, <laughs> yeah. it is it's it's like it's literally laced laced in yeah. there. Yes, it is, and it's not yes. a trivial man. Uh, matter to get the chassis out not like compared to like a wells 4900 a geo you know electron geo 7 right so regardless i don't really don't know what this thing is and like i said my assumption is is that it's some early chassis that 
as far as I knew, the standard became that using that that satellite video inversion board. Yeah. To take the negative, flip it to a positive, then feed it into the the monitor. And like I said, my best assumption is this was some early chassis, and they decided it was easier to to do what become the air quote standard that satellite board, and I guess use a a, a closer to off the shelf Sanyo chassis. I feel that if I were to compare the two, there's probably some modification somewhere on the one that's acting kind of wonky. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I every you know in all, all seriousness. I'm not the biggest early Nintendo fan, mm-hmm. and it, frankly, it might be a chassis I just end up giving to you because I'll, I'll it, rebuild it for you. Well, I'm no, me it's to. it's perfect. It's already been rebuilt. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's just, I'm sorry if I missed that. Yeah, I, yeah. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I rebuilt it and I had it ready to rock, and I started getting the rest of the wirings lined out and plugging a versus board into it. It, it was inverted. Huh. So and of course the 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 versus puts out positive video yeah, yeah. and whatever whatever goes into this chassis straight into the chassis uh-huh. it flips. Now that is just so I weird. would suspect if I plugged a Donkey Kong board into it it would be just fine. Okay, yep. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Uh hey, I I will certainly not turn that down <laughs> if you if you if you come to that if if you come to that impasse. How about that? So yeah. yeah. So that that's just kind of a a, a little weird thing that i've been that, that i had had been dealing with and, and other than that honestly i did uh, i think i mentioned this in our prior show i had a championship sprint which is an atari system 2 and i've had it back in the corner of the my my big garage for ever okay yep ever yeah and that's such a good game man and such a good game the, the cab's kind of rough but it's still fairly nice i had intended to have it down here next to a pole position and just I don't have any, you know, we talked about this in the prior couple shows where I've talked about kind of, kind of thinning this stuff out and I just don't have any nostalgic tie to that game. Yeah. You know, there's yep. nothing that makes me want to keep it versus something else that I have a, 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 a more of a feeling for to put in its position. So, I mean, it works. I'm going to go in, it's got a medium res monitor in it. I'm going to rebuild it and, Frankly, the power supply looks a little scary, like clown makeup scary. <laughs> so, I'm gonna probably gonna swap that out and just and then just move it along. So, yeah, got it, got but it. other than that, you know, the funny thing is, is I've gone. Let's see, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games that I've chronicled on the prior couple episodes, plus three that are on deck to go that are sitting kind of at the end of the garage by the door, so they're not like out in on the in the general space in the garage yeah so having pulled out basically 10 games it's sti- i still look around i'm like there where is all, what am i gonna do with all this all this stuff stuff yeah exactly <laughs> i almost said junk yeah. what am i gonna do with all this it is amazing how much you can acquire in this hobby it's just it's just shocking it's oh my gosh it <laughs> For for me, I look around sometimes, and I do I do think it's it's a bit criminal if you want to know the truth of it. You know, it's like there is so much stuff sitting here, there, and everywhere. And there's a part of me that wonders. It's like, <laughs> is am I okay? Yeah. Is this all worth it? Yeah. You know, should I should I have all this? But 
I mean, if you're going to enjoy the games and I enjoy the games, it just comes part and parcel, you know, but trust me, I get it. I totally get it because I think there's a part of the arcade hobby and it's not pinball for whatever reason is not so bad because the machines are all self-contained and um, it doesn't seem like you need, even though pinball is so, so it's so kinetic and it's in the machines beat themselves up over time. I swear to you, I do not see the see or feel like I need as many pinball parts as I need arcade it parts. It's just weird. I, I've never thought of that, but you're right. If you think about like if my parts stash, it's a lot of arcade stuff. Yes. And, and you know, I've talked about this on the prior shows. I, I have, earlier on in, in because I've not sought it later in my collecting career but earlier on I, I bought out large piles of parts from operators you know through this state up in Ohio um, uh, yeah I guess basically Ohio and Kentucky I don't think I've ever gone into Tennessee Georgia not for arcade stuff directly but um, so I mean and a lot of the parts that came there were arcade parts. I mean, I've got I've got some crates of pinball parts, but it's joysticks, buttons, game boards, monitors, uh, bezels, for monitor frames, power supplies, wiring harnesses. It's a lot of video it's, stuff. It's, it's a lot of video stuff. I mean, just PCBs and and to your point, I mean, I've got. I've got, you know, plastic totes of, you know, buttons and joysticks and just, I mean, it's just everything. You've it's still artwork. got my food fight board. I do that. I do. And you know something I, I still need to test it, yeah. but the good thing is I've got it all boxed up and it's, it, it's, it's safe. It's safe. It is totally safe. But you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I have got so many arcade parts yet. I've got uh, quite a few pinball machines and for whatever reason i you know i just i just don't have that same expansive amount of parts P on pinball. pinball yeah speaking of retrospective a, a thought just came to mind um collector told me long ago and i long ago got into this mode the 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 general sentiment of the conversation was You'll you'll go through a phase, and everybody does this, where you basically buy everything. And my phase like that was super short. I quickly flipped to. I wish mine had been, but I did. Well, but it wasn't. I quickly flipped more to some strategic buying based on my ability to repair. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's probably it's definitely a smarter way to go. In retrospect, no doubt. And, and but were that. Where that spun basically out of control is, and this was also part of the conversation I had with this collector early on, You'll your next phase will be, since, since you're in the position to do a fair amount of repair, and even if you're doing more simplistic repair, whether it's just power supplies or straight up board swaps or joysticks or even just cleanup or in monitor caps, you will quickly get to the point or eventually get to the point of just like, is this worth my time? Uh-huh. Do I oh, have... Yeah. And what I'm really kind of going through now is the remnants of all of that. F feeling that, okay, well, okay, I'll take this and this, and I, uh, well, that's broke and this needs this, and you'll throw that in for X dollar. Oh, yeah, sure, put it on the truck. Yeah. And yep. then stopping 
doing that years ago uh-huh. and my effort going into games that are in the game room or other places and this stuff is just laid there fallow yeah yeah, yeah. and it's good stuff people want it it's not that that's not the issue it's not junk the titles might not necessarily be a great titles but but yeah they're they're sitting there and they're not doing me any good or anybody else any good and that's that's what basically a lot of this stuff is well it's interesting that you that you take the conversation to that point because i do believe that that is a realization that we all get to after being in this hobby for a while is that number one you can't fix everything number two you certainly can't restore everything or or or, you know have a job have a family you know and, and have and have other other commitments or interests and number three you can't buy everything and so ultimate well i don't know maybe there are people that can but looking looking in this room with me and you i don't think either one of us fall into that you know that those three categories i mean i think you can you can dance in any one of those pools for or swim in any one of those pools for a little while Mm -hmm. But ultimately, over the course of years, you can't sustain that activity. You you just cannot. And I mean, I've got you know, I've got a fair number of games that I think are starting to fall into that category as well. I mean, I, I, I made some some good purchases along the way, but Brent, there's also the aspect of it. Games are hard to find now. Yeah, and when you do find them, they're expensive, and it's not like it was five years six years ago when i you know i you would get a call and go pick up four games for 200 bucks no you know? it's not and it's just nope. not that way anymore at least not at least not as plentiful as it used to be there now there's a group on facebook called the bottom feeders where everybody posts what they call their quote-unquote poor scores mm-hmm. you know and they'll they'll post pickup pictures and and what they paid for games and deals are still out there but they're not it's just not like it used to no, be no. <laughs> a lot's dried up you know what's probably a faster rise to stardom mm-hmm. with a quicker burnout in yeah. terms of the cycle we just discussed but yeah. quicker yeah it would i would guess it would be the console and home computer collectors oh because my gosh man if you think about it now the you'll pay relatively speaking but the ease of acquiring carts say say you decided to today right now uh-huh i'm gonna right now whitney i'm gonna start collecting genesis sega genesis sega genesis eBay. now carts or completed bot you know it doesn't matter box. ebay okay all right ebay ebay just start oh. looking oh boy you know and if you're sitting here in 2021 with not a reference that you and I have with our gray hair, speaking of Whitney, you haven't seen me in a while. I've grown my hair out quite a bit. It, you hadn't. <laughs> yeah, you have. You definitely have. I did not comment on it. I, I, I should have. You, you probably haven't seen me. I, I may, may have just started to like let it go, uh-huh. but... I have not, and if I recall correctly, I have not cut my hair since the last time you've seen me. Uh, y- yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Yep, definitely. So, yeah, I've got quite the mane kind of going on right now. It's curly. So You come over to our house, Jackie, you'll cut your hair for you, man. Oh, I'm sure she will. Yes, she will. Yes, yes, she will. I just, I, I've let it grow a little bit over time. Yeah. And when I was, when I was younger, uh, it, I had it like high school younger. Yeah. I had it pretty long. 
when I was younger, younger, it was like straight as an arrow. Yeah, and then yeah. as I got older, like in my teens, early teens and twenties, the curl started. Yeah. And I just was like, I haven't really, I grow it and it would kind of get a little like on the edge of doc Brown, like <laughs> until it got heavy enough to kind of hold it. And I was like, cut it. And I, now all of a sudden I just like, well, let's just see what happens. Let's I mean, why not? Yeah. You yeah. know? So yeah. Yeah. Speaking of hair, I've grown my, uh, very hippie looking, uh, <laughs> but, but you were, you were talking about uh, the Genesis. In yeah, eBay. So yes. You could, you could just, you know, you don't have the reference that you and I have where we used to be able to walk into a thrift store and it was a dollar a cartridge and there was a stack of them and it wasn't just sports games. You know, I've said on the show before, when I started all of this, the root of it was a Sears heavy six switch 2600, mm-hmm. the, the Sears telegame flavor. Yeah, yeah. It was a, I've still got it. It was Sunnyvale, California made yeah. heavy Sixers, yeah. heavy Sixer with the Sears telegame livery on it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what started me with Atari. And, you know, we've talked about in, in months back, go back and listen to the shows where I had all that laid out down here as I was kind of going through it and organizing and seeing exactly yeah. what I had. Yeah. Yeah. That I could go into thrift stores like I passed one on the way home from work. So I could stop in every day. It just it was right there. Yeah. And every week I could come home with two or three games that I didn't have. Uh-huh. And I did that forever. Yeah. Like a couple years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it wasn't uncommon. And so now we lo- we might look at something that's 5 or 8 or tw- 10 or $20 on eBay and we're like, eh. But for people that might start collecting today – Maybe the only way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the that's the low bar. Oh, whatever it, it, they enter at. Yeah, it is. And if you if you want to go for if you want to go for some of the more uh what I'd call visible series like um <laughs> like box super nintendo or mm-hmm. the the nes black box series or things like that or the atari 20 the atari 2600 gatefold series or things like that i mean you're going to get you're going to get into some money sh- some cash but i can quick. see somebody deciding I'm going to collect Genesis or Dreamcast t- uh-huh. today. Yeah, or Neo Geo and or something like that. In in relative terms compared to pinball and arcade prices, you you could you could get in quick and you know skyrocket up in terms of just building a massive collection. So uh-huh. I, I basically where I'm going is, is I can see that same cycle, but it would be faster oh yeah and quick you know yeah and it would cost a lot of money as well because i mean with with the current price on retro anything retro gaming just anything related i mean you could get into collector fatigue really quickly as well because i mean depending upon how deep your pockets are maybe you could sustain that rate for a month maybe you could sustain Mm -hmm. it for a year but the dollars add up yeah yeah i'm just thinking you know we might go out in an average game today that we might have paid 50 or 100 for for a run of the mill you know either unde- uh, unconverted dedicated like c grade title or a converted cad that has some gma stuff in it you know that game might be 3 or 400 dollars today yeah um 
that that that's a higher bar to entry versus I'm going to do Sega Genesis and I'm going to go buy a bunch of games. I'm going to take my three or four hundred dollars and click 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 click. Yeah, and I and off you're off to the races that is true so, that is true and, and ebay does make it a point and yeah. click experience you yeah. know and i will say this for everything that is bad about ebay or everything that people say is bad about ebay um it's it's really tough to find some games out in the wild and if you're willing to wait it out on ebay it, it, over time stuff does turn up mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it stuff does turn up so you know, it's it's just uh, it's just another tool when it comes down to it. So Whitney, why don't we touch on what you've had going on, and then that will kind of segue us into I, I, what, what what we're actually here the, to talk about. The show. What, I was looking yeah. at the 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 segment title here. The show. Uh huh. Dot dot dot. Exactly. In review. In review. Yeah. Or the show. <laughs> Which I love. The show. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's time to. Re- oh, I won't give that away. Yeah, anyway, fair, go, all fair right, so go ahead. Go fair ahead, enough. Go ahead. Well, so since we recorded ninety episode ninety nine, we we did have uh, did have a little bit of a, a, a lapse where getting the time on our schedules to record was a challenge. Okay, and we'll even get into that as as we do a little bit of reflection here because. Uh, because I, there, there's a couple things that I, I want to bring up about that, but, um, and then work, at least for me, Brent, I, I'm not sure how, you know, how, how your work, uh, I guess kind of, um, what the natural rhythm is of, of your work over the course of a year. But with, with my work, um, the April, May and June timeframe is, is always the busiest part of, of my work year. And this year was, it was no exception if not, if not busier. And it was, it was just, it was uh, tough to find some time, but we're here and I'm just so glad that we're sitting here in front of the mic that all that being said, man, dude, I didn't get anything accomplished <laughs> it really, really of note since we recorded episode 99. And I think that's, I mean, there's only been a couple of episodes over the, over our run where I can remember, you know, remembering back where I just didn't really have a lot of hobby time, but this, this, uh, you know, between these two episodes has been one of them. Uh, one thing that I will say is, and I'm so glad, I'm so glad to have finally gotten this off my plate. I did finish up the work uh, on my T on my TNA, my Total Nuclear Annihilation. Um, I was doing some mods on it uh, and got got sidetracked with uh, you know life and, and other things and, and had a hard time getting back to it. But I did, and uh, just as a refresher, uh, I was doing just a, a couple of cosmetic mods to that. But the big thing that I did was. Um, I swapped the black drop. There's three black drop targets in that game. So I lowered all the mechs and swapped the black drop targets for clear drop targets. I have never seen a clear. Is it like like clear, like acrylic clear? It's, it's Or is it like. It has like a little haze milk let's, kind let, of a. Let's call it a frosted. A frosted. It, it, it's there a you frosted go. Okay. drop target. Okay. okay. But we're going to call it clear because it is it is able to pass light. Okay. okay? I'll go with that. But it but it is not it's not transparent. It's more translucent. Okay. okay? All right. And so frosted. It's, the, the yeah. We'll, could, we'll call yes. it, we'll call it a frosted drop target. Okay. So th- this was real. This was really neat. Um, Scott Denisi showed this in his own personal machine on the owner's thread on Pinside. 
And what he did is he installed uh, some LED, some uh, three LED, not some, but three LEDs say, yep. behind the drop targets. And and what it does, what his machine does now, is the drop targets now light up, and they they are synchronized to the light show in the game and to the mo and to gameplay in, into mode gameplay. Okay, and he said, hey, if anybody's interested in in this, he says I'll put together a kit. And offered up for sale on Pinball Life because Scott works at Pinball Life, and um, it, a lot of people responded to that. But we, but we never got to the point to where there was like a turnkey kit. But what Scott did wind up doing is saying, you know, here's everything that I that I that I ordered, and here is a rough. Uh, instruction, uh, you know, instruction manual on how to do this on your game. Well, you know, I ordered the parts, and I'm, you know, Brent, I'm really glad I did because he doesn't offer; they're not available on Pinball Life anymore. So they they were only uh, they were only available for you know six six eight so nine what kind months of parts or something what, like, like that. The drop targets themselves. It, it, it was or? the drop targets and and the drop target washers and the Eclipse, and there was then a P Rock harness and some P Rock uh, LEDs. Well, if you and, break and the drop like target. That. Is that available out there just generally? Uh, it is. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. Right. it okay. is because it, because I mean TNA uses all off the shelf. Uh, yeah. Off yeah. The, quote. I'm going to say quote unquote off the shelf mechanics. Well, okay? the, the thing the frosted drop target is just one I'd never heard. Of. No, I didn't well, know if it was I, something I've, he'd done. Well, I think it is something that Pinball Life did a run of offered up for sale, and they've just not done another run of because I've not seen them available on on Marco or any other any other pinball part website. I've I've never I've never seen these before. Okay. So anyway, that being said, um it it, it is a fairly involved install and without having, you know, detailed instructions, you just have to you just have to use your own ability and you just have to kind of figure it out for yourself as you go. And um, and ultimately, you know, I, I got it finished, got everything installed, got the new LEDs put in, uh, you know, got it got everything harnessed up. And so, man, it is it is so nice. So do they ride so good. do they ride kind of side saddle to an adjacent LED? I mean, did, Scott didn't code for these specifically, did he? Well, no no person not specifically per okay. se okay until until the most recent code and so there are now provisions for the led in the code and i and i hope i'm getting my facts right i believe that i am it's been a while since i've revisited this it, it, it is either it, it's, it's either one of two scenarios and i've not had enough playtime on it yet to to discern it's either there's provisions in the code for for the LEDs for the drop targets, or the or the drop target LEDs are driven off of the insert LEDs that correspond to the drop target okay. itself. Okay, one of the two. But what I will say is the drop targets, the drop target LEDs are not run off of the insert LEDs. They do a home run via a harness back to one of the P Rock LED controller boards. Okay, yeah, and so, I've I've not looked at those to even know yeah you know i was just thinking maybe they were like in parallel with the but but those are all controlled rgb yeah yeah it's it's a completely different ball it is it's a completely different ball game because there were there there were spare pin headers on the p-rock led board and scott decided to use those spare headers for these three additional leds I've just not played enough on it n- right now to know are those LEDs in code just 
are, when, when he when he controls the insert LED, is he also controlling the uh, drop target LED and it just has the same color at the same transition point? Or are the drop target LEDs controlled independently of the insert LEDs? Regardless, they all light up and they all have their own independently controlled LED. Okay, that's the best mm-hmm. way to say it. Um, and, and it is. It's, it, it is. It's really nice. And so I've got that done and um, I just uh, added in a few 3D printed mods into the cabinet to help with some of the subwoofer acoustics, cleaned up some of the wiring in it, uh, swapped some IDC connectors for Molex, just improves some reliability on a couple of opto connectors and things like that. Um, and then the only other thing, Brent, that, that came up, and we talked about this in the last episode, the the Coleco, the Collector Vision Phoenix. Okay, because I okay. remember, I remember you said that you um, you cleaned up and did some composite mods for a couple of ColecoVision consoles. I did. Yes, yeah, I yes. I cleaned up a couple consoles, and then one of them that went to a buddy of mine here in town. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I did the composite mod for him. Okay. Yes. And good, oh, good deal. he got a he got a a sweet deal on that. In that I did it because I basically wanted just to do it uh-huh. and, and understand it, how yeah. it just physically installed. Yeah. And it took a while. Did it? Okay. <laughs> so, okay. You know, well, yeah. that's, yeah. that's interesting because, um, <laughs> between, <laughs> oh boy. So in between last, last show and this show, I have since acquired a ColecoVision console and I found a, it, it was on Facebook marketplace. I found a console power supply, the 2600 uh, adapter, oh, super adapter. Okay, that's, that's cool. And 42 games. Oh wow! Yes, were they yeah. all combat for 2600? Uh, no, no, they were not. <laughs> so, so of the 42 games, only two were ColecoVision games. The 40 were Atari 2600 games. Okay, and I got that all for one money in what I thought was extremely fair. So what were the two Coleco games? Because it would Donkey Kong and Frogger. It would Kong with Donkey Kong. Uh huh. Yeah, it's Donkey Kong and Frogger. So they bought a ColecoVision. Uh huh. They basically bought a twenty six hundred because uh-huh. that's what that adapter is. It's a yeah. twenty six hundred that just pulls in the control uh, inputs and then yep. outputs video. Yep. Yep. And they bought. All Atari games. All Atari games. And, okay. And I got two Atari, uh, two Atari twenty six hundred joysticks and a set of paddles to go along does with the, it. Does the that twenty six hundred adapter actually have joystick ports? Uh, that I don't know. Okay, it, I don't. Good re- question. I I, mean, I couldn't remember. I, I don't know. I, I okay. mean, I've, I've got it in. It came in the box yesterday. Oh, and I just, okay. And I just haven't ripped it open. Oh, okay. To, to like right. see. Okay, but. Um, the the reason why I went down this path because having the Collector Vision Phoenix, as we talked about on ninety nine, is an FPGA recreation of the ColecoVision. But there, uh, through some of the homebrew community in the ColecoVision in. in in the ColecoVision community, the homebrew developers have been very active on creating um, essentially a an additional super module to go on to the original ColecoVision, and they are also, let's say, coding up some of the games for the ColecoVision to take advantage of this enhanced super module. And you can't play those on the Phoenix? And the Phoenix does not have support for that module. So I was looking at it and it's like, man, in, in some of the some of the quote unquote upcoded games for this super module, 
Brent, they look they look amazing. Oh, the ColecoVision amazing. games themselves, if you compared it to what was at the time, at the time it was it, it looks, was amazing. It looks good. It was really yeah. Well, the, and this is Opcode Games that that are the 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 I guess the the homebrew company that is that is releasing this. Uh, Opcode showed what Donkey Kong looks like on this new Super Game module. I mean, it looks essentially arcade perfect. They showed Frogger, they showed uh, Miss Pac-Man, and a few other games. And I mean, it's it is almost, if not if not completely indistinguishable from from the arcade screen from the screen on on, an, on like arcade game. It's it was just amazing, and I was bummed because it's like, oh man. It, so in order to play those games, I, I don't think that I can play them on the on the Collector Vision Phoenix and. I don't believe the Phoenix, at least there's no plans right now that I've seen on it being re-revised to support that brand new module. So I don't know. It's a bit of a mess, but I, and I'm probably going to go too far down a rabbit hole with it. But <laughs> and that's know, why I sold mine. Exactly. But you know what? Hey, it was good money and yeah, it, it was the, the, the price was right. The, the composite mods aren't very expensive uh-huh. and I made it a little bit more difficult because the case that I had, I told my buddy, it's like I'm not drilling holes in it. Yeah, I can't drill two holes in a straight line, you know, <laughs> parallel to like the edge of anything. Yeah, so, let I alone, can do it, but with a jig. Oh okay, yeah. yeah, let alone three. Yeah. So what? What I ended up doing is is um, I threw like one of the vents snaked out a cable. So I basically has to bring me the mod, and you know, like a ten or twelve foot composite cable so you got right left audio and then the video the old school yellow red and white okay and then i just use that cable to basically cut lop the end off and then used it to give him his audio and video out oh i see yeah so i i took a little bit of a longer path uh, but yeah it's not that difficult he he thought he was shocked at how long it took to, took to do, and I kind of expected it because I, I we all know that even even things that seem trivial are not trivial. Yes, you'll yes. drop an hour or two in them before you know it. Before you know yeah. it, that, that's exactly right. That, that's exactly right. And so there's maybe a, a bit more to a bit more to come on that over the over the upcoming months as I as I at least at least look at getting that console up and going. But uh, the good thing about it is finishing up TNA, it, it has uh, finally cleared the space, and I can finally, finally return to working on my zookeeper. <laughs> and so, so that is what uh, is going to keep me uh, keep me entertained uh, over the summer, you know, over the summer. Month. How many years you had that game now? Uh, six. <laughs> yeah, I, I went back and did the math on it. Yeah, six. I actually got to update the list here. Yeah. The things that we'll discuss in a minute. <laughs> well, you know something? Hey, you know, there's uh, there you can't you can't deny it. You know, it just is that. Well, and I'm glad that we're actually because when I put this list together that we'll discuss in a moment, it'll make more sense to the listeners. Most yeah. of it, I noticed, seemed very centric to me and it, I guess now that I look at it, it's because I put the list together to yeah. begin with. Yeah, yeah, for and I sure. I wasn't thinking of the things that we're discussing here. Yeah, so. but that's okay because as we discuss that list, then we can it, – it'll weave in and out. Yeah, How about yeah, that? Yeah. It'll weave in and out. Uh, and that's that's really all I've been up to. I mean – 
it's it just really has not been much arcade related work uh, or hobby related work or you know pen pen related work outside of what I've noted above. Um, it's uh, I've been I've been really boring. I, I hate to say that too, man. You know? <laughs> I've been because, really boring because I feel like I've got. So a, have I. I. I mean, I feel like I've got you know, something of a you know fiduciary responsibility to to have this update list that's a mile long, and and it's like, oh man, I've worked on fourteen things, and I've done this and done that, and you know, some months it, you just don't, you know. So anyway, you know, I mean, I could talk about talk about you know you know books i've picked up or this or that but it's you know it, it's hard to i don't know it's just hard to hard to really get into all that you know it's like you kind of got to read the book you know so you know it's just kind of the way it goes well there's a, there's also a limit to how much let's just be honest and um, there's also a limit to how much someone listening to the show might care about what we are doing uh, there, in our personal life. There, there I is, mean, there is that. There is that. So I try to I try to make sure that what we talk, what I talk about is I, I hit the high the high points, the things that I think would be of uh, of interest. You know, and, yeah. Well, you know, and I'll mention this when we get into the the meat of the show here, uh, just talking about the listeners in general. I like I do like the update segment because, and I, I haven't said it in a while, but I've said it before. Our, our our listenership is like thousands and thousands and thousands of friends that we have that we've never met. Yes, and yes. I, I am. Oh, well, I'll talk about it later. I don't want to give. I don't want to give it away now. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll yeah. talk about it later. Yeah, f- fair enough. Fair enough. So, I mean, Whitney, does that wrap you up for the month? I'm it, thinking it, it does. It I, really does. I'm thinking we take a little break here. Yes, and then we slide into. Um, the show and review. Yes, the the show and review, and uh, this this should be some interesting discussion based around how we've got this set up. But it, as always, we'll let the listener decide. <laughs> <laughs> the show and review, Whitney. Looking at your note here. Yes. Episode. Now this is the release date. Right, the release month and year. It is, and and for for the benefit of everybody listening, what what we're going to do in this segment is we're, we're going to we're going to set aside the, the discussion of some news and set aside some of the technical talk and uh, and, and you know a, a few items like that, and we're gonna we're gonna take this episode number one hundred and just kind of revisit. Uh, not to the point to where we review every episode or anything like that, but we're going to use this as a good point to look back, I guess, on where we've come over the over the 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 time that we have uh, that we've been doing this show, and it's it's been a pretty amazing trip so far, Brent. That's a way to put it. It, it is because as I think I noted, that's underselling it. Uh, yeah for yeah, us for, for, for yeah yeah what i've gotten out of it yeah yeah for, you may not care oh no no <laughs> hey man we're still here so so we care but uh but yeah look, look at that i mean the first episode september 2013 episode 100 june 2021 jeez i mean brent that's almost eight years yep. and when that you we can, have been doing this show when you consider the time that we put in before the first episode Uh uh-huh we didn't whitney and i so i guess let's just tell the gen the quick 
version of the genesis of how yeah, this started. Yeah, go for it. I mean, you you tell so, it well. Yeah, go for it. So you work for a uh, a software company. Thank you. Yes, yes. And I work for a uh, company that employs a lot of software. Uh, there, 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 <laughs> <laughs> so how's that? There, there you go. And, 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 it's, and it's good to keep it at that yeah. level. You know you, what I'm saying? You happen yeah. to be assigned in your capacity at the time to my company. Correct. You and I had already met in passing yes. in the community. Yes, okay? and correct. I, I, I want to say the first time I met you, I was selling helping Jimmy, my friend Jimmy Litzy, he'll mm-hmm. come up later here, sell some stuff out of his warehouse before we got to the point of complete liquidation. Yeah. And you had in in typical Whitney format <laughs> had shown up to help someone you had never met. That is correct. I did. That wanted a, a cabinet uh-huh. that was at the at the warehouse that's right and you i first met you asking if you needed a hand because i thought you were trying to move this game you were looking at your phone and holding the cabinet Uh and you were waiting for the paypal to clear yes what you were doing yes so we got to talk and yeah so we'd first met there yeah we 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 discussed a little bit lo and behold some point in time later I'm in the office. I stood up on a conference call just to kind of stretch, looked across the office, and there you go bounding across <laughs> my my field of vision. Yeah. In my in my normal happy go lucky yeah. kind of way. So yes. you were assigned to my company from your company as Correct. as a on site rep of sorts. Yeah. Yep. So that got us to where we hey, and we talked a little bit more and a little bit more, got to know one another. Uh-huh. And um one day I came up to you and knew you had had the broken token name. Yeah. And you were doing it as a blog. As a blog. Correct. Yeah. And I came up to you and said, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? And at that point, your eyes lit up. So I didn't know if you were had been electrocuted, <laughs> if if I'd been goosed on the back of my knees, yeah, something exactly. had stung you. Yeah. I don't know what it had, but you... Yeah. You, were, you had told me you were thinking about it, uh-huh. but... Basically, what what I took away from it was that you know you have a real life, <laughs> you've got a wife, you oh, have yeah. a family. I'm I'm a little less attached, and but it, it's a lot of work to do it right. And I and we both realized quickly that when we do when each of us do things, we like to do things right. And to a fault, yes, yes. So the win there was we could divide and conquer. Yeah. And that's what led up to, geez, Whitney, it was probably four to six months before the first episode. It really was. I mean, when I think back about that, I mean, our first episode being in September, we had to to start talking about this, what, April or something like that? Easily. Easily April, May, something like that. Just to, just to get, I think, everything kind of in a row, because it was one of those things where... After we talked about it, we didn't make an we didn't make an immediate move on it. We no. just, I think we just kind of agreed to talk about it, and and from there it just it just kind of picked up some steam as as it went. Yeah. So we, as I remember it, we divided and conquered in terms of um, the, the the roles. We def- yeah. I get I guess this is the IT of people in us. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know yeah, we we, no we we almost many project planned it. We decided yeah. okay, there's going to be editing. There's going to be um, there's going to be production. There's going to be website work. There's going to be so we. You already had a website 
rolling, but it needed some conversion. Mm-hmm. And you work through everything that it would take to stand up the feed, get us uh, subscribed to podcasts. I spent my time in parallel kind of looking at the audio side of it, trying to figure out even how to run multiple mics and into a computer. And do we need a mixing board? How do we do a single USB mic? What, yeah. All the the combinations thereof. Yeah, it's and it, it's a lot, it, and it, it's it, a lot. It's a lot. It is a lot. Uh, there, there's just so much stuff out there in the air quotes audio space. Mm-hmm. It, it's it was to a degree it was almost a, a paralysis by analysis. What, yeah. what do you do? Yeah. Then when you make the decision, you and I would get together. I spent, I don't know how much time just trying to figure out what the buttons did. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then, then once I kind of got a decent understanding, we had to get together and then do the same thing yeah. as, as to, together Yes. to figure <laughs> out how, how to set this all up, how to break yeah. it down, everything. Yes. Is the room got, does it have too much echo in it? How far apart do we need to be? Yeah. How does this work? And learning the software for the editing. And it just, we, we did a lot, as much as possible before we even considered the first episode. That, that is correct. And we even went to the point to where we set up um, a parallel rig. I mean, I've got... Well, I don't think it's any secret. We've talked about this several times. Yeah. I mean, we record in we record at Brent's house in his basement. Uh, we sit on opposite ends, or mostly opposite ends of his game room, and we record we record in person, being able to look at each other. Yeah. Okay. So, I think that brings a certain element to the show. Uh, it, it definitely helps us as we're talking to each other. But we're also a stickler for sound and sound quality, and so that that is that has been I think one of the cornerstones of the show as well. We have so many compliments. We, on we that. do, we do, and we and we take that very very seriously as as to how the show sounds from from just a from just a tonal perspective. And in setting all of that up, we also uh, set up a kind of a roving rig that I've got that I can use to record at my house, uh, I've, and I've done that several times, or to record for interviews or when we're at a show and we need more than two channels to record on, you know, thing, things like that. So we didn't really set it up once, we actually set it up almost twice yep. is what we did. Mm-hmm. And, that, and we worked through that and, because we both had to learn together. So in this, this isn't an appeal for anything, but what you've also got to consider is we knew one another, not like we do eight years later. Yeah, yeah, not like we do now. But yeah. when we did it, we had to make some decisions. We we couldn't, in good faith, go out and buy the highest in equipment that was out there. That no matter how much, within reason, you know. Yeah. No matter how much we wanted to do it, because. You know, first of all, that was expensive. Second of all, we, you know, for all we knew, we this wasn't going to last yeah, six, you, eight months. We yeah, didn't know what nev- to you do. You never know. You, and you just never know. If you remember, Whitney, early on, we we kind of <laughs> we kind of settled on a budget. We split the budget. Yeah. And we we kind of started off initially keeping a spreadsheet of who put what in. Yeah. And that lasted maybe a year, if that. Yeah. And then we're just like, honestly, we're at the point where. If we need something, we just we just get it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's we just, just like, hey, we we need this or we need that. Well, and we you just, just kind of go. Yeah, we just 
did you get that? Well, I'll get this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, hey, yeah. uh, you got, you know, we, we like to uh, take gifts to like, uh, I, I'm trying to say this in a nice way, Whitney, because if someone didn't receive a gift, I don't want them to think they fall into a, a, a category that isn't like the star oh, or the yeah, A or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. where we can, uh-huh. if we will, we'll try to do something for those that have helped us. That have helped us. Yeah. And, exactly. you know, well, do, what do I owe you for that? You got such and such. Oh, yeah, I did. So we figured we've. Yeah, we're we're in a we're lucky to be in a position where we could do that. Yeah, and not but, and not have to sweat the details. Yeah, so, exactly. So so badly. Yes. But going into it, you know, we had to lay all that groundwork. <laughs> we just yeah. we just didn't go down to Best Buy and get a couple headsets and and I guess not that that's wrong, but I guess that's the the IT techie. People yeah. in us. Well, you and, know. And, and to that point, I mean, so much of the hardware that we invested in, I mean, we're still running 90% of it here today. And, uh, I, you know, I think that's a testament to that's, this is true to, yep. to what we chose and what, what we what we decided to use. And, and there, you know, there's times where we need to re where we definitely need slash refresh, should, re, you know, refresh. But by and large, I mean, our setup is, is pretty rock solid. I'll, I'll say that. And we've hauled this setup in and out of LAX for well lax i think we have we have broadcast how oh no we didn't broadcast since show number two because i remember a couple shows where we weren't there as broadcasters we were there as collectors uh, yeah so our our first lax was in 2014 okay, okay so, we, so we ran the show for a year before we went to lax okay yeah as as podcasters yeah, exactly yeah so we've taken this and we set it up in um in Louisville since 2014. Uh-huh. We've had basically all of it in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. We've uh, had it all in Chicago. In Atlanta. In Atlanta, yes. In some form or fashion. Uh-huh. Yeah, we've yeah. hauled it all over. Yeah, we even put it in backpacks in Chicago. And I walked, forgot walked about it. that. <laughs> Remember Pinball Expo? Oh, my. We literally had the podcast rig in a backpack, and we were walking we around with it. We condensed it down to a... We condensed it down to a backpack. We had a Zoom handheld uh-huh. with yeah. two mics in the, in, yeah. in the, in the uh, auxiliary input ports. Yeah. And then we threaded that out to a backpack uh-huh. that we were the, the, to your uh, your laptop in your backpack uh-huh. that we that were then streaming live as we walked around the floor <laughs> yeah. through one of our phones. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, I remember that? all about yeah. that. And that was and that was doing that in 2014. Yes, you know, so, yes. Yeah, just, I forgot uh, just all about a, a that. Weird setup, uh, just a weird setup to do all of that, but it worked. And uh, yeah, and then we'll, we'll get into we'll get into some of the Gosh, future I'd have stuff to listen as we to that because there's there there one of those nights we did that. There was a night where you and I it got kind of heated because I got to a point one of one of the two of us was about to uh, stuff a drunk underneath a pinball machine. Uh, Remember yeah, that guy yes. that kept oh my yeah, god yeah yeah that guy that kept badgering and yes, yes exactly oh. as we were walking through yeah I definitely remember yeah, I forgot that forgot about yeah, that I definitely remember that so yeah that's kind of the genesis of the show. <laughs> So yeah, I, I remember approaching you wanting to do a podcast. You had had it in your mind and it was just a matter of doing it yeah. and once the two of us got together, it was doable. Yeah, yeah, it, it very much so. Very much so. In in the format that we wanted to do it in because mm-hmm. there there are a lot of podcasts that have come and gone. 
and uh, arcade arcade podcasts that have come and gone, and there were some good ones. And it was a shame to see some of them fold on the arcade side and on the pinball side, actually. And I, I think maybe our approach to this show being a bit more, I'm going to say, old school, if I can, if I can use that mm-hmm. phrase, or may, maybe a bit more traditionalist. Because we're not streaming on YouTube, we don't have a. We're not streaming on Twitch. We don't, you know, we we don't stream you know weekly episodes on on all the major content providers and everything like that. I, I want to say that that's probably helped us to avoid some burnout and helped us to avoid yeah. feeling like we we have got to beyond a shadow of a doubt we have got to prioritize you know weekly content before we before we prioritize anything else in our lives. I couldn't have podcasted long if we had no. if we had yeah. uh, succumbed to that format. Whitney and I, kind of behind the curtains, we've had over the years ideas for other shows, yeah, e- either in this genre or outside of it, other common interests that we have. Oh yeah. The first thing that comes up there is that if we do show X, we really actually we'd have to do it remotely and we we intended we set out and we enjoy doing this show face to face because that contributes to the quality of the show i I think it contributes to the banter i think it contributes to the uh just how i'm going to use another phrase here how homespun the show tends to sound okay and that would just be very hard to do over Skype, over whatever, yeah. you know, Zoom, Teams, whatever. It doesn't matter what you use. It's the fact that you're not sitting in front. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not sitting in front of that other person, and it's it's just hard to it's hard to have that instantaneous reaction. Yeah. You know, to to being to being in front of of a person like yeah. that. So, the yeah. other concepts we've considered. They they would need to be a, a more regular release cycle every other oh, week yes. or something like that. Yeah, definitely. So there's just it's just logistically impossible it, to do it, that. It, for it us. is. It is because we've made the commitment to record in person. Yep. And uh, it, it, you know, and I, I live I live about forty ish minutes away from you, Brent. And so by the time you factor in the return, you know, the the round trip and everything like that, I mean. It's a commitment, and I know that other shows do it more, do release and record more frequently than we do. And if they're recording in person, then all I can say is hats off to those yeah. people because, uh, I mean, I, I respect what they're doing. There are many, <laughs> many that well, there are far, far, far more shows where you leave my house at eleven or eleven thirty. And you still have that 30 and 40 minute trip. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we're doing this on a weeknight. Yeah, on a weeknight after we've recorded for yeah. four hours. And, and yeah. we've basically started after working hours. So, you, you know, you get you you finish up your last call or you're yeah. leaving your last customer when yeah. you were when, – when, when we were traveling, normal, yeah, yeah, and you're then you come here. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And so – And it, it's been – I mean, it, it's been quite the journey. I, I will say that. I mean, looking back on, yeah, looking back on eight, yeah, we're, we're going to go ahead and call it eight, eight years, years 100, yeah. 100 episodes. I mean, it, it's been, I mean, it, it, it's been, it's been fun and it's been neat. I will say that. <laughs> it's been fun. It's yeah. been real. It's not been real fun. No. <laughs> not been real fun. No. Well, actually, Whitney, this puts us right into the first point that, yeah. that you've got here. Yeah. And, 
why why don't you do you, do you want me to go first? Yeah, why don't you go first? Because, so, because maybe if I talk a little bit about yeah. this, it, it will it will create some keystones for you to, to hop off of. But I, I've got a couple listed. But okay. yeah, go ahead. Okay, so. And for for everybody listening, when Brent and I were talking about the structure of this show, we thought, you know, how are we going to make episode 100 special? How are we going to make it, you know, a good a, a good landing spot for 100 for 99 episodes, and then make it a springboard for the next 100 episodes? Because we could just do the show as we normally do the show, say, oh yay, it's episode 100, and then just and, and then really not give the show and the listeners i think that the, the the just reward that they are due how about that so so with that uh Britain, i thought that we would we would visit a few questions for each other as as we look back on 100 episodes so this first one is uh what's what's been our most memorable experiences either positive or negative from doing the podcast okay and and Brent, Brent, I'm going to run through these, and then I'll turn the mic to you, okay. and then then you can you can talk through, through what what comes to mind for you. Okay, so number one, uh, friendship. I mean, Brent, you know, having having a friendship with you, and these are in no certain order. Okay, so I, I don't want to I don't want to rank and file these or anything like that. I this is just this is just my list. Okay, so and, and I've I've just I'm just going to go down the list, but again, in no certain order. Okay. Um, Brent, definitely, you know, the friendship that we've developed in doing the podcast and, you know, in, in everything that, that kind of flows from that. I mean, there's, there's, there, there's, there's a lot there that can be said, but at the same point in time, it's, it's like, you know, it kind of speaks for itself. It's just been, it's just, it's just been very rewarding when it comes to that. I, I'll say that, you know, just, you know, developing a good tight friendship. It's, it's, it's been, it's been awesome from that regard. Um, the next thing that's on my list Having the podcast become what I will consider something of a, and I've actually used the word this word once before in this episode, cornerstone for my family to rally around and to enjoy. I think there have been aspects of the show that um, that, that both Jackie and Grace have have either come to expect as part of just our family, you know, is, is what we do as a family. And they've really enjoyed some of the, some of the, the neater aspects of, of having a podcast, like some of the travel, going to the shows, seeing, you know, getting, getting my daughter and my nephew engaged in the show for, for when they can be, you know, for when, when they, when we were able to go to shows and have them on the show. I mean, I know that that has been something that we've talked about as a family time and time again, you know, having Grace on and having Gareth on and things like that. And, you know, those two kids have grown up, you know, being on the show at certain times. I'm proud of that, you know, and I'm proud that that, that they've had that in common with each other as cousins and and it's just been something that that we've just all kind of grown up with over the past you know seven eight years, and it's given all of us as a family something to something to kind of, something to really uh, really nurture and and really uh, really love and respect as a family as we've as we've gone up, you know. You you, you actually make a good point there, Whitney, in that when we discuss the show format, yeah, I I explicitly remember the conversation we had uh in terms of 
the the just the flow and the attitude of the show and w- w- what it all kind of came back to is we wanted our family to be even if they weren't arcade game people to yeah. be proud of the show and us being having do, producing it yes and yes you know the the it came up if what if grace set down in her 40s yeah and listen to the show to hear dad exactly exactly and um what 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 did what could grace remember and carry forward and you know i, I don't want to get morbid here but if you yeah, get yeah. to a position where grace needs she is as she has children yes yes and you know and in my case i'm thinking the same thing with my niece and my nephew yeah you know this is who this is who Uncle Brent was. Yeah, exactly. And we're on here and we're having fun. That's and right. We're being silly. Yeah. But we're being serious. Y- yeah. And some of that'll come in my my conversation. Fair, fair enough. But we wanted it family oriented. Yes, and that was really important for me because, uh, and, I, and and as I know it was for you, Brent. I'm not speaking just for me here when I say this, but but I, I know as I was approaching the thoughts for the show. It was extremely important for me because uh, number one, I don't think either one of us are prudes, I, and and I don't want to I don't want to say that oh we we climbed a, a a virtuous mountain and everyone else does it wrong. That that's not what no we're not. It's not what that. I'm saying. No. It's not what we're saying or what I what I've ever thought about it in any way, shape, or form. It's just that. I wanted to make sure that that as the show gets handed down over a generation or something like that, uh, and as people are listening with their children, which we know they have, we know they do, and as my daughter, my nephew, your your nephew, you know, your niece, your nephew, as as your family, my family, or other families listen to the show, they can do it in a way that they're confident that it's. It's good, clean fun. It's informative, and we yeah we may po- we may poke fun at each other as we go. That's just part and parcel. I mean that just comes with some of the territory and what we talk about. And oh, you got this, you did that, or I can't believe you did this. I, that, yeah, it's all part of it. That's just part of having fun. But ultimately, the show can stand on its own in a way that um, in, in a way that I think allows it to be enjoyed by everyone yep. and that was what was most important to me I, I know you when i say this you'll remember it but we've had people come to us and sh- at shows i won't go super deep into this because it, it gets into a little a bit of, of my take on this question they're like you know we can put your show on in, in the game room while the my kids are down there yeah, and this is this is just something that every, all of us can listen to exactly, and, you know, and we don't have to worry about the content. Yeah, yes, yes, so. uh, that's a very good point. We we went into that intentionally, very, extremely yes. intentionally, and uh, yeah, that's that's been an active uh, that's been an active path that, that we've that we've stayed on. There's no doubt, and I think one of the one of the other most memorable experiences, definitely positive for me, Brendan, doing the show is just meeting so many listeners and and 
and making so many friends along the way and getting to travel to some of these shows. I mean, it, it has, it's really created, I think, a almost a, a, a sub a, a sub hobby or a sub interest within myself or within my enjoyment of this hobby in wanting to go to other shows and experience them and see what that's like, uh, take grace to those shows. Um, which I mean, we were we were one hundred percent committed to going to Portland again this year and San Diego Comic Con. Grace wanted to go to both of those, and you know, Brent, a lot of the, a lot of that desire on her part has been driven by what she has seen out out of what we're doing at the shows and what goes on at the shows and everything like that. And wanting to experience that in a slightly different format in, a slightly different in, format. in other areas to see how that's, they do it. In that's Portland. exactly yeah. right. Cause she's really interested in anime and in cosplay and, and, and she loves to video game. There's no doubt about it, but, but what she loves is a little bit of a different genre than what I love. And that's okay. I love that. And it's totally fine. As long as we can do some of it together, that's, that's really what matters to me. And then hosting panels with so many industry insiders or industry people in the industry, industry luminaries, whatever whatever adjective we want to use there, it's it's you know it it's just uh, the people have just been amazing, and that's that's what's really um, that's what's really stood out for me. I think one of the things that. It, it, we've had comments as such, and this it, this isn't meant to be. Pat, we're not patting each other on the back no. here, but we. Um, I think a lot of the people that come to the panels, the luminaries, to use your words, yeah, th- they're kind of put in a room. They're invited, and they're either just given the mic, and they're left just to spin off on their own, yeah, or. Um, someone is there to introduce them and they might talk to a pinball luminary and say, well, so so what do you think about pinball? Yeah. You know, it's just, they're kind of in a, in a weird position because maybe the person that's been asked to run the panel doesn't have they we've got, we've got some chops here because we've done this. Yeah, exactly. And trust me that it's, it's a learned skill and it's a skill that's always evolving. It, it really so is. So if you don't think it's, well, I can sit up there. You, you may be able to, I, I would never pretend to tell someone they couldn't do it, but just consider that, you know, there was a time when you didn't know how to drive a car. If you drive yeah. a car yeah. or ride a bike yeah. or walk yeah. or feed yourself, yeah. pick, yeah. you know? I, I'm So I think that's one of the things where the show is, his, benefited us in that despite our you know at least my my inability to get rid of uh from my lexicon <laughs> and in and the like we, we're practiced at this a little bit yeah <laughs> especially oh, yeah. those that have hung in with us know that yeah exactly so we we i've had a couple i'm sure you remember a couple folks have actually after the panel, they thanked us. Yeah. And we're like, no, we're thanking you. We're excited as you wouldn't <laughs> believe to just to be here with you because you did this or that or were involved in this. And it was so integral in our lives. Yes. And it, we're like, what do what what just happened? Yeah, did <laughs> yeah. I, it's like I can't believe I can't believe we got to talk to that person. And then and then in some cases they turn around and they thank us for the experience. And it's like, yeah. 
How did I, we get off on? How did it, I get off on this? I don't know. No, no, but I mean, well, it, this is just the back and the forth on on what, yeah. what we're bringing up. But no, it, it's it's a hundred percent true because it, it's it's like how how can how can you how can you truly quantify just just how you know how impactful uh, impa- this, yeah yes. great word thank you impactful some of those experiences are because maybe some of those people don't get to talk to they, they don't talk to the public all that often and and you you need to work with them on the interview or maybe they're just naturally able to able to tell those stories in such a way that it has flow and in and it has cadence and it and it feels like 30 minutes or 60 minutes went by in two minutes and you're entertained as well as informed and somewhere in between that that's you know that's the job of of doing these panels and yeah it's definitely been a learned skill and i i go back and just look at all the panels we've done at all the shows we've been at and and it just adds up and it's it's like wow the resume really it really becomes impressive mm-hmm. after a while. There, there's no doubt. So yeah, that's definitely one one of the highlights. And and then I I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this. But uh, but one of the big ones was definitely the, the Skyskipper project. I mean, yeah, getting to meet Alex and and Porchy and uh, and Ollie and Victor and you know you know building up you know, building up friendships with all those people and staying in touch with them. I mean. And Brent, this is one of the things. I mean, it, the Skyskipper project was four years ago. Four years Gosh, ago. Has it been that? Yeah. It has been that long. Okay, four years ago, and I and I still talk to Alex and Porchy constantly. Victor, not as much as I would like to, but still talk to Victor quite a bit. And it's you know, it's just amazing that you can truly. Victor Marland. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's amazing <laughs> just, that you can build those friendships. And, I, and, and, and maintain those friendships even though they're such long distance and you can come together and build that over over a common theme I, like that. I'm just laughing uh, because I remember the look on his face when uh, Victor and Tori were vacationing here in the U.S. Uh-huh. And uh, I hung out with them an evening. Uh-huh. And uh, um, I said, well, I, I, I can't remember. I think I, I was with them earlier in the day, and then I was like, "No, I'll just come get you all." And they thought we'd Uber. So I was like, "No, don't worry about it. I'll just come get you." And I, I've never been. Did you drive your truck? I did. Oh, that's <laughs> where this is going. Yes. So it, yeah, I pull, and I did that intentionally. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I mean, I could I could have driven the the car, but I drove my F three fifty, and and this is of course. I've I've not been to to England, and my exposure is what I see on television. But I and, and what I've been told firsthand from those that have been or lived there. But I I think we all kind of realize here in the states that it's a much smaller country. That the roads are much smaller. Yeah. The traveling, you know, the vehicles are much smaller, and it's just the it just fits for there. And mm-hmm. even the games that were that were routed there. That's why there's two player versions of all the floor player Konami games like Simpsons because yeah. they just didn't have the space in the pubs and the yeah. in the venues for those big monsters cabinets. That, that is correct. So uh I just I was like I'm gonna put Victor and Tori in a big giant truck. Big giant four wheel <laughs> drive truck. And I pulled up and I 
uh, Victor's tall. Oh, he's tall. And he's on a curb. Yeah. So he's already up in the air. And I pull up and look right over at him, right in the eye. <laughs> he looks at me and, and he backed up and looked at the truck and looked at me and looked at <laughs> And of course, I had to uh, yell because the diesel. Yeah. I'm like, get in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. That is funny. Oh, Victor. Anyway, anyway, yeah. anyway. Oh, man. And, and I remember the time when, when Victor and Tori came out to, and you, you, yeah, you were along with, came out to my house. That's, I, that's when the I, I skied behind the dog. Yeah. into a Christmas tree. Yes. Yes, exactly. And uh, how do you stop a great Dane? You don't. <laughs> no, no, you don't. You, you get out of their way. And uh, we deep fried a turkey. I, I remember that. And uh, that was, that was, that was a fun night. That yep. was a real fun night. And so, so, any, so yeah, I mean, everything involved with, with Alex and, and with Porchy and, and Victor and, and Ollie, I mean, it's just been so wonderful in, you know, making friends with those guys and getting to know some of the people over in the UK and, and doing the visits and doing everything with Skyskipper. It's just, man, what a, ah, man, what a, what a great life event that, that really turned into. So, I, I mean, yeah, Brent, the, the podcast has brought, the podcast has brought me a lot. I, I mean, I'll, I'll say that in, in retrospect and, then I look, you, know, you look back at the friendships that we've made. I mean, David and Jim, and you just, you know, just everybody we made at the show. It's just, man, it's just, it's just been awesome. I mean, all the all around awesome. So honestly, it's almost like we cribbed our list of memorable moments or or takeaways, and um, in no in no order, but yet I've ordered one to kind of key off on what you've just said. Yeah. Is and I'm just and I've just I literally had the word friends with two exclamation points written down here on my list. Yeah, oh yeah. And all the people and I said it earlier in the show, and I'll say it again, not just the people that we interact with all the time. And and I'm not gonna name any because there's we should actually add in this list. Hold on a minute. <laughs> when we get to this list here in a minute, this list keeps growing. Okay, good. Is are you at a ten now? Are you, are you getting an update on your end on our show I, I'm notes? Se- I'm seeing I'm seeing number eight so far. You don't see a nine. I don't see a nine because my yet. update thing is swirling here. Okay, but, gotcha. Uh, I'm going to add, uh, and this will make more sense here in a bit when we get there. Uh, my inability, Brent's inability to remember names, uh, a la uh, Mike. Oh, yeah. Ike Arton. Ike Arton. Yes. So yes. Mike and, uh, and, and Eddie. And Eddie. And, and, and Eddie Cox. Eddie Cox. Yes, exactly. Yeah, good. I'm, yeah, I'm glad you. Uh, Brent's inability <laughs> to recall names. Yes. Just just friends. And and I hesitate to go through them, kind of maybe, not in all seriousness, not because I, tr- I truly have this. In a, I'm terrible with names. But I don't want to leave anybody out. Yeah, I, I know. And that's, I, that's I don't. the dangerous thing. You're and, right. And You're right. There are so many people that that we might see twice a year that treat us like they're our neighbor. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. and you see these people and you pick up exactly where you left off. It's it's just like you saw them yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, w- I will agree. So yeah, I had friends written down here, and that that plays into the other couple line items here on my list, and um, and it plays into my comment of having thousands and thousands and thousands of friends that we never met. Yes, yeah, agreed. And I'm going to give you an example, and and I don't have the show that this was in. 
we'll have to try to find it. Uh, say it and I'll, say it and I'll see if I can find it. Um, it was the show where I talked about the game that belonged to my mom. Oh boy. Um, okay. Hang yeah. On. Cause okay. I tried to look and there wasn't really a, a hashtag for it or a, a, a meta tag for it in our, in our database. But so longtime listeners of the show will remember this and I, I'm going to try to make it through it. <laughs> but in our updates section, I was talking about a game that I had built for mom. And it, uh, it was episode 33. It was episode. <laughs> you're like a robot. Yeah. You're like data. <laughs> F33. Episode okay. 33. Yep. So um, the, the point being here is, is that I got it. Whitney and I have had moments like this on the show and I guarantee you there will be more to come. And it's unavoidable. Yeah. And I, I can see it in your eye right now. Yeah. And I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I started off telling the story about the game, and um, it was made of a cabinet that I got from another good friend, Jimmy Litzy. And the cabinet was made by a company that was short-lived here in Louisville. Mm-hmm. And I put it all together and made a multi-game for my mom. And what I didn't realize was that when I finally – I was avoiding – after she passed, I was avoiding dealing with it. I didn't have a use for a multi-game, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I sold it. Eventually, it was a it was a longer process. I'm trying to keep it short. And as I told the story on, you know, I did this and it started to hit me on the show and I started to break down. And I just I honestly I went on with it. Because I Whitney, I think the same way. You all are our friends. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And where I'm going with this to tie back to the friendship is the feedback that I got from people that I knew and didn't know. Yeah. And I'm going to call out a name because this one is a perfect example. Uh, Sean and Sharon O'Shea. Oh, yes. Oh, God uh, love them. God love them. The next time I saw, saw them, and this was months later. Yeah. He didn't say hi to me. He didn't say anything. He just walked up and gave me a big hug. Oh, man. See, that's that's awesome. And he told me why. And here I am all of a sudden. I'm in... I'm in a loading unloading zone in front of a hotel where I we're unloading I think a game and equipment out of my out of a truck, my truck, your truck. Um and and all of a sudden I go from organizing all this to I'm crying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's it's that friendship. Yes, yes. It's, that is such a good example. And not just for and it's not one way. Mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want people to think that. It's not one way. The the we have become part of your all's lives, like in a lot of ways we the other <laughs> we have become part of yours. Yeah. Like we've you have become part of ours. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, is, is, that, is the point here. Yeah, great point well made. Yes. So that that is the the and th- this is gonna sound really funny too. And, and this um it's sort of related it, it but and i don't want this to sound self-centered but one of the weirder in a nice way memorable uh incidents like a specific incident was i was recognized by my voice 
because I was talking to somebody on my cell phone. And when I hung up the call in an elevator in Atlanta, (laughs) they looked at me and said, you're Brent, aren't you? And I mentally wigged out. I was like, what is going on? And I didn't put it on. It was because of the show. And this was early on. And it was just, we knew people listened, but it was just, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't see us as we're not the type of people that go out seeking attention. Yeah. And it was just really surreal. It brought it home that, Hey, we're entertaining people. People enjoy. Yeah. It, it, it's, we put the effort in and people listen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It resonates. It resonates. That's, that's a great word. Thank you. So, and and actually I'm going to reiterate a word you used. I wrote it down here. It's it, it is, it is more rewarding than I anticipated going in and doing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't we didn't do this to monetize it. We did this to have kind of fun. Yeah, it. You know, it's honestly, very, we, we very don't make true. any money out of this no, at all. It's no. a huge sink. No, no, it's 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 just a huge sink, and you know, from a financial aspect, no doubt. And it's funny that you mention the the monetization aspect of it because getting back to yeah, uh, you know, how we started the show. I mean, we've you know, for anybody who's listened through all 100 episodes. Number one, we thank you. We're number sorry. two, we're sorry. We're sorry. <laughs> uh, number three, uh, you've got our undying gratitude and respect. But uh, I would say, you know, Brent, we have actively chosen not to monetize the show. Yep. And we have chosen not to have sponsors on, and we've and we've chosen just to keep the show the show. Yeah. And you know, maybe maybe that was the right decision. Maybe it was the wrong decision. I you know, and I think you could probably call it either way based upon how you want to grade, quote unquote. I'm doing air quotes here. Success, okay, in relation <laughs> to other podcasts, but it's the way that we decided to do it. Right. And and I'm I'm still satisfied with I that am. because. I- and I think you think you'd probably echo what I'm getting ready to say. It's because the show, the show is is exactly 100 percent what the show is. You don't have to worry about being uh, being onslaught with commercials or inserts or anything like that. And not to say that there's anything wrong with it at all. We've just always wanted to keep our show just the show and just let it just let it be what it is. So I'm going to sum up and I'm going to use the, the same word over again, trying to tie this together. We, we went, I, I went in, I think we went in with a concept of what we wanted to do to be just what you said. It wasn't to make money. It wasn't to draw attention to ourselves. It was just to have the show yeah. and participate in the community. But the unanticipated rewards personal rewards, personal relationships, personal lessons in life that has come from this show, personal friendships, me and you, Whitney. Yeah. That I I I'd never anticipated it and it, honestly it's still hard to grasp. <laughs> it really it is. is. When you think about the reach and you think about just how how it all kind of plugs together, it, it is it, it's definitely that. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So do we want to, now that we're on such a high note, do we want to 
co- tackle quickly the second part of this. Oh, this yeah, question. yeah. The, the, t- the, things, <laughs> the things that have been just a little tough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a, way, that's a better way to put it. Yeah. 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 Fair, fair okay. enough. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? I, I can go first because I'm going to sum go, it. Go right ahead. I'm going to sum it up in one word and maybe with a little explanation because the word is very broad. Okay. And the, the, so the, the question here is, is, you know, we're, we're the premise of memorable experiences, positive and negative. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's the only way I knew to say it in the so notes. So there was that, so was that time when Ike Arton and it's no, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Ike. It was Eddie. Eddie Cox yeah. and Casey. They no. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just the word is drama, and, and this the, this this is no different than any other aspect okay. of our lives. Interesting. Or okay. any other hobby. I did not gravitate on this for my bullet points, but I, okay. I'm glad you brought this up. Okay. So and. I'm just going to, and I don't want, there's not, there's not specific examples to be given. There's not, doing what we do, we get to see behind the covers in a lot of things that happen in the community. We, we get to see, you know, behind the door where the staff meets at shows because we've signed on to do something and, you know, we're there to help. We're doing our thing like a lot of people are. And I'm sure a lot of people have a very similar story. And you get to see what you get to see how the sausage is made in a lot of cases. <laughs> you, do, you do. Versus when you come to a show to to just to show just to come to the show to take part in the show. Yeah. You know, and it's it can be a little disheartening at times when you're like you know we're we not we Whitney and I we're here to have a good time there's an aspect of work to it but how the how egos can flare oh man and how things can happen that that may not make it you know there there are things that are that are kind of in your face there's there's always some aspect of uh, uh, here's an example maybe a little backstabby because i'm going to get that better deal on that game or i'm going to get there before you get there yeah. or there's always that aspect and there isn't any hobby i mean i was i was deep in the car the local car scene and i honestly i got tired of a lot of the drama yeah. i wasn't there for that yeah and a, a, a very few people pushed me away from the larger community and that that's a lesson that i learned and try and i'm trying not to repeat here because my you know at this point in my life it's like well if you want to do that fine yeah it doesn't need to affect me yeah i don't need to participate in that yeah so yeah like i said it's just there's no reason for a lot of the drama that is self-created yeah yeah frankly there's there's no doubt about it so and even you know earlier on in the show you know podcast drama and arcade oh, podcast I'd forgotten drama. about that yes 100 yeah, percent. yeah and it's just and it like, was pure drama and it was just pure it's just pure drama and yeah that, you, you got to the root of that yeah and there was no reasoning for it yeah exactly and and it's and it caught you know it causes a lot of stress and it caused you know a lot of you know a lot of soul searching around well you know is this the right thing to be doing it, it does it 
<laughs> you know, do, does it does it sap all the enjoyment out of the hobby to the point to where I want to just go do something else? And I mean, any human would would ask themselves that. So, can you be a victim uh, of some trolling? Sure, anybody can. Yep. And so, yeah, the, the the drama the drama can hurt sometimes. There's there's no doubt about that. But you know, the good thing about it is you, you just you push through it, you persevere, and and you just you know you keep on going. Um, do you have anything else? No, I just okay. I I, I didn't. Yeah, honestly, I don't. Um, I don't have even specific examples of this happened. I mean, I wouldn't. Things happen. I I don't even think I would go that far. But overall, this has just been. Oh it, yeah, it, yeah, hugely it, positive. Yeah, it's been hugely positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank yeah, you. There's, there's yep. no doubt. And when I think about just kind of reflecting on any of the any of the negatives <laughs> from doing the show, uh, mine are all every one that I, I've only got two here listed, and you know what? They're both self inflicted. So I, you know, I, I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I can see that being my my if I wanted to get be, become be honest about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah if I'm going to be honest about it, they're they're self inflicted items. And so number one, recording an old what I'll uh, I'll put in air quotes here an old school show because we're not a flashy show. We're not you know overly laden with you know bumpers and teasers and sound effects and you know we don't have you know huge sound boards running where brent and i can interrupt each other at any point in time and put the zingers in and put the sound i mean we just don't and so because because we rely so heavily on the spoken word and you know and a few uh you know in 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 a few, um, you know, we'll say, you know, well-timed Foley add-ons to the show, okay? <laughs> Which I dearly, We're going to visit dearly, some things here in a minute. It, it, yes, yes. The show is not all talk. I promise you yeah. that. And, and I dearly love some of the Foley work that's been done on the show over the years because, let me tell you, it's endearing. It we, really is. We, it's endearing. I, we were getting the rig ready, and I was play, I played one of the samples I pulled. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, Whitney was red. Yeah. He was he was about to cry. Yeah. He was laughing. Oh yeah, it's some of it is so good. And, and you know? I, I looked at him and said, "You forgot about that, yeah. didn't you?" <laughs> and, and, yes. And so I would. I, but, I'm, I'm in the camp that I would say quality over quantity. Okay, is is how I would vote that. And so you know, because we record in person and it's such a commitment on time, but but again, we do that to ourselves because of of how we structured the show. And the the other thing I would say is publishing an old school show because we source everything on our own. We've we've grown the show quote I, I guess organically by hand. You know we've not really been a part of you know umpteen podcast networks. I mean we we were on a couple podcast networks early on, but they wound up shutting down, and we've just never really I guess done the legwork to rejoin any. And that, that's something I ought to look into because there's uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with. With being on a podcast network, I mean, only good th- only good things come of it. We've just never really invested the time to hop back into them, and. I think well, Rob's rebroadcasting, so I guess Throwback is I, back. I don't know. I need to. I need to reach out to Rob and ask him because we were on the Throwback network yep. for a while, but but it, but it it kind of it shut down and and uh, it kind of went by the wayside. But I, I guess where I'm going with all of this is is it's akin to something close to real work, and, you know, in <laughs> putting out is, the show yes. every, every month, and, and it's so much so that I didn't initially realize the time commitment. And mm-hmm. and trust me, I'm not complaining in any way shape or form it's just that 
I have respect to every I have respect for everybody that podcasts because it is a lot of work. It is it is a lot of work. Um, it, it, that being said, you know it is a labor of love, and uh, and you get more out of it than you put into it, no doubt. So, so th- that's I, I think that's it, Brent. I mean, memorable experiences. I, I think that's a great way to sum up the first 100 episodes, no no doubt. So you you posed a, a great question here that I'd like to kick off with my answers, if that's cool with you. Oh, and that you, you is, go for it. You go for it. Our favorite interviews. Yes. And yes. yes. Uh, I am so looking forward to talking about this. You, you actually put yours in i didn't put mine in because i figured we kind of do it as a reveal thing oh okay fair enough uh, i will say that it's it's interesting how similar our lists are okay okay all right so um number three i actually and you didn't you didn't this this was a, a, a kind of a departure from from the similarities here i picked ed lutz so ed was oh, our first yes. interview yes ed is uh, uh a local been into the hobby for and uh, it was episode two episode yes. number two yeah. yes had been in the hobby still is well I, I guess he started in the hobby and then he was really known in the area as a tech uh-huh yeah and he ran a shop here in louisville um, that that shop is in the last couple of years. He shut it down, and uh, he's still working as a tech, but for a venue. And it, it unfortunately, I haven't had much of an opportunity to spend time with Ed through uh, through you know the craziness of the yeah, last year, the, the pandemic. And, yeah, and our 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 worlds have kind of gone different directions. You know what happens in life. So, it does. Yeah, it does. But yeah, Ed, despite despite wanting it to, it does. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I would still call Ed a very good friend. Ed and I, um, he was one of the very first people, if not the first person I knew in the hobby. Yeah. And uh, he was uh, kind enough. You know, we were a brand new show, episode two, like yeah. you said, Whitney. Yeah. Yep. He came, sat down with us, and uh, uh, man, he talked and told us told a lot of stories. That's a good point. He gave us he gave us essentially our first our first interview our first interview. Yep. Yeah. And you know. <laughs> thinking back on that now we we do we do owe him thanks for that there's no doubt about it yeah good very good call very good call out so uh my number two here uh-huh. is a little bit more contemporary back on episode 89 and 90 was master daniel piscina okay yes and so those were from uh a louisville i I thought i had the note here they were from oh uh no i actually had a note on the next one in one of yours but um it was at lax 20 it was the last lax right yeah it was was 2019 yeah it was 2019 yeah so he sat in with us uh in 2019 actually twice so that's how we end up, end up with segments on episode 89 and 90 no 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 it was lax 2020 2020 yes, yes. thank you yes. yeah yes yes, yes. yes. 2020 because we did sneak in 2020 and then <laughs> the like week, the week before the, literally we got the week shut after down. the week after everything everything got shut, shut down, down like everything on that tuesday down. or something uh-huh. yeah. monday or tuesday that's right um those are those are great interviews because we're talking game industry we're talking uh we're talking life and that it was just it it was a it was just a very refreshing 
interview conversation and how we intertwined the things that we enjoy uh, in the gaming world personally and life lessons. It, it was just, I, I can't say enough about it. And I would it suggest was, it was very good. Yeah, yeah. I would suggest if you've not listened to those or any of these, but those were episodes 89 and 90. Uh huh. Yes, correct. And then my number one, and I'm sure you saw where this was going to go yeah. was my good friend, Jimmy Litzy. Yeah. So that was at LAX 2017. And uh, I, I hosted a panel, and the panel was Jimmy. And the short, the short <laughs> that's all, there. That's, that's all you need. Yeah, that's all you need. <laughs> that's all you need. Uh, this was episode 54. Okay. So Jimmy's dad uh, started a coin op company in the middle 50s. And they operated it as a family business through the heyday mm-hmm. in the 80s, in the 90s. Well, I guess even in the 70s. And Jimmy did it. They The Litzies did it all. They did um, they did video. They did pinball. They did EM pinball. They did EM arcade games. They did pool tables. They did um, uh, cranes. They did soda machines. They uh, fortune-telling machines, strength test machines. They did it all. Mm-hmm. And... He, it, this was just an hour, and uh, and I've talked to him. I, I see Jimmy. I talk to him today. Yeah. I talk to him all the time, uh, especially this time of year. I see him and his wife Rhonda. I see him at least once a week. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I'll probably see him twice this weekend. So we have the, and this is this is we've talked about this, Whitney. We need to we need to do it and get Jimmy back on. Yeah. Um, I've got. It, it's one of those things where you see him all the time and then you just don't think about it. And I don't want time to get further away from us, but his stories about what it's like to actually operate games and what his opinion, I did a section of that. You remember this Whitney of that interview where I just, I I pulled games that are like cult classic oh. or high dollar collector games highly collectible games today and i'm yes. like what do you what do you think of this and it is shocking yes because his perspective is that of an operator yeah did it make money and it is i i, I sat down with him and Rhonda before uh, well before the interview so i was ready to go i already had some stories and i use those to branch off and to get other stories and just let, let's just say that there's things he had to do that involve cattle prods and fabric softener yeah. you know that 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 things he had to employ to figure out what was going on and how things were happening and people were getting free games and it it's just it's crazy but from a from a personal perspective and from a history perspective and from a storytelling anecdotal perspective, Jimmy hands down is my number one. Oh, that's that's a that's a great, great list. It's a great list. And now I do have an honorable. Okay. Because I, I have an honorable as well. Okay. Yeah. And this is a blanket honorable. Yeah. And that is the Louisville Arcade Expo guys. Okay. So we've had David Corrigan on many times for his shows, not yeah. to downplay David, but they have supported us. We talked about after our first year. Yeah. I mean, we were basically still a startup. 
They have supported us. Part of that is they have been on the show every year leading up to their show. Yeah, that's true. So there's been this mutual respect and support there. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely wanted to talk about, I mean, we have an interview with with them every year, basically. Yeah, Yeah. so we do. We do. And, And that's... And that's that's a qualifier that I wanted to make on mine as well on my list because there and I'll go ahead and call that my honorable too because there's been so many great interviews that we have featured on our show over the years thanks to Jeremy and Matt oh yep thanks to David Corrigan mm-hmm. you know thanks to uh, Preston and Patrick for SFG thanks to you know thanks to the shows that we have been to Pinball Expo. Uh, Jim Zespi in Chicago when I visited him I mean I've gotten some interviews for the show there as well mm-hmm. I mean it, 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 I, the, my honorable I, mention I, is all of those people yep. that have supported us in in getting in helping us to get some of these great expo on you know on location interviews collector interviews because I mean, that's really been our meat and potatoes over the course of over the course of the years, because it has supplied us with so much content and so much variety that it's I mean, you you can't put a price on any of that. I'm glad you brought up Jim. And I'll just I'll the only thing I want to say there is that that goes back to why I was resisting listing names earlier. I don't want anyone listening to this. If you don't hear a name, do you think it? We we could we could take what however long this show is. I mean, it's a hundred episodes. Yeah, and yeah. double it. Yeah, and just read names. Yeah, oh yeah. And they all mean they they have all touched our hearts in some way. In some way. So that's exactly it's, right. It's, yeah, it's the, phenomenal, yeah, Whitney. That, that's just the ones that, that came to mind. Yeah. Immediately came to mind. It but. is literally difficult for me to wrap my my head around. Because we could just tangent, tangent, tangent with yeah. a name. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's all no, the interactions we've had with people there, over the there's, years. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Um, my number three. I, I'm going to borrow a page from your book and say Jimmy Litzy was uh, was he's on my list as well because I I enjoyed the honesty, the brutal transparency <laughs> of of that interview, <laughs> and just the perspective that he took on what these games meant to him. Yep. And uh, and how it was a business, and how we have glorified it yep. above that. Exactly. You know? And so it's it's so sobering to listen to that interview, but in a good way, mm-hmm. it, but in a really good way. So yeah, episode fifty four. I, I highly recommend it. Recommend it. And uh, well, and there's a surprise coming up as well. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> My number two was Bill Adams. From episode number 43, when we interviewed Bill down at Southern Fried Game Room Expo. Yep. And that was, uh, let me uh, hang tight for, uh, that was uh, in 2016, SFG 2016. Uh, Bill Adams was a uh, developer uh, on uh, Tron, Satan's Hollow, uh, several other games at, uh, at Bally Midway. He worked with uh, he worked with George Gomez. Worked with other uh, industry pioneers. We'll put it that way. And Bill, 
I mean, that interview and that interaction has always been one of my personal favorites because he was so approachable. He was so open. He was just he 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 just told every story he could possibly think of, and he just gave it to us as straight as he knew to give it to us. And just what a gem of of a man he was to interact with and talk with and. Uh, and, and of course, you know, I mean, he, he was responsible for one of my favorite games, Satan's Hollow and Tron. And yep. uh, I, I just, yeah, there, there's there's a bit of there's a bit of uh, hobby reverence going on there because, you know, he's so soft spoken uh, and, and was just he seemed like he was as gracious as we were very and he was very genuine he's he was so genuine it's so genuine and and we have had uh this this happened on more than one occasion um we've had people ask us you know has that been tra- has that interview been transcribed is it available anywhere uh outside of just mp3 format and I need to put some time into doing that. There's no doubt it's on the list to be done because that one that one needs to needs to be called out. Jimmy's should be called out too and transcribed in such a way where it could be searchable and things like that. Um, and I would love, love, love to get back in touch with Bill at some point and follow up with him. That's that's been on the list too. And as much as you've thought about Jimmy, I truly I've thought about Bill, and we just, and it just hasn't happened. So I'm gonna, and I feel bad about that. I'm going to circle back in one of the. We've discussed this, and I'll add this as a regret yeah. or a negative. Yeah, yeah. There is so much opportunity that we've just not had we've not been able to follow back yeah we've not capitalized on exactly well and that is truly a regret oh yeah yeah because there has been opportunity there's no doubt about it but it's it it, it's time is what it is and (sighs) so many people i've talked to and loved have gotten back on the show and followed up with we've got some great friends out of atlanta yeah and uh i just is an example you know to not get back into the name thing yeah yeah it just that that is a true regret yeah they, uh, well and there's going to be those you know there there, there are but i trust me brent i i share that with you and I, I think back on well what what could i have done different or what could we have invested more time in or or should should we have worked harder on this or that and i i guess i could second guess myself all the way to you know to next tuesday but if it's anything, it's it's not being able to follow up with everybody in the way that I would have wanted to have done it in a perfect world. Okay, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. In my number one favorite interview, uh, Beyond a Shadow of a Doubt, is episode number 29, where I got to sit down one-on-one with David Crane. Uh, legendary video game designer uh, at Activision, uh, at, at Atari and Activision, and has just had uh, what has been literally a storied career uh in in the video game industry and uh that was uh i i don't even know how to say i mean that was just a personal highlight of of mine uh, that um i i think back on it still can't (laughs) believe i got to do it yeah i just got to sit down with david crane one-on-one for like 45 minutes and just talk to him it was amazing it was it was amazing is what it was and uh so so that, that, I, that's my i know your reverence for that that's why i'm not interjecting like little jokes well, <laughs> like thank, i tend to do yeah, so. no thank you thank you because <laughs> that's because that, i know how how just 
uh, that, that I'm, reference, try, I'm trying to think of different words that we haven't used yeah, already. Yeah, it's it's, it's <laughs> yeah. actually kind of tough, but yeah. but I, I don't use the word reverence lightly, and I do, certainly don't want to overuse it. But for a kid that grew up on his Atari 2600 with my brother and and just and with my friends and and what Activision wound up wound up actually meaning to me and the impression that it made and how how it really helped me bridge the gap from. Uh, you know, from from my, my video game history and everything. I mean, it just everything Activision holds a special place in my heart. And I studied the company. <laughs> I studied the designers. I, I just did. I mean, it was just it was it was video games on another level to me is what it was. And uh, David Crane was at the fore. He was at the forefront of all that. So, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's that's some good stuff, man. That's some good stuff. OK, next up. <laughs> did you cover your honorables? I did. You did. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I covered them. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so the next, uh, <laughs> the next part is where we're, where we're going to make a lot of fun of ourselves. So what, <laughs> what number, what number are you up to on your show notes? Cause mine sh- just shows a constant recycling of trying to refresh. It should be 11. Uh, for whatever reason, mine is not updating. So I, mine is stuck at eight. So well, you, you, you go for, you, you go down, you go 11, 10, and 9, and then we'll pick it up. Okay? Well, uh, uh, so I, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do I, this. I have no idea why that's not updated. It's probably my side, honestly. So what I'm going to do, just so that you're on the same page. Um, oh, hold on. I, I'm going to just text hold, hold you on, a dude. picture. Uh, no, no, no. Hold on, hold on. It's Whitney's fault. This I, is where I, it comes hold on. out. I, I got it, I got it. I was hang, gonna, hang tight. Uh, oh, oh, we're doing this live, Whitney. Uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the reason why. I think it's because my laptop slipped into battery saver mode and OneDrive stopped syncing. So hang on oh, for one okay. second. That, All right. that, that'll do it. Oh, I was just going to send you a picture of it. Anyway. No, 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 no. But you go for it. St- start it out. Okay. okay so I, I, Whitney, I'm committed to this. I'm like 98% <laughs> in to, to sending this picture. Okay. And I I've got to finish it because I can't leave it undone. Okay, so it's done. All right. Yeah. So the the topic started as the top some number of show tropes, and uh, as the list has grown, I just put X in there, like the top X, because yeah, yeah. I had several in here, and then as we've talked, I've remembered several more that have just lived on through the show. So. Uh, did you get a? Uh, did you get it now, Whitney? I am looking so you, at it. You it's have good. eleven. Yep, I've got eleven. So uh, number eleven <laughs> is uh, my <laughs> inability to recall names. Oh, it's it's a classic. <laughs> it's classic at this point. And the perfect example is standing in uh, Atlanta. I almost said Nashville. There we go. <laughs> standing in Atlanta. Looking at Eddie Cox and calling him Mike. Yeah. And the thing is, is they don't look anything Any, alike. Anything alike. Yeah. They're no, totally nothing. different heights, different. Yeah. I, the different. only thing they have in common is dark hair. Yeah. yeah that's it. And, and and their love for classic games. Yeah. And, and, and God love <laughs> Eddie. He just looked, he was just talking to me and then he just, then just ever so just nonchalantly looked down and just his eyes looked down he said and it's mike and he just kept on going he just he just inserted it yeah it's almost to the point where everybody knows that about you and they just accept it and go on Oh, See, I so, have, so Brent, that's Theodore, have, and then that's yeah. that's Ezekiel. You could do the, yeah. <laughs> you could do it now and just just mess the names up just to just to kind of squirrel with me, and it just <laughs> I have a story upon story that's not even related to the the game the gaming kind of community that is the same thing, same thing, yeah. 
<sighs> yeah, that's that's a that's a good trope, man. Yeah, in the sh- the show is given these over time. There's no doubt about it. Number ten is the Tempest. Oh no, on. no, no, no. Oh, okay. All right. If I'd have thought of this earlier, I would have rearranged things. Stay out of there. <laughs> It's hilarious because it comes up later. Okay, because for everybody who could not see that, as soon as Brent said the word Tempest, my my mind goes, "Ooh, I bet there's something in that coin door," and I started to make a move for the coin door. It's hilarious, man. So there's always something hidden in hidden in the Tempest. Oh, that that right there deserves the slow clap, is what that. And like I said, if I'd have thought earlier, (laughs) I'd have switcherooed it because it ties into something later. Oh, okay, gotcha. But. Um, I guess that's a trope of the show. The it, tempest. It, it, it is. It is definitely a trope. Do of the you show. ever? And be honest. Do you ever come down here? And like when right before we get ready, we you know I'll go get okay. Let me get us waters. We're all straight. And yeah. Do you ever think looking in there? Oh, every you, single time. Do you? Do you yeah. remember? Yeah, yeah. Every single time. <laughs> but but I don't because. <laughs> It, it just I don't want to take away anything from the show itself, yeah. <laughs> but I always want to like what I want to do is make sure you're not looking at me like I'll look around. Is Brent watching? Yeah. No, Brent's not watching. Is he upstairs? Yeah, Brent's upstairs. And All then right, check cool. it out. And then then I want to sneak over, twist the key and open the door <laughs> and say, and then lock it back up and go about my business. That's what I want to do. Oh. <laughs> Number nine, yes, is the Golden Girls. The Golden Girls have come up more often more, on this more show. More often, more often than not. And, and, and dude, honestly, you bring them up quite oh. a bit. I mean, you know, it's hilarious. It, it's, it, <laughs> to know, to oh. listen to the show and to see us in person is to know Whitney is. And I have to, because I know you're human. I think you are. So I have to qualify this with mm, my do- almost. My doctor eh, claims it. Maybe. Almost infallible. <laughs> and I have tried, <laughs> tried. Do you, in, in Nashville, a couple years ago, we did a, we did a late was, night panel. That was so hilarious, man. So I had on, it was, we're already in, uh, uh, well, it, it's later in the year, so it's cool. But you get in a venue even in in the cool time of year and it gets warm. Yeah. So I'm wearing like three shirts because yeah. I've got a Golden Girl shirt on yeah. and then a long sleeve shirt on and a podcast shirt on under that, all that. Yeah. And I had gotten with Patrick. Um, Jay, Jay Patrick. Jay Patrick. A podcast role. A yeah. And I introduced the panel that the three of us were hosting as uh, the Golden Girls fan club. And I was the Louisville uh, chapter and I, I had this whole speech and I had my Golden Girls name and then I threw it to Patrick and Patrick he was in on it and he picked it right up in his radio voice and yeah. went right through it I'm the Nashville da, 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 and my Golden Girls name is this and we looked at Whitney and I'll be darned if you just didn't skip a beat and you just went right with it and you went well my name's already Whitney and I was <laughs> then then I started accusing Patrick <laughs> JP of telling me of telling you. yeah it, which which he did not yeah. so it oh the golden girls yes yes well I, I do pride myself on being able to think on my feet oh I, my gosh I think it, I think it comes from sometimes being under stress at work and in having yeah. to 
having to solution quickly yep. or or uh, address problems quickly. And I get that. I yes. get that. Yeah, yeah. Despite stumbling over some words from time to time on the show, when when the stress is on, you, you learn to execute is what you do. So this is where I would have should have done the switcheroo, but this this list has grown. Uh, check in the coin door of the high speed. Oh, of the high speed? Of the high speed. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. It, H- hang on for one second. I'm going to have to get up and go oh, do Oh, yeah, because okay? actually it's sort of kind of blocked in there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, come on around. So I'm going to have to talk everybody through. Yeah, I'm going to take off my he, He's hamming this and, up. Get, get he's he's got these long, lanky arms. He could have reached around. Oh, he just well, wanted to get up and... He wanted to get up and stretch. Quit Come on. I'm vamping for time. I can only say so much. Reach in. He's re- Whitney has opened the coin door. It is up against the table he's set up on. Oh my gosh, this is <laughs> awesome! Get over back on on the mic Dude, so people can don't trip on that cable. Oh my gosh! No, we're not going to trip on the cable. I mean, we are professional. Yeah. Oh yes, we are. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is here. I'm going to put my headset on. So let everybody know what was oh, in oh, the high speed. Oh, oh, I'm taking a picture of this. This is. <laughs> <laughs> this is just for you. Oh, this is a six pack of Golden Girls casual crew socks. <laughs> is what this is. Just for you. Oh my gosh, man! This is um, uh, <laughs> this is amazing, man. I so here's the question: Do you get two? I mean, do you get two of Blanche? Do you get two? Well, of, they should of, be. There I should mean, be a. Uh, or is it all of them just six times over? It yeah. should be all broke down on there. If you look on the front, the very I think toward the bottom, there's a picture of all of them. I thought there was a picture of all all of them opened up. Oh, oh, here it is. It's on okay. the back. Yeah, it's here on the back. Okay, gotcha. Oh, this is hilarious, man. Oh yeah, that <laughs> that's some solid podcasting work right there. Is what that is. I am. Uh, I'm going to take a picture of that. And in fact. The the picture of this is going to be the banner episode for episode where for, for episode one hundred. <laughs> there you go. It's going to be done and dusted. That that's it. That is awesome. Number eight. Oh, the one that uh, ugh, ugh. is God. clowns. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whitney's aversion to cl- now as he stares just just past me and right <laughs> around the time pilot where Ziggy. It's kind of <laughs> he's he's motioning to Ziggy in a way that's not very pleasant. No, it's not pleasant at all. <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, clowns are not a fan. Whitney's not a fan of clowns. No, no, and that, it's hilarious though because in any form or fashion. No, no, of any form or fashion. No, no, no. I, I don't like happy ones. I don't like sad ones. I don't like scary ones. I, I don't. I just don't. I don't like I, I, circus. What it doesn't matter. I don't like them. What's funny about it though is they have clowns have provided so much humor on this show <laughs> that that I almost I almost need to cut them like they they almost need to get a episode one hundred pass just because of uh, of what is contributed to the show along the way. So there I said it. <laughs> you know, in all seriousness, yeah, Ziggy is pretty scary. <laughs> Z- Ziggy is. I mean, it's it's pretty. Ziggy's I, pretty weird. I've like got that. a meme, and yeah. it's. I, I can't remember the the original, the top of the meme, and it was something like, "Did you all have scary things when you were kids?" And the, the then it's a picture of like the early McDonald's, like live action that used to be in the commercials. Uh-huh. It's like 
it's like all of them, apparently it was like a promo picture. And the bottom of the meme says, oh, everything was scary. Because when you look at these now, you're like, how did that not terrorize me as a child? As a child, How was that fun? Yeah. But it was. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing with the Ziggy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of creepy. Yeah, it is. But I could... How much more creepy is it when you're it's height? Yeah. And you're looking right you're at looking it. You're looking right at it. Yeah. I, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. So I can I can I don't I I can kinda understand it. Yeah. But yeah. Well yeah, clown. Yeah. yeah I, I've yeah. taken it to a whole different level, but but I do appreciate you meeting me halfway. You know, <laughs> so so there's that. Why don't you read number seven? Because I added this. This is one I also added during the show. Yeah, this this was this was a late add on the fly. But uh, yeah, finishing my zookeeper. Uh, it, it's it's got to be one of my. It, it's in my top three favorite games of all time. Yet uh, everything else has come in front of it as far as finishing uh, finishing the restoration on that game. But. Hope Springs a turtle. <laughs> but if if I had to go back through the show notes, and maybe I should at some point, and count up how many times the word or phrase zookeeper shows up in the show notes, it's it's uh, 50? I don't know. It's crazy. It, yeah, it, it's become a trope of... of uh, I, how, how can I say this? Uh, I've become a trope of myself uh with the trope of the game (laughs) there we go that's it is that it yeah yeah that's it that's it number six centers on me and this this was this was a long-running thing and um (laughs) i kind of brought it back in a different format until we were actually asked at a show yeah and we had to stop (laughs) yeah and it's me rage quitting yes so it for, for, for a long time, I just would rage quit. Yeah. And uh, uh, just in silliness. And then kind of as a joke, I, I closed out several shows with, well, this could be the, the last show. And um, th- I, that was, it was, you know, it was a joke. Yeah. But it, it, it I realized, and again, this ties back to our friendships that we've, yeah, yes. that, we yeah. were we were asked we were pulled aside in Atlanta yeah and a few people had taken it to heart yeah and oh, yeah, I was yeah. like well I've taken this too far I'm yeah. sorry yeah, yeah, you know yeah. so yeah but me rage quitting so <laughs> it is trope worthy though yes. at this point there's no doubt so let's take this opportunity I got a few things I pulled okay and, uh, I'm gonna we're gonna play a cup one here maybe a couple we're gonna scatter this around through the, re- the remainder of the show so. This is a this is I think maybe what started <laughs> the hardcore rage quitting. <laughs> Pardon me. I'm going to keep our mics up, but because we so we can kind of we're not going to comment because we want you all to hear it. If you haven't heard this, we first played this back in episode 50. OK, and uh, um, it's actually loosely based on uh some audio that's been running around on the internet uh, and on uh, even before the internet on like comedy uh radio syndicated radio shows for years so i don't even know if it's real i think that it is but um this was kind of a this was loosely based on something that i can explain that further later but let me, if all this gizmo works, this goes back to we don't do soundboards. So yeah, I think I got yeah. all this right, but I want to keep our mics up, Whitney. Let okay. me make sure I don't have. Oh, yeah. So it should be just this segment. So here we go. 
Okay, Brent, we need to go ahead and lay down these spots, and then we can go ahead and call it a day, okay? So why don't we go ahead and get started with number one? You got All right. It? Yep, I got it. Let's go. The Broken Token Podcast would like to thank... Uh, oh, hold on. Let me try that again. Ready? Yep, I'm ready. The Broken Token Podcast would like to thank the fine folks at Spooky Pinball whoa, for all... Whoa, whoa, hang on, Brent. Hang on, Brent. Uh, we did not pick them up for this cycle, so they're they're not they're not the sponsor. Right. Go ahead and look at the next one on the list. Okay, all right. I, I okay. laid it all out there for you. Okay, I got it. Okay. Nifty LED. The folks at well, Brent, Brent. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. What? We we did not hear back from them that. on this cycle. I, I don't even. What? what I'm not sure which list you're looking at. Just go, go what, ahead and look what, at number three. What? What do you do here, Whitney? I mean, this paperwork came from you. I have it right here. The first spot says spooky. The second spot says nifty. How does this happen? Is this is this the first show we've ever done? Is this our first year? Actually, it's number 50, Brent, but we're trying to make it to 51. Uh, I don't know. It's touch and go. All right. Want me to try the next one? Yeah. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Just, just work your way down the list, all right? Okay. All right. The Louisville Arcade Expo is soon uh, to be. Uh, uh, Brent, Brent, we just had them on, so they, they don't. They, no, 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 no. Scratch, scratch them out, Brent, and go, go ahead and go down to number four. Who prepared this paperwork? Does anything work around here? Do you know how? I am. It's like, Whitney, it's like I am constantly waiting for something. I, I can't perform. <laughs> under these circumstances production's hard work brent come on i I know speaking of production where are those promo pictures for the show i asked for do you know how hard that was to put together do you know how long it took me to get chris pine and william shatner in the same state let alone the same room with our t-shirts on do you do you know how hard that was where are those at shatner ripped his and pine kept his and walked out with it yep oh you you can't you can't get anything. Whitney, where's my protein shake? Where is my smoothie, Whitney? I asked for a smoothie before I sat down to record these spots that are obviously wrong. Where is my smoothie? Well, Brent, I hate to tell you, but uh, the smoothie is something you're going to have to get for yourself, buddy, because uh, I'm out of here. See ya. Bye. Done. As in fini. As in notebook slam that I don't have. Whoa. Notebook slam. See you, buddy. Bye. Well, that's different. <laughs> Man, I really, in retrospect, I really should have, really should have swung that notebook. I, I let myself down on the notebook swing. I, I had that backwards. We inverted it, and you quit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That was awesome, man. Oh my god. In my best production production voice, you know. It sounded what what was I talking to? Like a solo cup or what? I think actually you just cut you were like like you were in the booth. You were just covering your mouth. Yeah, like I was in a production booth. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Oh my yeah, I'd that (laughs) I don't know what to tell you, Brent. Production's hard work. (laughs) I pulled these And I was like, because I'd asked about the production. Where did those photos go? Yeah. And you answered me as to what they did with the T-shirts. Yeah. Not, I didn't ask about the T-shirts, Whitney. <laughs> see, uh, that's also See, that's all part of it, man. Oh. Yeah. So, so, all right. So, let me back this up. Yep. Here's this one. I know I raged quick. <laughs> I forgot how that went in. Okay, let it and, roll. Oh, and I'll mention this. For for those that, that don't know, actually somebody that a- approached me not long after we aired that, and they said, is that based in? I said, there is a, if you Google or YouTube, uh, like 
Casey Kasem mm-hmm. breaks down. Yeah. Yep. And I don't know if it was actually Casey. Or if it was somebody that could just imitate Casey's voice. It sounded like Casey Kasem yeah. breaking down is what it did. Yeah, it yes. does. It does. And there's a little language in it, and it's <laughs> but it is funny. Yeah. It's, oh, it's loosely good. based in, in yeah. that. Yeah. So all right. So uh speaking of rage quitting while we're still on tropes, here let's let's run this one. Whitney, I'm gonna keep our mics up. So all right. ready? Yep. Oh, hold, hold on, wait a minute. That's I already screwed up. I, I muted my PC bag out. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Whitney. And Brent. From the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast. We'd like to take a moment to congratulate a key member of the pinball community and a fellow podcaster concerning their recent announcement. That's right, Whitney. We would like to congratulate the fine folks at Spokey Pinball. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold, hold on, Brent. I think you read the name wrong. That's right, Whitney. We'd like to congratulate the fine folks at Speaky Pinball. That, on it, what, no, 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 Brent. Whoa, whoa. Give it another try. We would like to congratulate the fine folks at Speedy Pinball. <laughs> Brent, strike three. At Splash Pinball. <laughs> I mean, son of a bitch. Brent, no, not even close. Spinner Pinball. Son of a bitch. Seriously, dude, are you even reading the copy? Spoon Pinball. Spaced Pinball. Spam Pinball. Spit pinball. What the fuck? <laughs> really? Spit pinball? A tangerine on a unicycle coin pusher and redemption equipment. Now you're just being silly. Dude, seriously. <laughs> what, what is this even about? Have you, have you read the rest of this? Rob Zombie? I don't even know what that's about. This is just <laughs> How do you make a pinball about stealing from a zombie? What can you do? Shoot the loop to get some brains. I mean, brains. What does a zombie have that I want? That is not a theme that's going to sell. They did a great job with that America's Most Whatever thing. They made their own theme. That was awesome. They made their own backstory. Just, you, just, you just can't stick two words together and say, that's a theme. Look, it worked back in the day. Future Spy. That's awesome. Those days are gone. There will never be another hard body. You're not going to do it. This is just silliness. Original themes are nice, but you've got to have something to hang your hat on. How else would you expect to rival something like a Maverick? Why not a band? Music is hot right now. Everybody knows that. Stealing from a zombie, Rob Zombie. What in the world is that about? Do you realize the hole that you just dug, right? I just, I, I'm done. I'm out. I quit. I'm off. <sighs> Guys, all I can do is apologize and say that the Broken Token Podcast would like to congratulate the fine folks at Spooky Pinball on the announcement of their second game, Rob Zombie Spook Show. We wish the best for Charlie, KT, Bug, Squirrel, and all the minions. We're sure the game will be just as much of a success as America's Most Haunted. So check out SpookyPinball.com for game details and to find the Spooky Pinball Podcast. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Stealing from a zombie. (laughs) We rob zombie. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's the gift that keeps on giving. It's not not Rob Zombie. No. no. (laughs) A zombie. Yeah. When you were reading that out, there was a little... We did that in one take. One take. Yes, correct. And there was was just... If if you listen to it really close, there's just one microsecond where you almost lost it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I guess... Yeah, because... And I heard it. Yeah. I heard it here again where I just ever so slightly started... I I started a chuckle and pulled it back is what I did. Yes. Ever so slightly. Yes. Oh, Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. The good old days. That's it. Oh. So, on to our list of, of, of tropes. Yes. 
Um, <laughs> Casey Rolford is dead to me. <laughs> Still? Still, really? Oh, absolutely. Okay, fair enough. I mean, you know. I, Every I'm, once in a while, doesn't he check in with you to make sure he's still dead to me? He does, yeah. Because yeah, I won't answer him because, yeah. I mean, he's dead. He's dead to yeah, me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, I, I would not get in the middle of a good trope. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to step in front of all that. But, yeah, yes. I guess what? That comes in as number five. Man, that's actually pretty strong placement on the list, isn't it? Dang, Ca- well, Casey, Casey represents. He, I mean, it's. He's been dead to me for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. Me. Next yes. is here. I'm Nick Baldridge, and this is a Nippet Alert. I'm Nick Baldridge, and this is a Nippet Alert. <laughs> so, <laughs> Nippet was, uh, for those that don't know, it's an electromechanical pinball that uh, I just fell in love with. And Nick is the resident electromechanical wizard. Uh, so th- what, what started it, we, we talked about it on the show all the time, nip it, nip it. I'm looking what mine and yeah, nip it. Yeah. And it just all, it kept coming up and Nick would text me if one was available, like within three or four hours of me. Nick isn't doesn't live in this area. Oh no, no, no. He's, he's at least what he's a state away. So. And, and so I'm like, I, I, I'm like, are you just always looking for games? Are you looking for a game for me? Are you, uh, are you trying to pull me over to the electromechanical dark side? What are we doing here? Yeah, yeah. And so that morphed into one of the shows. I had I had asked Nick to record those, and the culmination was a show where he would randomly issue a nip at alert, and then we had some additional sound effects of. We had what Whitney? We had it coming in on a teletype. Oh yeah. We had oh, yeah. birds. Yeah. We had just four or five different methods, and I had we had sound effects to go along with it, and then the game would be located in some. I, I literally looked at a map, in this surrounding area in this state, and like through Tennessee and in uh, uh, Indiana, and I pulled out more comical names, and I think the best one was. Gnawbone, Kentucky. <laughs> it's Gnawbone, Kentucky. Oh yeah, and, and remember we were—I mean, we were even looking at like restaurants, and we had oh, people yeah. write in about the sandwiches that were available at, at yes. those at those diners and stuff like that. It was awesome. We actually had a listener uh-huh. in Gnawbone, in Gnawbone, in Gnawbone <laughs> Kentucky. Yeah, that's exactly it's right. That... It's, 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 <laughs> it's oh hilarious. my gosh, that hilarious. So yeah, I, and you know to kind of circle that around is I did eventually get a nip it. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah, yeah. I still Pro- have a nip it. Probably one of the greatest EM games I've ever played. Quite honestly, of of all. So, so. Whitney, wanna, what is number three in our <laughs> list of show tropes? Well, it, it goes back to uh, a love that we that we both hold near and dear to our hearts, uh, which is Star Trek. And, uh, I mean, we've talked about Star Trek so many times on this show and what it's meant to us growing up and as we watched it and the original series and TNG and Deep Space Nine and Enterprise and it just, just a Voyager and everything, just uh, all, running all through the series. And for, and for whatever reason, we started started having this sidebar discussion around who was the best captain. Was it Kirk or Picard? Well, we settled that. It's Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. 
<laughs> why it was even a discussion. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, but oh my goodness, it just uh, it took on a life of its own, and even to the point to where we would be we'd be texting each other pictures of, uh, of Picard and <laughs> and Kirk. It just all oh, just all kinds of funny, Bye. all just kind of funny, funny stuff. T- TNG yeah. fans will know that there's it, and it it fit with the time and I guess what they think they thought the future was going to look like yes. you know because yeah. there's always that struggle of trying to project the future from from the present from the present yes definitely but uh, let's just say that the wardrobe for some of Picard's loungewear yeah <laughs> it, it was interesting it, 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 it wasn't complimentary to the uh it wasn't complimentary to the psyche that, that he was portraying was it no no so not at all with that whitney i'd like to give you this gem oh from episode 45 oh excellent let's My, hear it mics will be hot all right hey so dude before we kind of get started i want to ask you did did you see Star Trek Beyond yet? Oh, man. Heck yeah, I saw Star Trek Beyond. It was sweet. That, man, it was awesome. It was awesome. What about J.J. Abrams? I mean, is he not the bomb or what? I mean, I loved the first two movies of the reboot. This one easily solidifies itself mm-hmm. as as being as solid as either the first two it just made me fall in love with star trek all over again and i am one of the hugest track i'm one of the hugest closet trackies on the face of this you know earth. i think i think honestly i mean i grew up <laughs> i grew here, up in that star wars generation but i think i would go star trek star trek is way better than star over wars star dude. wars oh yeah i mean there's it, just so much content out there there's so much there's so many different storylines you know, you know, the good thing is nobody's ready. listening to this so i can be as political as i need to be star star trek rules over star I, wars I, dude i do I've, yeah I've, i like star trek and yes when but to tie those together i like the first two new star trek movies so much i, I was kind of heartbroken when i knew abrams wasn't doing the third but yeah. he was doing the force awakens yes and i figured okay I know there's going to be some wrench wash and repeat type stuff. And, you know, there's surely going to be some nods to the past. Yeah. But I really like his style. Yeah. And, oh, I and too. how thorough he is. So I, he's, I, I was. He's very deliberate. Yes. And, and yes. he's very respectful at the mm-hmm. same time. And I do like that. <laughs> so the the new movie. Yeah. It's, new, it's it's awesome. Yeah. 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 But, but dude, it brings up the age old question. Though. <laughs> I mean, we, you can't we talk. I, I we, cannot, we, we cannot uh, enter into any Star is. Trek discussion without without talking this through. I know where this is which, going. Which yeah. captain do you think is better? Kirk or Picard? Dude. I mean, there's. There's no question. It's Kirk. No, I mean, I am Kirk all the way. Now, okay, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. Look. I'm with you, but I'm not. The soft set. Okay, because. <laughs> that I doesn't grew, make any sense. So just hang tight here. Hang tight. I'll get, I'll get there. This is pretty cut and dry. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. This is, this is an onion that has many layers deep, but, but I do have an answer. Really? I grew up on the original series, and I love TNG, and I love both the captains, but dude, I'm Picard all the way. Seriously? Really? Yes. Picard. Picard. But, but Kirk is like, he is hanging in there so, so close, but after looking at everything, I think I have to go. To, I think I have to go, Picard. Seriously, I j- just even his storyline. It just tip in the new movies. It typifies Kirk. I mean, the dude will rescue you. He will put his life on the line for you. But I mean, when it comes down to it, he will stand up and he will beam himself down. He will get in the middle of it. Yeah, well, this- he will get in the line of fire and fight. He'll win it. 
and at the end he's taking the check <laughs> well you know he's like 007 in space I, I get that but what, the only thing I've never really understood is he has a, com, a ship's complement of 430 people yet he uses only two of them you know so, that is, that right, is well, a good yeah. point yeah I know that it okay like yeah why is the captain got his nose and everything why, why, is, but, it, why is it up to the captain it, it, to do it all he's the man though. he is the man you know he's yeah. like uh, we're beaming down we're going to take the, the four red shirts so they're going to die yeah. And we're going to take me and a couple other people, and this is going to work. And this is going to work. But that's that's the character that is Kirk. Yeah, it's true. But you know, son, you gotta you gotta hand it to Picard because man, dude, Picard did escape the. Bo- I mean, he he defeated and escaped the Borg. Really, it, the Borg. So what? <laughs> I can't believe. Well, I, mean, I, I can't believe. You. No, 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 no. no really, do, dude, do not guy, do not demean his accomplishments. Picard, this is the same guy that sits around oh, oh, you're, in, you're a, not, in a bathrobe you know, you playing a no. flute in a Jeffrey's tube. You had to mi- no, you mentioned a Jeffrey's tube, dude. Seriously, <laughs> he he found the perfect place in the Enterprise where that flute sounded great, and he sat there and played it. <laughs> Okay. Uh, uh, do you what was the Do you remember the Tanagra episode thing where he was beamed down on like this yeah. camping trip with some yeah, alien horrible, and they talked in poetry? Yeah, yeah. I'm t- that was trip. not the fine. That was not TNG's finest hour. Yeah. I'm <laughs> that. Yes. <laughs> really, Picard? <laughs> what did Kirk do in a situation like that? He built a freaking cannon out of a piece of bamboo and some stuff he found on the surface, and he made his way. But that is you true. did see the episode where Kirk just, he was down on a planet much like Earth, and he talked all gangster style in the car. Every time he got in a car, what did he do? He drove it in reverse, you know? I mean, there, there's the yin he, and the yang to he, all this. He made the best of what he was, he was in it. He made the best of his surroundings. Oh, okay. All right. Well, here's one thing I will say. Now, now Picard has got a lot going for him because he is the ultimate smooth operator when it comes to mediation. Okay, you got to hand it to him. Mediation. He, medi- I mean, he, just, he, Kirk he mediates his own way. He, he does. I mean, did, he does. Do you remember the episode? He got in a, in one of the episodes. He gets in a knife fight, a knife fight with his best friend on his best friend's home planet. Yeah, and they all manage to walk out of it alive. That's true. That, that's true. Uh, so, but Spock wasn't really in his proper mind when that was going on. Still, you know? though, that's mediation. I mean, that's like <laughs> fair enough. More of but, but if you think about it, Picard. Okay, so Picard meets. Okay, he's he survived, and he, and I would even go so far as to say he befriends the most powerful life force in in the known galaxy. Q. And I, you, oh, know, my, what, you dude, know what? I'll even that was, say I'll even say that Q actually loves <laughs> oh, Picard. I, you know what? There. I don't even get this. I, I, I mean, I feel like I, I don't know you. you. No, no. He really? Lo- he loves Picard. Q, yeah. Q, that character was like the silliest thing of all. <laughs> Let's just have the most dude, powerful being. And then Picard, really? Dude, don't, don't, don't insult. Don't just, if you're going to go this far, you're going to insult like Star Trek. Like, it's like these last me. few shows. It's like, I don't even freaking know you anymore. Uh, this is all you face haven't palm. seen all these where's, movies. Where's my Picard face palm at? I, I'm I need done. To mean. This is it. I'm, uh, the, the 45 was done. I'm it. Bye. Out. I forgot, I forgot I Kirk! Kirk! You realize I'm still in your house and I don't have to leave. Now, you know the great thing about this? You're still going to come back. <laughs> Posture all you want. Posture. You're still going to come back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, I think I hear something. Is that the sound of Brent returning? <laughs> I think that's the sound of Brent returning. What, is it? I so hate you. <laughs> in the end, I still win. 
<laughs> oh, dude, I'd forgotten all about that. Oh, oh. I think is, we did that. We did that in a take too. Yeah, we yeah, did that. I think hot. we did that. Pretty we did that much, live. Pretty much hot. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Oh, oh my gosh. That is solid. To, uh, to to get to hear that again. That's that's awesome. So yeah, that was an episode forty five, and uh, uh, the the nip that I forgot was in fifty. Along with uh, the Casey Kasem episode. Okay. So the Casey Kasem. Uh, Now you can reach into the trope of the Tempest. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Check out Tempest. You know how the lock works. You've opened it ten thousand times. Yeah. It. I had to. I had to get the key all the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) He's reached into the into the Tempest. He's locking the Tempest. I I am. I am. uh, Yeah. I'm. I'm a good house guest. I did lock it back. So let's see what we got here. Uh oh. <clears throat> oh my gosh. Oh, this is hilarious. <laughs> it's a Jean Luc Picard eight inch action figure <laughs> with with fourteen point articulation. Uh, uh, Brent, I will. Uh, uh, yeah, this is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I thought you'd enjoy oh, that. Yes. Yes. Very. I, you know. Very much so. I couldn't. Uh, I would have gotten you a Kirk one, <laughs> but all the Kirk cards were just hanging there because all the Kirk action figures busted out. <laughs> they busted out. There's only pieces of his yeah. shirt hanging yeah, on, yeah, hanging off it. the bottom of it. Yeah. Bust, busted uh, uh, busted hang cards and little bits of tattered shirt. That's what that's all the that's, that's all the Kirk ones. Oh man, that that's that's uh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Oh. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. I didn't even know that they made these. Thought you'd enjoy oh, that. Oh yes. Oh there's data in Q as well. Oh, that is cool. <laughs> How about that? I'm going to set that right next to the Golden Girl Sock Collection. <laughs> He's making it like a bandit. Oh, this is great. Uh, number two. Oh, yeah. The trope, yeah. Num- the second, uh, I, I don't know, if, I, I guess this is almost kind of ranked Oh yeah. in order, I oh, would guess yeah, here. But I, I, I feel like it is. Number yeah. two is uh, my strong opinion concerning Donkey Kong. No, only the greatest game ever made. Well, Donkey Kong, yes. Uh, says one of us. <laughs> <laughs> Knows one of us, yes. My, uh... What? <laughs> I mean, I Dislike guess I, is a strong word that I'm going to use. Oh, okay, is, fair enough. Is known okay, for Donkey yeah. Kong. Yeah, I just yeah. don't... It just, it just doesn't speak to you, I, does it? doesn't it? speak to me. Interesting. I, I, yeah. I go as far as saying I really don't care. Yeah. Well, I just don't. It, it's man, that is. That, but it's wild because that game made such such an impression on me in the arcade that my mom would take my brother and I to. That I mean, even to this day, I can remember the first time I played that game in the arcade, and from and from that point on, I immediately identify all video games through Donkey Kong. I do. I just do. And, and, I, and I always will. So we've talked about this uh, through the history of the show where you, you grew up in out, outside of the city. In more, oh, yeah, a yeah. Rural, a, a, rural, a rural area. A very rural I always area. have a hard time with that yeah. word, rural area. Yeah. I grew up in Louisville. So Louisville's not a huge, huge city by like the standards of like Atlanta or Nashville or definitely not some cities that are further out west. But it's it's the biggest in the state and mm-hmm. it's the largest for quite a while until you get up to like Indy, yeah. you know, going oh, north yeah. and yeah. Yeah. I guess Nashville going south. Yeah. And we had games everywhere. I mean, 
everywhere. Yeah. We had dedicated arcades. We had uh, chain arcades. We had local mom and pop arcades. We had um, we had games in every corner in convenience stores. You'd walk into bowling alleys, and, and a lot of these games, honestly, as I found out years later, they belonged to Jimmy. Yeah, isn't that wild? Yeah, there was a couple other other operators here in town, uh, but Jimmy had the bulk the bulk yeah, you know yeah. and uh, um i mean i'd walk into a bowling alley and as far as my little eyes could see was 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 the row of arcade games in the front door along the main hallway and then the bowling lanes were way down you know i mean i i played my first laser disc games like mock three at a bowling alley yeah. right there in a corner yeah you know yeah. and i don't and, and all of that i mean i remember major havoc in a pizza in a pizza joint <laughs> see that's amazing and yeah. you know right around the corner they they still had carnival which yeah. was a much older game major havoc's over here yeah i don't ever remember seeing a donkey Kong. see that that's that's amazing because um i mean as you noted i mean i grew up in a very rural area and yeah. so i would only get to an arcade on a weekend and uh, there was one arcade in Frankfort, Kentucky, uh, the Galaxy of Games, and then my mom would drop us there while she would shop, and then I would then I would I would get exposure to some arcade games in some convenience stores mm-hmm. and department stores, but most of mine most of my exposure was in the Galaxy of Games and whatever they had, and I I, I just I do I remember the first time I walked in that place. Uh, I remember the first game that I played was Donkey Kong, and it it hooked me right then. The, the game hooked me, and the the it just, game. It's just always been that way. The games that I have deep impressions of now that I think about it were games that were basically one off in a venue where I had an opportunity just to focus on it, uh-huh, yeah. and I can tell you exactly where i was the first time i played gorf and the gorf was the only game in that little restaurant yeah and which was unusual at the time and maybe that was it because it being the only game made it stand out versus i've got 10 to choose from or 20 to choose from yeah you know the same thing with time pilot and uh the same thing with frogger i really like frogger and i like time pilot and i really like gorf and those all have a now that I think through it, those all have a very similar story for me in terms of I was in a position where it was just I had an opportunity to play just that game and focus on it, yeah, and, yeah. and not be thinking about the next well, I'll, I'll play this when it's available, and that you know, yeah, just going in the crowd. It, I, I will, I mean, I'll agree, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that because I mean, I experienced much the same thing in the fact that that my that. My games were just different titles, but still equally as uh, equally as is um, e- equally as is impressive when mm-hmm. it came when it came to the 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 effect that they had on 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 your psyche on yep. the psyche of what you equated video games to. So yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, so yeah, I, I know there's some strong opinions on Donkey Kong on on this on the show, and it's I mean it's it's been funny though because I mean we've gotten we've gotten some good comical mileage out of and, it, and but I'm, I'm hoping that people understand that it's I don't, I don't I'm not a fan of it, which yeah. is fine. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But it's it's 
it's it's it's to add a little it's to add a little comedy it's to add a little levity to things yeah no doubt about it because i mean it's it to get a little laugh and to get that reaction to get that little reaction out of you and get that smile out of you and then then, oh but man oh do i love that game oh do i love that game but yes (laughs) well that makes one of us (laughs) see like that fair enough fair enough so whitney we're, we're give us, here at number give one. Give us the number one. And I think people, listeners of the show, is going to know what it is. Uh, it, can be, it. it can be nothing other. Fire power. Fire power. That's it. That was, uh, I'd say, the first trope of the show that has kind of lived on. And even, I mean, uh, if you look up on top of my high speed, I have a... I guess a plushie, you would say, that was handmade oh, yeah. by Sharon oh, O'Shea, Sharon O'Shea. for me. Yeah. And it's a flipper. It's like a it's a it's made of cloth and it's it's stuffed like a like a plush animal, but it's not fuzzy. And it's a pinball flipper and it says fire par on it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's so it's good they, stuff. we've had t shirts made for us yeah. and oh, signs yeah. and everything. And, um, and, you know, and and uh and Sharon, God love her, she made me a Donkey Kong barrel. And it's oh, just, yeah. yeah, I mean, so she, she made that for you and she made a Donkey Kong barrel for me and, and my, and, and the Donkey Kong barrel that she made sits on top of my Donkey Kong right now. You go it, right down to my game room. It's there. I think if you Th- think, thank you, Sharon, <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it, I guess it kind of sums us up because we've talked about our roots and we're yeah. Southern and oh, yeah. we're from Kentucky and we've got our accents and we it's who we are. It's part of who we are. Oh yeah, yeah. And that is kind of that kind of typifies. <laughs> yeah, us. It, do, it does. It, it really in, does. In, 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 I guess you'd call fire power a word. Yeah, I guess. I guess you know it's <laughs> it's a made up word, but it's a word. It's a word. It's a word. Yeah. So oh, there man. you have. Our top, uh, our top show, eleven show tropes. Show tropes, yes. <laughs> and I'm sure we forgot some. episodes. And the great thing about it is, uh, you know, over future episodes, we'll continue them and hopefully make new ones. You know, so it's it's, it's cool. But to reflect on it, well, it's pretty hilarious what's risen to the top. I've got one more soundbite I pulled from episode 53, and it kind of plays in that southern. This is our accent. This is kind of just who we are and where we're from vain and it also touches on a couple <laughs> at least another one of the show tropes oh, let's see oh let's hear it then so let me uh let me get it queued up here so let me make sure i'm off mute all right so like i said this came out of episode 53 okay brent you ready to do this man i guess um are you sure because you know how this went the last time. I'm shaking my head. I am giving it second thought, but nah, it's it's good, man. Go 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 ahead and go for it. Okay. The Broken Token Classic Arcade Pinball Pot. Nope. Hold on. All right. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. It's fine. I don't know, man. This is touchy because I, me and you. Okay. I've got faith in you. You can you can do it. Okay. The Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast would like to congratulate Spooky Pinball on the announcement of their latest title, Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper? It wasn't, wasn't she the waitress from that 70s and 80s TV show, Alice? 
My goodness, Brent. I can't believe this. No, Brent, that was Alice Hyatt. She was played by Linda Lavin. I can get you Wikipedia if you want to go look it up. Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. I know we're seeing a lot of these TV-based games and the like, and I really kind of thought Alice was a bridge too far. I mean, I really liked the show, but I was like, Alice is a pinball game? Uh, oh, but you know, hey, dude, you know what would be really cool? What's that? A game featuring that robot made from the Jetsons. Oh, you know, she was the glue that <laughs> held that whole show together. It was all about her. Not that the Jetsons would be a good overall theme. I mean, just I can't imagine making that into a pinball game. Uh, Brent, what? Hold up, Brent. Hold up. Just back up for a second. <laughs> You're talking. You're talking about Rosie. Uh, Alice was the name of the housekeeper on the Brady Bunch. Rosie was the robot on the Jetsons. Now, I, you look, got, you got to keep your facts straight. Now, here. there is a theme for a game: the Brady Bunch. You can play as mom and dad. You collect the kids. You got to keep Cindy out of trouble because you know everybody knows that Cindy was really true evil. I mean, evil incarnate, right? What, what, what on what on the God's green earth are you talking about, man? I, I'm talking about Alice Chalmers that. Game Spooky is doing. Brent, whoa, 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 Brent. Alice Chalmers is a tractor, dude. It's not even spelled the same. I, I, I don't know. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Brent, just, just drink the smoothie. Calm down. Brent, yoga breaths. Take yoga breaths. Dude, just sit there and drink the smoothie, okay? All right. So, anyway, we're going to end this now. The Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast would like to congratulate Spooky Pinball on the announcement of their new game, Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. Check out their site at www.spookypinball.com for the latest news on the game, as well as the Spooky Pinball Podcast. We wish the best to Charlie, KT, Bug, Squirrel, and the entire Spooky crew. Are you happy? (laughs) Beyond belief. Oh, that is awesome. We need to do more of those for Spooky because, I mean, that's that's just, that's good material is what that is. And and at the time, they had done uh, the Jetsons. Jetsons. Yes, exactly. So that's how that got all woven in. Yeah, and you know something? It's almost like I realized that all over again while we were listening to it. I was like, oh, yeah, the Jetsons, yeah. Oh my goodness! There's lay like an onion. There's layers there's, in there. There's layers upon layers in there. Oh, that's that is hilarious, man. Yeah, we need to contact Charlie. Make sure he's good with it, and then we need to roll a few more of those. Cause oh well, that, that's I, solid stuff. I don't think we ever we never contacted him for those. Oh, that's that's <laughs> yeah, true. That's did. true. We didn't, did we? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good so, point. So yeah, that was like I said, that was episode fifty three, and there's. There's other examples through the shows yeah. where we've done stuff like that. Oh, and yeah. I, I, we, could, we could sit here all night and play those. Yeah, but. yeah. Good, good, good stuff. Ugh. Oh, man. Well, let's see, Brent. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this much. I think we're at a point where uh, looking forward is probably equally as important as looking back. And here for this uh, last segment of, uh, of show number 100 here, uh, let's spend a few minutes and talk about just uh, some ideas on yeah, if you had if you had 
everything lined up exactly the way that you want it, wh- where would you see the show going over well, the next hundred episodes? What, or the next, yeah, the next, I, I said that correctly, the next 100 episodes. What what would you like to see happen? So before we like get to do? too deep, yeah. we, we chatted a little bit about, and we've done this, and it, I know we dropped it because it seemed a little cliche about favorite games and 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 the like. But I did, and I know we're having some. Um, I mean, this after a hundred episodes, you'd think we'd have show notes straightened out. <laughs> Technology is just wonderful. Yeah, I did make up a list of my ten least favorite games. Oh, or a, a, a list uh, my top 10. Yeah, least so, least favorite games. And, and yeah. what I did is uh actually I just saw shot it to you in text and if you just want to take a peek at it and let the listeners know what's on my <laughs> top 10. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is uh, that's that's hilarious. Cuz it just happens to work out. Oh, it that worked 10 out letters. perfectly. Oh. <laughs> Number 10 was D, number 9 was O, number 8 was N, number 7 was K. I think we see where this is going. You see where this is going. Um, yeah, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> when, I, when I realized it was 10 letters of Donkey Kong, I was like, oh, yes, we're doing uh, this. Touche. I will give you... I'm gonna give you mad props on that. <laughs> I may, and really, I did it just to see the look on his face. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's awesome! All right, so it's uh, you, you asked where where I see us going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and I think this is equally as yeah. important to talk about because ev- everything has to evolve a little. Everything bit. has to evolve and, a little bit, a little bit. So, yeah. so here here's the thing. I knew this. This is the first thing that entered my mind when we talked about when we talked about the future. Whenever I'm listening to a show that I'm really into, and uh, all of a sudden, one day you get hit with a hockey stick, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. which is funny enough because there's like no hockey. And I mean, there's some hockey, but it's Kentucky. Yeah. You know, we don't have hockey. We don't have hockey sticks. So yeah. you get hit up the side of the head with a hockey stick when you when you play the latest episode and they reveal a format change. And it's like, what just happened? And and on top of that, why? Why? Yeah. And, and that's it. And. So I don't want people to think that this conversation is a sudden reveal to a format change. The direction I see the show going has, we've actually already been down that road for well over a year. And that is, that is introduction of content that includes consoles, retro consoles, and uh, retro home computing. Yeah. And yep. if you, if you think about it, We've talked quite a bit about the 2600. Uh, I've done quite a bit of stuff on Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were not talking recently about ColecoVision. Yeah. We've touched on Commodore. Yeah. yeah so, right. um, and, and the astute listener may also notice that for probably the last six or eight episodes, we're really kind of coming in with the Broken Token um, Classic Gaming podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we've already kind of we're kind of already moving that direction. We're we're widening the net a little, making a bigger, slightly bigger tent. Yeah. But we also, you know, in my mind, we're not going to. You've already seen the change, at least that I envision us kind of 
more embracing. Yeah, no, you that, know? that's that's very fair, and and I think that uh, number one, I, I think it's I think it's due. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we have talked a lot, a lot about classic arcade gaming, and in no way, shape, or form does that represent a departure from that aspect of the hobby. But I, I do agree that focusing or at least devoting some airtime to classic consoles and classic computing, I do believe it rounds out the the entirety of of, of this hobby, per se. Because you know, it's funny, I was talking to Alex about this just a couple of days, that if you, know, if you look at gaming as a whole, I mean, it's, it's more than just arcades. It's more than just pinball, and it's more than just consoles. It's it, it's really the the bridge that all of them create together is what it is. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to digging more into that direction as we go, and yet still staying true to everything that that we've brought along with us. So. I, I've talked about on the show multiple times, like in, in my Genesis story or my um, not Genesis story, my um, what is the term? I'm if you're if you're if you're investigating the backstory of a character, it's it's their uh, origin story. It's their origin. Yeah. yeah. My origin story here, it all started. And, and I've, now that I think about it, I talked about it on this show, oh, yeah. this particular show. Yeah. It started with Atari's mm-hmm. and it started with that one. Me too. Heavy sixer that I got at a yard sale. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it started a cascade and made me think and then led me to start getting arcade games under the premise of actually learning more about electronics. Yeah. But it, it, it's what brought it. Overall, it brought it in focus for me. Yeah, I will wholeheartedly agree. Um, it was, for me, my exposure to the arcade scene is what started my inter- my lifelong love and interest in electronics and computers. And then the Atari followed directly mm-hmm. after that, directly after that. Because I think once my parents saw that I took to the arcade gaming side of it, then the purchase of an Atari was then justified. And that just fueled the fire, and it went on from there. But they, they were they were hand-in-hand hand with each other, hand-in-hand. Hand. Yeah. I, I think, Whitney, I think it's fair to say we've had more listeners than I can imagine come up to think about, name, come up to us at shows. And if we've mentioned something console-related, Atari, Vectrex, whatever, mm-hmm. they've all got... The, they, they're almost everybody with few exceptions because there are some diehards yeah. that are in their genre but most everybody is in the same position we are in that uh it's it's a complimentary collection that is exactly right and and we want the show to reflect that reality is what we want so i think if anything brent that's a i, I think that's a, a fantastic segue to to what we'll see the show continue to evolve uh, the line that we'll see the show continue to evolve along so i mean winnie did you have any any points or well i think if there's anything that i would like me to, quitting no 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 i think if there's anything that i would that i would bring up it, it, it's in it, this is a retrospective future address point is what this is and it would be uh, a way to find out how to scale a little bit. 
because right now it is just me and you and and it it really always has been whether that's contributing to facebook content or contributing to you know replying to messages or twitter or whatever it may be um you know as the social media platforms evolve and and everything along those lines i mean i would like to find a way to keep our engagement fresh and to reach more listeners in between the shows and you know i don't know that facebook is always going to be that that vehicle and i don't honestly i don't feel like it is and and i'm and i am truly racking my brain to to determine what to invest time in next is it discord is it something else and I mean, maybe at some point we uh, you know, we we get someone who would who would be willing to do some social media work for us or, or something like that, just to just to help us keep some of the some some of the 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 the, the pinging in between the shows, mm-hmm. keep keep it alive and keep it going because right now it does fall on us. And I, I mean, I think we've done an okay job, but. I would like to see us do a better job in that regard of pushing more content in between the shows and things like that. So if anything, from, from, from an evolution standpoint, that that's where I would like to see us make some improvements along that line. And then, and then the only other thing is uh, just, just an e-commerce site off the website, just for show merchandise, just to help support that growth. I mean, realistically, I don't want to break something that's not broken and I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, put a stick in and stir the pot just for the sake of, Oh, we've got to change something. Yep. This is just evolutionary items. That, that, that's all it is. And that's kind of why I highlighted Whitney that anything that would change in the show has really actually already changed. Yeah. From a content perspective, a hundred percent agree. Yes. And, uh, I would be willing to bet a lot of people out there already realized it. Uh, and if they didn't, uh, they just now did because, it was seamless and it was pointed out. Yeah. That, well, yeah. yeah, they have been doing that yeah, for a exa- long time. Exactly. And honestly, exactly. we did it without realizing we were doing it <laughs> yeah. because that's just where some it, of the interest went. That's where the interest went. That, yeah. To to use the word again, that's where it evolved to. Yeah. Exactly. And, exactly. You know, I'm I'm thinking. You know, this just popped to mind. I'm thinking of uh, uh, you know the expos we attend. Every expo, without exception is more than just arcade and pinball. Oh yeah. Yeah. LAX has has always had from the, the from day 1 strong console and home computer. Uh yep. SFGE has had um some console and home computer in a smaller space, but they've had board games. Yeah, oh yeah. They've been massive into board games for years. Yeah. That's been a big that so it's not just arcade and pinball and then you look at uh and you look at Atlanta uh, not Atlanta, excuse me, you look at Nashville and, and what uh, Grand Ole Game Room Expo of the past, and it it has arcade and pinball, and it has had just as much... Console. Console. Oh, yeah, if, and, if not... <laughs> oh, yeah. If not more, if not potentially more. I yes. mean, just... And not just, well, here's an Atari 2600. I mean, David, kind of like LAX... He has them all. He has everything. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, Atlanta may have more than I know. I just haven't spent a lot of time in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, that's just where where the interest, the listenership and just the community has has gone or was already there. Exa- exactly. Exactly. And, and so, 
I mean, Facebook is this 1,000 pound gorilla. It's hard to it's hard to escape just because of it's so ubiquitous. It's, at this it's point. just so ubiquitous at this point. But I'm telling you, I don't like I don't like the one sided nature of it. I would much rather have uh, a more discussion oriented platform. Mm-hmm that you can actually search and find stuff yeah. on uh, easier I, and lends itself to uh, it lends itself to participation because Facebook is just so hot and cold. You know, it, it, it activity on Facebook revolves 100% around the freshness of a post around the now around the now. And that's and it. I, I'm going to, I'm going to get a little on the, um, I guess the personal side here. I have, I mean, I used, you, you Classically, you really did a lot on the Twitter side because I I never got involved in Twitter, which is unusual because a lot of technical people tend to do a lot of Twitter Twitter yeah. work. There's yeah. a lot of announcements that happen on Twitter. A lot of announcements, yeah. but you know something? I don't even really like that platform either because I, yeah. because it's there's just not. It's just it's just a wash is what it is with with so much content mm-hmm. and singling out anything is is really tough. You're you're making the same argument that you just made for Facebook, yeah. which which I get. And then classically, I would do a lot of the Facebook interactions, but the last couple of years, I have for those very reasons, I I have I have just I, I I have discovered that I don't need Facebook. Yeah, and it is today. It is not unusual for me to go a week, two weeks, and not even open Facebook. Yeah. yeah. And um, part of it is that there's, it's just so awash and stuff. It's so awash in the now. Um, I, I've mentioned this on the show before. I've said that a thousand times on this show. A perfect example of what the point you just made is uh, Scott on Retro Gaming Roundup, and he was talking about someone that had come to Facebook because it is the, would you say, a thousand, eight hundred pound gorilla in the room? It's a thousand pound gorilla. Thousand yeah. pound gorilla. Yeah. And he had offered a part, a custom part for a car, of kind of a niche car that Scott has for sale. Scott buys it. Well, he goes to install it six months later. The instructions were posted on Facebook. Oh, gone. Gone. The guy that posted it that made the part uh-huh. couldn't find it. Yeah. He had to send he couldn't send Scott a link. He had to end up sending Scott an original a copy of the document. Yeah. And in Facebook And it's just and then in all honesty, it's it's a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. And I just I don't need a lot of us don't need drama anymore. Yeah. So, so with that, I mean, we'll keep Facebook. Yeah. We, we've got to keep Facebook oh, yeah, as, yeah. as a publishing platform. There's no doubt, just because of the the people that are there and you know the the audience that's been built up. I'm letting a lot of my personal opinion on Facebook that is beyond what we're doing here yeah, and what yeah. we do get cloud this. I, I, so make I, sure I, I'm clear on that. I, I, yeah. I understand. I yeah. understand. But but it does not. Um, it does not fall on deaf ears in the fact that there there are better ways to build community and i'm fully aware of wanting fully aware of needing to find a better way to build community that's what i want to see us evolve onto where uh, where where the community is more interactive, uh, it's a, it's a safer place to be, and it's it's organized. You can talk about you can talk about topics and 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 items and, and have discussions mm-hmm. where it is not just a wash in the now. And yep. and, and that that is a personal charge that I want. Uh, 
I've looked a lot at Discord. Uh, there's a lot there that I like, uh, but I still need to do some more some more homework on it and everything like that. But I don't know. Well, when the time's right, that that will make itself known. But I, th- that's where I want to see. That's where I want to see it. I'm, see it evolve. I'm not a, a user of Discord, but mm-hmm. I will note that a lot of the podcasts I listen to, and and most of the podcasts I listen to aren't gaming, and there's not much left. Yeah. I mean, there's retro gaming roundup. Uh huh. Great, great show. And kind of in our space, there's retro gaming roundup. And who's the one we just were talking about? Um, Oh my gosh. Eclectic gamer. Oh, oh, the eclectic gamers podcast. Yeah. That's Dennis and Tony. Yeah. There's listen to those guys every two weeks and, uh, us. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of in this space and eclectic gamer, uh, there are they do they handle a lot of modern gaming modern, as well. Ga- modern gaming and pinball yeah. is what they focus on. Yes. And then retro gaming roundup, they're deep into they're they're deep in consoles and arcades. Yeah, and, and, if that. And, and most of the stuff that they cover is console kind it's of related. Console so, is mostly console related. Yes. So most of the, where I was going with that is the podcasts I listen to almost are uh, are exclusively not in this space. Yeah. And most of them are, are using Discord to some degree. Yeah, and I'll tell you, the the platform is solid, and it has the feature set. And um, I, I I think I, I think I'm I'm going to be investing some time in looking through it because <laughs> I I would much rather talk to people through a channel like that mm-hmm. and have a discussion than uh, have everything center around just the freshness of a post it just uh it just it, it bothers and, and me it, uh, this recross my mind uh, about facebook while we're picking on facebook I, I get and this might be my my just the way my mind works i get lost in well i got a reply from somebody well how's that nested here oh yeah it's where's just, that at and where's yeah. this no wait a minute that gave me a notice for this but that's my person what first first it is almost among other things as if Facebook is just, okay, well, we're the word perfect mm-hmm. of social media. And we all know what happened to word perfect. Yeah. And they, they, they're just stagnant in terms of the, the development of the actual working. I mean, to try to, while we're off on a rant or Brent's off on a rant, if you post something for sale uh-huh. and then it offers you the opportunity to post it in other locations, they've, that is it's it is unclear as to sometimes i've had issues with editing oh, if yeah. i edit it if i edit one sometimes they'll all change and sometimes, sometimes they won't sometimes i have to edit them individually yeah well if it's giving me the opportunity to post it to 30 forums which happens with all the arcade forums yeah i've had people contact me and i'm like i've actually lowered the price on that because yeah. i'm honest yeah 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 or I'm sorry, I didn't realize that didn't delete. I've tried to delete this thing seven times. Seven times, but I and can't. I, but I can't. I can't find them all. Yeah, I, I, you I know, know. I know. So it's just it's it's like Facebook is a ragtag, and it's 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 more problems than it's worth. It, 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 in really, many levels, in many levels, yeah. it truly is. So, and so there there's going to be there's going to be some there's going to be some movement on that front. There's no doubt about it. But. Uh, but Brent, I, you know, I think we're I think we're at a, at a good point to call 100 uh, in the books. 
Uh, it's been fantastic podcasting with you over the past eight years. I look forward to what the next eight years will bring. I just want to say more thank- Captain Kirk, more cash <laughs> and more donkey Kong. <laughs> I just want to say if to everyone that has listened to us, whether you stuck with us or not, uh, whether, whether you're well, here they didn't stick 100, with us, they ain't hearing this. Well, but you know something, <laughs> they were part of the show yeah. at some point okay. in time. I uh, just want to thank everybody for the support, the friendship, uh, and just, uh, you know, spending your time with us. We, we hope that, uh, we hope that we give you another 100 good episodes to listen to. Well, brother, it has been this, I'm going to say this, it's going to sound like a, a farewell. It's not, it's been a joy. Oh, and I look has. forward to, uh, what, what we're going to do in the future. Yes. Yeah. Likewise. And to everybody else who spent time with us here tonight, we thank you. And until number 101, keep your quarters clean and game on. Hey, hey, everyone, don't turn the episode off just yet because we've got a couple surprises in store for you. If you remember back when Brent and I were talking about our favorite interviews over the past seven to seven and a half years of the show, we noted that the interviews with both David Crane and Jimmy Litzy stood out amongst all the interviews that we've done over the course of the past 100 episodes. Well, we've gone back into the archives and we're going to present both of those interviews here for you at the end of this show for your listening enjoyment and And hey, if I'm really honest with ourselves, it's for our own listening enjoyment as well, because we just love these interviews so much. So sit back, enjoy just a little extra content here and a bonus surprise for hanging with us through the end of 100 episodes. And we thank everybody for listening. So up first, you're going to hear from Jimmy Litzy and Brent as their interview from the Louisville Arcade Expo. And then second, we'll hear uh, an interview with me and David Crane. So again, everybody, thank you for staying with us 100 episodes. We surely hope you stay with us us for 100 more. All right, everybody, welcome. To, this is officially the 2 o'clock panel, Louisville Arcade Expo, and my name is Brent Griffith. I'm with the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast, and then behind the camera is my co-host, Whitney. Whitney, hi. No one can see on camera. Today, we wanted to do a talk with an operator, and then I have with me Mr. Jimmy Litzy of, uh, is, is, what's the proper title of the company? Litzy Equipment and Distributing Company. Talking to the mic. Okay. Litzy Equipment and Distributing Company. <laughs> so what I wanted to do is kind of give a retrospective or a perspective from the operator's point of view. Folks that come to the show are, at this point, collectors. And I, I know a couple years ago, Jimmy, you came to... Expo, I think it was three years ago, and it was your first time in a venue like this. It was the second expo. Okay. It was the second expo that they had here. So, is this? Can everybody hear us? Is it? Do we need any of the mics up or anything? Okay. And I recall kind of looking at you as you walk through the show floor, and it just was a little bit of amazement. That's the way I put it. It was very amazing to see what was going on. I never seen anything like that. Before. <laughs> And, you know, this this gentleman, and we'll get into a little bit of the history and what's behind this, but from your perspective, it's safe to say that all the equipment that's out here, it, you know, here's a pike and a Miss Pike and a, and a Big Guns pinball. This this was just equipment. This was something you used. Way to make money. Just strictly a way to make money. And it was. It, I guess it would be safe to say you didn't realize that this existed, this no, culture I at all. No idea. <laughs> no idea. If I did, I wouldn't have gave everything away. I broke it up and put it in the dumpsters. Oh, <laughs> and that's something we're going to talk about because at the end of the day, and please, please don't hate Mr. Litzy. <laughs> at the end of the day, this, it, 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 let's just be honest, it was equipment and it served a purpose. And we're going to talk a little bit about what happened back in the day when this stuff was, was in the way. So, 
let's talk a little bit about history. Um, when was, when was the, the company started? When was the business started? My father started, he was either 51 or 52, and he incorporated in 58. Okay. And he started with gambling machines. If Basically, back in those days, they were called bingos, the old uh, bingos, 25 hole drops. Uh, that's what he started with. And uh, he started putting, taking them apart. I don't know if you realize how big these machines really were, but he would take them apart and put them in his Model T. And that's how he moved them around the, from bar to bar, tried to go to a bar and talk them into putting it in. That's how he started. I, I believe you told me a story where he actually started with a Turf King, which is yeah, a... one ball Turf King. It, that is a huge piece of equipment. Yes. And he would move it around in a car, and that's, yeah, that's the exactly, way it started. Exactly. And eventually, that rolled itself into larger operating uh, across the city and Cardinal Fund Center. Well, the Cardinal Fund Center was created in uh, 1974 is when we opened it. Um, that's when I graduated from high school. Prior to that, he asked me what I wanted to do. and I told him, I said, I'd like to go to college for a month. <laughs> and he's like, uh, what? And I said, well, I want to go to college, party for a month, and I'll be home. I want to work, I want to work the business. And he said, appreciate you being honest, but nah, ain't happening. <laughs> so and this uh, was your dad? That's my dad. Okay. So uh, we started, uh, he started buying equipment. He says, you got to be willing to work. And I said, let's do it. So we started gathering up equipment. Basically, bottom, is, bottom line is we ran out of room. We had no place to put all this equipment. So we came up, I came up with the idea, it was my idea to start a game room, a place to put the games, store the games, and have people play them, but it's our warehouse. And that's how Cardinal Fun Center started. Started with basically four pool tables and a lot of pinballs. So in, the, in 1974, you didn't really have the was, influx of, of video games. There wasn't. There point. was only the one I talked to you about that I saw. Paid 200 bucks for it. What was it? It was space. What it was, was it? It was computer space. Computer space. So he bought a computer space it for was 200, 200 bucks. For 200 bucks. And and I, uh, well, that game came out in 71. So it was probably a used piece of equipment at yeah, that time. Yeah, it was, and I had to talk him into it. He would, he, he said, no, it's stupid, look at it, you know, and I talked him into it, and then after the first week, pulled the cash box out. The cash box was nothing but a metal gas can, is what was in there, and it was full, and he just said, hmm, and he walked away. That was it. <laughs> so that's how it started. So, and I made a couple notes here. You had mentioned to me that the average cost of a pinball around early 70s was about $600? Right, correct. And in today's money, you know, we talk about the, the cost of equipment. In today's money, uh, that's $2,200. And you talked, you mentioned to me the average price of a video game. Do you remember what we talked about there? It should be, I remember. I, I feel remember, like I'm quizzing so, you, Jimmy. No, I, I, I remember what I sold them for more than I do what we paid for them. Okay. I was selling them for about twenty four ninety five, about the average price. I'm looking at like for Donkey Kongs, Miss Pac-Mans, Defenders, uh, you know, stuff on that order. That's it was about twenty four ninety five was pretty much a set price. So in nineteen eighty two, twenty four ninety five equates to about sixty three hundred dollars today. So that's that's kind of what. A, if you, if you look at it, that's kind of what equipment costs to this day in today's money. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So we talked a little bit about Cardinal Fund Center, and then as that started to expand, you all again needed more space, and that led you to the right. next location. Well, then, then we got to the point to where we didn't have any place to work on anything because it was full of people playing and, and carrying on. So we needed another place. So we went a couple blocks over to where we are right now at 1508 South Seventh Street, and we bought that. It was a uh, grocery store. 
and we bought the grocery store, gutted it, and that was the first time and last time I've ever poured concrete. Now, did you pour concrete in the in the building? Or? Yeah, it had a wood floor. It was. It a, had a wooden floor. It had a wooden floor, and we ripped it all out. And uh, it, it was a grocery store. It was really kind of neat. It was a grocery store, and where the cash register was. When we tore out the wood floor, we found all kinds of silver coins where they had dropped and fell through the wooden floor, and they were just under there, you know, because they couldn't get them. Oh, yeah. Until we ripped the floor out, yeah. So did that pay for the building? No. No. <laughs> no. And then shortly thereafter that, we you had to that. expand again. We, out, we outgrew so that. Now, now we, so you, about two years after Cardinal Fund Center, so that would mm. be about 1976? I don't think it was that long. I think okay. we, I think we bought, I think we bought the other place in a year or so after Cardinal. Okay. Uh, we grew that fast, and then it wasn't much. We're about seventy four, seventy five, about seventy five. So and this is you're still in the height of pinball. Uh, a lot but of pool videos tables. are starting. To, videos are just starting to come a little bit. Just not much. Just a little bit. It seems like, but mainly pinballs and pool tables. And then uh, right next door to ours at fifteen oh eight was the John Marshall School. And we went to the Board of Education. It was all boarded up. Asked them if they wanted to sell it, and they said no. And we said, okay. A couple weeks later, they came back and said, uh, you still interested? And we're like, yeah. So we bought it, and they gave us, they wanted 90 days to get out. And we told them, fine, go ahead. And uh, we contacted them in about 100 days. Nobody had ever showed up, and they said, we're done. And so we went in there, and brand new desk, brand new lockers. Uh, I mentioned to you one time, we counted, there was 2,000 rolls of toilet paper. I think you told me you all had a yard sale, right? Well, we ended up with a big yard sale, sold, <laughs> sold a bunch of lockers to uh, actually South Park Country Club. They were building a new uh, pro shop. They bought all the lockers. Uh, we had printing presses in there, desk. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, I guess the Board of Education, they used it for storage at that exactly. point. Exactly. They were now, using it for storage. This, and this was one of the, the coolest things. I've been in the building, had been in the building several times. What was in the basement? In the basement, back in those days, we were always scared that Russia was going to bomb us or whatever, right? Kind of like today. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and uh, there was uh, dried up biscuits and silver fence water just stored in, in what, what were those, 22-gallon barrels, I think? I, I think it was about 20, 22 gallons. Yeah, 22-gallon barrels stored of just water in cans of silver fence biscuits. Pallets of them in the back corner oh, yeah, of the basement. Pallets. Yeah. I know the school was two story, but do you, do you have any idea of the dimension of it? And, and I want to give folks. It was thirty thousand square feet. It was thirty thousand. Thirty thousand square feet. And, and what I what I want to do is kind of give a an idea of the size of the operation, and and just the, the sheer amount of equipment. You know, because a lot of us we we were on the other side of the game back in the day. You know, we'd see. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> We didn't see what fed that. And right. you know, do you have an idea, Jimmy, as to how large the operation that your family had in terms of the other operators throughout the state, or even I guess the tri-state area, Indiana, Kentucky, you mean like Tennessee, being the biggest. Yeah, the large. We were the biggest in the in the arcade business. Yes, art, video games, whatever. Yes. So, do you have a feel at the height of all the arcades and? Well, I went. I went back through actually yesterday because we talked about this mm -hmm. last Saturday, and I found some old computer records. And I flipped through. I didn't count them all, but I counted one page, and then I timed it by how many pages there was. And my wife was even shocked. It was somewhere around 2,200 locations. Oh wow! 
And, and that's within basically the city of Louisville, or did you go out to um, Lexington? We went, to, we, went to Le we went to Lexington. We were up through uh, Indiana. Uh, the furthest way, I was looking through some sheets, and it looks like it was up in Berea College. I had Berea College. So that was probably the furthest way. And do you have any idea how many pieces you had out? No, because some pieces, it didn't have that. Some places, I had Butchel Fire Department. I looked at that and I saw that and I was like, wow, mutual <laughs> fire department. So, I mean, it, it might have one, it might have, the most I had in any one location I think was 60. Oh, wow. And that was up at Joyland Bowen Alley. Um, I had 60 pieces there. But most of them, I, I can't, I was looking at some of the Bowen Alleys, most of them ran between 20 and 25 pieces. So, and, and I know I grew up here in Louisville. And I'm sure that your family benefited quite a bit from my family. <laughs> You're welcome. That's why I keep saying that. And I'm sure folks here from, from Louisville, it's, it's the same way. If you grew up in Louisville, there's a, a, an unbelievable chance that you played some of uh, Lith Mr. Litzy's games. Yeah, I mean, I, I was looking, like it says, who there, and I was just trying to think of, you know, like Suds Bucket. I don't even know what it was, but that was one of our locations. It was all kinds of, you name it, anything. It was, like I said, from fire departments to laundromats to mm -hmm. grocery stores anybody would let us put a game in a spot we did you take it so today you know what comes to my mind is how do, you, how do you keep up with that how do you how do you know that this game is where how do you know that this game has been repaired eight times and may need to come back to the shop you know we I'm, couldn't I'm, we couldn't really get into that because we didn't have computers. Right. I mean, we were in infancy of that. I mean, I was telling you. I was going to say, I've, uh, here, I've, this is more than oh, put a man on the moon in terms yeah. of processing. I'm right. hoping for folks that listen to this audio, I'm holding up my cell phone. H how did you all deal with that? I mean, our first computer was a radio shock tandy. I mean, that was the first thing. And then uh, we... Not the not the best choice thirty years later, well, but at we the time we, it was pretty. <laughs> we had no idea. We had no idea, you know. And then we kept growing and getting into it, and we ended up with an IBM. I don't know. I can't tell you what it was. All I know is I paid ten thousand dollars for it. <laughs> That's all. Well, I that know. was a, it. Was a desktop PC. Yeah, it, it, it was a desktop. It had okay. One of those big Floppy things, but it, it was big. It was probably an AT or an XT, yeah, but you know, about ten grand. That that seems yeah, about right. Ten grand. Then now, we had there was no programs for it, so we had to hire a guy to come in and write our program just for us on it. So. Now you told me a, a, a an interesting story about that, and it had to do with, and for folks that aren't IT, back before things like the cell phone with gigabytes and gigabytes of storage, you had to count every bit and byte because RAM and storage was unbelievably expensive and you all had a conversation about how many well when we were getting into it we we sat down with him and he came up with a lot of good ideas and how to track a machine and do what this and that with it well we wanted to know if i wanted to pull up suds bucket and look at the machines i wanted to know how much money was in each machine each week mm -hmm. you know and uh so he said he he figured well what, what should i do i said sit it at 9.99 i said nothing's going to go over a thousand dollars a week it's not gonna happen so let's just set it up at that and so that's what we set it up at and then, and then how long did that last he had to come back and change that <laughs> what was the game that threw that over it was the cranes the toy the ones that pick up the animals yep that's what that's what uh went over took it over a thousand dollars a week so that, that's kind of an interesting topic i know that i have heard uh a seminar with uh, one of the vice presidents of Namco US, and he mentioned, he, he's a long time in, in the industry, and he mentioned that the cranes saved the Namco arcades. I they, 
they were really running at the edge. People weren't coming in. And then when they brought cranes in, it helped save the Namco business stateside. And I, I think you had a little different take on it. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. It helped us. Don't get me wrong. It helped mm -hmm. us. But I mean, we are the games were still doing the same amount of money. But when we added the cranes, it we just went from here to here in profit. So we just went way up. We, games were still doing the same amount of money for us. So talk a little bit about it. it uh, pinballs are one thing, and we'll get in a, a little little further down. We'll get into like some of the staffing and some of the logistics um, in terms of repair and, and, and the like. But on the crane side, talk a little bit about how you had to manage that in terms of filling the filling the machines and, yeah, well, and the like. There was we call them plush guys coming into town and rent a place up like this and just set up all their stuff and I'd go there and just pick out you know give me 20 cases of just this one item and this, you know? this so this was way pre-internet you actually had to go to a location oh. and they set up and then you went to I them had no order. idea what internet was <laughs> <laughs> computers no, we, no they would sit up at a convention somewhere in a hotel somewhere and I'd meet them and, and we'd go through and I'd pick out he'd show me the plush coming out for the next year or for the next couple months and I'd just pick you know, one teddy bear. Give me, give me, give me a thousand of these. Give me a thousand of this, a thousand of that, and then they would ship into us in, in big crate boxes. And then in the school, I had a classroom. Actually, schools had those classrooms, and, and the school was made and uh, built in 1905, I believe. The coat room was almost as big as this room, and you know, it was a really good sized room. And that's where we built and stored all our animals back here in that closet. We call it the closet. And then we, we hired a girl just to do nothing but make garbage bags full of just animals. And then we gave her a truck with a topper on it. And every, every day she made her routes and went around to all the cranes and just filled them. And then I, it was to the, to, to the point where you had to actually value the garbage bags because it was oh. just such a large, large operation. We had you couldn't count per piece. Well, no, we were, we were putting in dollar figures. Uh, mm -hmm. Each bag was worth 100 bucks. There was $100 worth of animals in each garbage bag is what we, we determined. And she would know, like, she's supposed to take this animal, this animal, this animal, this animal, and that equaled $100. And then we were always on a 50-50 split with uh, the business owners. Mm -hmm. Well, when this came in, it was totally new. We couldn't do a 50-50 split with them because we're paying for all the plush. So we went to 70-30 on that machine, on the cranes. And some of them didn't like that. So then we said, fine, we'll go back 50-50, but you got to split the cost of the animals. Thus came in the $100, knowing there was a $100 bag. So when she would walk in, she would get with somebody at the thing, and they'd just like check off, you put in two bags. Okay, that's 200 bucks. So they knew that they were going to owe us 100 bucks. So you mentioned uh, you would go and meet with the reps for the plush, and that kind of leads me into th – this can be a, a seminar all into its own, but the AMOA shows where you would go yearly and preview the equipment. Right. Right. They, the AMOA show would always come out, I think it was in September. And I'm glad you raised your hand. If anybody has any questions, you know, uh, shout out and then – Toward the end, I'll reserve a little time, and then we can really grill him. Uh, but AMA, is it American? Music Operators Association, I think. American um, Music Operators Association. So it was music uh, originally. Music, oh, yeah. Well, it was, yeah, it was music in there. Yeah. And it was a show that they ran 
it was 99% of the time it was in Chicago because of Bally and Williams being in, in Chicago. And Atari and a lot of other ones always complained every year, bring it out us, bring it, bring it out west, this and that. But it was always usually in Chicago. All the manufacturers would show up. I mean, they would need a place like the fairgrounds. And it would be one booth after another after another. And they're presenting all the new games that they're thinking about producing. And we would spend all day long, all, we'd spend four days, three to four days, all day long playing video games, playing pinballs, playing, looking at pool tables, looking at anything that's being manufactured out there. And uh, that's, and then afterwards, we would go to dinner with several of the other distributors from all over the country, and we we had maybe 16, 20 people at, at the dinner table, and we'd go around the table, and everybody had to say what they hated and what they loved. And we all just put our own input into it, and then the next day we'd go out and do it again, come back to dinner again that night. So it was getting feedback from all the other distributors all over the country also. So that, that dovetails into another question I wanted to ask. <laughs> I know. Do you recall your list of distributorships because I, I, Stearns, Tato, Williams, uh, Namco, uh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, there were so many. Um, uh, did to, you have game plan? Did you? I had, we had game plan. I had, yeah, we had the first. We had the first sharpshooter was yeah game plan. Did you do Atari uh, or did you? We didn't have Atari. Atari was. We could get Ataris. Atari. Atari didn't really put out a dealership. We just called and they'd say, oh, sure, okay. and send them to us. It was the Atari, if you want to do that. Uh, I don't know. We had like 20. I don't remember what it, I can't remember them all. So, and you mentioned that you all would sit around a table and discuss, you know, the day's activities after the show. Right. And then that was an opportunity for you all to figure out who has what in, in trade. So, I know you've told me a story about how you would get Bally and how you would provide right. Williams to well, other folks. It's kind of like having a car dealership. If you're a Chevrolet dealer, you're not going to have a Ford dealership with it. They're mm -hmm. not going to let you put the two together. We had Williams. We couldn't get we couldn't get Bally. We needed Bally or you know, Midway. We we needed them. And cuz of Miss Pac-Man mainly and, and different other games that way. Well, being at in Chicago at the AMOA convention, being these other dealers, they're in the same boat. But they got Bally. They need Williams. So we just struck up a, deal, a friendship with them, and we switched. I mean, you know, and I, I told you, I don't, you know, it would be, we, we just came to a, a kind of an agreement that a truckload was worth a truckload. So I and, would and by truckload, you mean, I mean semi. semi loads. So uh, I would send, I'd send him a semi load of Defenders. He'd send me a sem semi load of Miss Pac Man or Pac Mans. So, yeah. And then I, I believe at one point in time you told me your guys were were so good that they knew where to cut the boxes and you'd put somebody in a truck. Yeah, it, we he had to be careful because you didn't they didn't want serial numbers because the, the dealer like the dealer in Louisville that that had ballet didn't want me selling ballets. So they would scrape up serial numbers. So they didn't know where they came from. <laughs> so, so we, we, every, every one of the boxes have a little bitty cutout because they know where the serial numbers were, and you scratch it out and then put it back and then you go on. <laughs> so that's okay. why we had to have the, the semis dropped, and then we tell them come back in a couple hours, and you, they'll all be ready to be shipped back out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So when, when you were at the shows, what did you look for to to give you a clue if a game was going to be a hit or a miss? Luck playing it seeing what's going on and I know I know I've told you the story the biggest 
one that I missed. <laughs> I was playing this game, and I said, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Nobody's going to play this. And there's this little Japanese guy behind me trying to speak English to me, and we were talking. And he said, what? And I said, it's stupid. Nobody's going to play this game. And he just looked at me and goes, we'll see. And it was Pac-Man. I think you had a pinball story, too. That Oh, yeah. Well, See, I've got you in front of a crowd. I can embarrass you. No. <laughs> no. Uh, I didn't miss very many pinballs. In fact, really, really well, well, tell a the, couple. Hit that, and then tell the story about how you, you would play test pinballs as well. Well, on, on pinballs, I, I didn't miss very many pinballs because I'd, I'd played pinballs since I was a little kid. And Williams would send us one of everything that they made. And then we would put it out onto our route, and we had, I don't know if anybody knows Play, Media, and Replay magazines, but that was our biggest uh, magazines for our business. And every time they'd come out, and the first, first two pages would be all the new games coming out and how much money they were making. Well, that was, that was part of our thing with Williams. We would send out, they'd send us one brand new pinball, we'd set it out on the streets, take the collections off of it, and send that report to replay into play meter and then they would average it out all over the country and that's the figure they put into the magazine well when, when we get a brand new pinball i'd have it my, my dad get mad at me because i wouldn't put it out i'd keep it in, a, in the office for several days and i'd just play it and i'd play it and play it and play it and play it and i'd play it with the sound cranked up as loud as it go and i'd play it with the sound all the way off and if i could play it and keep my interest on both ways we'd, we'd put it in an order for them and that's the way I test pinballs. And I guess you want me to... Yeah, sure, go ahead. Because <laughs> it's one of my favorites. <laughs> well, like Black Knight 2000, everybody in the office was telling me how great a machine it was. It was wonderful. It was great. It was this and that. And uh, I just said, no, we didn't buy any. We, bought, we got the one. That was all we got. And then we were playing... I was playing this other pinball. It wasn't a Williams, but I was playing a pinball. And I said, I don't want it. I just don't want it. And my brother-in-law just insisted. He pounded me and said, you got to have it, got to have it. And I looked at him and I said, okay, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to buy five of them. That's all I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy five. And that's all I'm going to buy. We're gonna th and again, this part of this is the, the scale of the industry. And we're going to buy five just as a test. Yeah. And that... That's how prolific the industry was. And in, in, I'm just going to buy, you know, I'm just going to buy five. I'm going to buy. Well, it happened to be Adam's family. <laughs> yeah, still don't like it. So. I still wish I had five of them, though. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the staff and what what kept the machine going. Um, so. What was it? Who, who did you have in the office? Not names, just like how, was, how, how did how did it line out in terms of office staff and? Tax? Well, naturally, it was my mom and dad were in there, and then me and my wife, and that was pretty much the main flow of office work, office people, and then I had two techs that. I, I didn't even let them go out of the room to go to the bathroom, almost. It was like, <laughs> you guys got to stand there just keep working on these boards. Uh, and then we had a total of 16 employees. So I had three pickup trucks running all day long on the streets, just moving equipment. And I had anywhere from two to three service guys doing nothing but running service all day. And the rest of the guys are either washing, cleaning, fixing, putting together, doing whatever, getting games ready to be took it, taken out on the trucks. So the folks that did trouble calls, how did you communicate with them? I mean, today, uh, right now, I can call yeah. across the planet with my cell phone. Right, But right. In, well, we, in the 80s, that wasn't the case. No, we had two-way radios, just like the police have, fire department has, Motorola's. Uh, we had a base unit set up in our office, which my wife was pretty much 
on all the time. And we had the guys, every, every vehicle had a radio on it. So when I'd send somebody out to wherever to put a, a machine in or, or do a service call, when they got done, they got back in the vehicle and they called back into the base and said, I'm supposed to be going to Joe's bar. Is that what I'm still doing? Yes or no. You know, and then we send them somewhere else maybe or whatever. I might send a truck out with, you know, six video games on it. And he's supposed to do a certain route. But my collectors that are collecting my money might call up and say, hey, at, at Joe's bar again, I've got a machine that's broke down and the service guy was here and he can't fix it. And I was like, okay, so I'd reroute one of my trucks to go to the bar and switch it out instead of doing something else. And then we'd clear out the paperwork when he got back. So let's talk a little bit about collections. <clears throat> so that's part of the staffing as well and then part of the planning for the business. Well, the, the collectors were my sister and my brother-in-law. And then... They couldn't handle it, and then we ended up having... Because of the size. Because of the, of the size and going everywhere and counting all the money, they couldn't handle it. So one of my dad's best friends retired, so he started going with my brother-in-law, so it was two of them, and they could do it, they could do it twice as fast because there's two of them. And then we, then we ended up hiring another gentleman to go out, and we gave him the rougher locations and the He, he wasn't locations. family, so he got he the rougher. Family, okay. no, he wasn't family, no. So I basically had those four, and uh, a lot of times the one, get the gentleman that was my father's best friend that retired, he sometimes would even go out in front of like my brother-in-law and count the money and then leave, and then he would come settle up with with the people, because it took so much long, so long to count, because mm -hmm. it was all quarters, and it wasn't dollars, it was, you know, quarters, and it just it takes a while to count, you know. So. As they counted, that data came back to you, and and you know I'm saying data like like it's yeah. modern, like you're putting it in a spreadsheet or something. But it eventually came back to you, and then what did you do with well, that, what, that count information? What, every day they'd come in off 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 the route, and they'd sit down, and they'd go back to their collection tickets, and we would go over. You do this all day long every day and you can take a box of quarters and you can look at it and say that there's $50 in there, there's $500 in there and you're gonna be in with a couple of bucks. And so we didn't count it to the quarter, but it was pretty daggone close to it. And they could total up their sheets and come to say $500 on their sheets, but they in reality counted 550 and they go, okay, I missed the fender, it probably had $50 more than I thought. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was it was a good science, but it was, because we didn't have all day to do this. I mean, we were doing a lot of places. So at the end of the day, they'd come in, we'd sit down, they'd sit down with me and we'd go over each location, each game. And I'm like, and I've got last week's sheet and I've got last month's sheets. I got all these sheets because you just write, got to write it down on paper. What nothing mm -hmm. else to write it on? So uh, they come in and we look at it and I go, hey, Defender's down. It was doing, you know, $100. Now it's doing 25 What's up? And he says, I think we need to change it. So then I make up change slips. So the next day I got somebody else going out and switching them, putting them in something different in its place. So then you'd rotate the game. So did oh. you, you, you had. Is it safe to say, did you have a hierarchy of who got the first games, the hot, new hot games, and then it sort sure. of filtered through? Sure. I mean, mainly the bowling alleys, because I had every bowling alley in the city, and they got, like, Defenders brand new, they get it first, because it's the highest turnover of people. The revenue was so much higher. There's so much more people going in a bowling alley seven days a week than there is in a bar going seven days a week mm -hmm. or in a convenience store. They're just not going to have the amount of traffic flow. So they got them first. Gotcha. Absolutely. So once you got to the point, and, and this is where 
we're going to start getting into stuff where the collectors will cringe a little bit. But again, this was it was business and it was equipment. Um, once the games quit making money, you had to do something with the asset. Correct. Well, what what happened after after a period of time? All the operators got wood poor. We had so many cabinets stuck everywhere because the game wasn't producing anymore, and they're producing more games. They're buying some newer ones. We're, we're cabinet poor. We got so many cabinets, we can't do anything with it. So like at the AMOA, we were talking to some manufacturers going, hey guys, we're, we're cabinet poor. What, what can we do unless we came up with kits? Let's make kits. Send us the board, send us the artwork, and if we need a new panel, send us a panel. But if not, just send us the layout of the panel so we can make it. Mm -hmm. So then we could take the crappy games like Food Fight <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> and stuff. Sorry, Whitney. <laughs> I, you know, I, again, I love I loved, I loved to have some, but uh, no, some of the old games, the games that didn't produce, and I mean, and you look at Atari cabinets were fantastic. Williams cabinets were fantastic to rebuild, to put in other kits. They were just fan uh, great cabinets. So we'd use them. I mean, I'd throw centipedes away by the dozens and, and kangaroos and uh, just And by anything. throw away, you mean you would pull out the... the we throw out the computer boards and we pull out anything that we couldn't reuse, and therefore while we were storing them on top of the school on top mm -hmm. of the school because we kept everything and we called it the boardroom where we had just thousands and thousands of computer boards up there and um so while you mentioned that go ahead and and let how did that eventually what was the, the disposition of all of all of the, the the pcbs that you had what do you mean? How you had, you had somebody. Did, think oh, you had somebody come in and. I had a. I had a gentleman come in. And, and what year was this? Oh, by the way? I, I have no idea. I can't remember. Okay. I, I just so it wasn't. It wasn't like last year. Two no, years this was about like ninety, ninety-two, ninety-three, something, somewhere in that era, uh, something like that. This gentleman came in and he walked to the school and he said, "I think he said I'll give you ten thousand dollars for all the boards in here." And I'm like, "What are you going to do with it?" He said, "I'm going to grind them up and get the gold and the silver out of them." I was like, I don't care what you do. Give me $10,000. So he, he just gathered up all the boards and took the boards out. Supposedly he took them and ground them up. He used the silver and the gold. A little tear. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you had, you know, the uh, well, Food Fight, you mentioned that. That's a hugely popular game now right. and a higher-end game right. cost-wise. And Star Wars. Probably because there wasn't that many left because everybody, yeah, cause everybody, everybody got rid of them. <laughs> Well, and you find that a lot. A lot of a, a lot of games that we'll go. I, I made a note of a few games here. I'll throw out to you later. And talk a little bit about yeah, winner or loser. And I'm sure a lot of those games that that are prized today, there's just not many left because they they didn't earn well they, and they, they weren't converted. Yeah, nobody played them. They they didn't like them. And so we had to do something with them. And we needed the cabinets. You know, it was a great cabinet, so we used it. You know. Um, get rid of it and then like like asteroids and space invaders black and white mm -hmm. we just took a sledgehammer to them threw them in a dumpster and that uh, that kind of brings up another well, with, point especially with like excuse me for uh like asteroids being an xy monitor back in those days they said they atari came out we're not making anymore we couldn't get any parts for them couldn't get flybacks couldn't get any of this stuff for them we couldn't fix them so I, I, we ran a sale, and I was selling them for $99. And then after they wouldn't, nobody buy them after for $99, we took sledgehammers to them. 
just and, to, and away they went. <laughs> yeah, away they went. Night well, it, it, if you think about it, at the end of the day, you do have a lot of space, but eventually you run out, and you can't just keep things forever that are of no use. I mean, you couldn't well, do like anything said, else with it. We had at school, it was 30,000 square feet, and when it was full, we didn't have any room to yeah. put stuff. <laughs> we had, we had, to, had to start doing something. We had to start making room. And I've had folks ask me over the years, why do I never see this or that? And, and my answer is, is generally this or that that they're asking about is something unique. It's got unique controls. It's got a unique cabinet. It's got a unique monitor. And in your position, once it's done, it's done, right? Yeah, right. And we got to move on. And we couldn't, we, you couldn't reuse an XY monitor. I mean, no, none of the kits used it. So let's talk a little bit about what I've kind of uh, deemed the pitfalls of the industry. And that brings me to a section that I have, have named Undercover Jimmy, oh, <laughs> where you've had to deal with what goes on in the public, if you will, kind of the seedier side of the business. And that is uh, what happens when, when profits start to drop or profits are taken from you. And we, we've talked a little bit in, in preparation for this, and you had some pretty cool stories where in your younger days, he had to go undercover. Well, yeah, and, and, yeah. and infiltrate. So, but like, for example, Miss uh, Pac-Man was notorious for pe people penny bouncing it and playing the game for a penny. And so, when the collectors would go in and the cash box would be full of pennies, it's like, are they just getting a penny in there, or are they getting a game for that? So, uh, I wouldn't. I was almost the same age, so I'd go at night, I went at night to the bowling alleys and sit around and watch, and I watched a guy doing something, I'm like, what the heck's he doing? And I saw him play it, and I went over and just, hey man, what's going on, how'd you do this? <laughs> so he'd tell me, and I'd go back to the office and go, we got a problem, <laughs> we gotta fix this. And then tell people how they did it, what they were doing, they were they, taking a they penny. Would take, they would take a penny and put it in the coin return, and they would take and flip it with their finger, and it would, you do it enough, and it would go up through the coin return, stop, hit, and bounce over onto the, um, the credit side and fall down and give you a credit. And we couldn't figure out how to stop it. And then, um, thus, the plastic coin chutes were invented. The plastic coin chutes have a little rocker on them that when the quarter falls through it, hits, pushes down, and it can't go backwards. So they couldn't penny bounce it back through anymore. And see, all these years, after the fact, as a collector, I've had coin mixing games, and I was like, what is this silly little spring thing on here for? Yeah, so well, that's why, because people were, were doing like yeah. a penny and flip. And the, the metal ones never had it. It was only the um, plastic chutes had it. So you were talking about the bowling alley. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So well, the question, and, we, and I'm going to, so, so it's on the recording, the question was, is how many pennies were you finding? We'd find like 100 pennies. Like 100, 200 pennies. Yeah, well, once well, I mean, once you're in a bowling alley and one kid gets it, and then he starts telling everybody else, telling everybody else. Yeah, I mean, it would be full of pennies, just full. So you mentioned the bowling alley, and you mentioned Pac-Man. Uh, what was the other deal with Pac-Man and the coin door? Uh, we also discovered that the um, Pac-Man, the revenue was going down pretty big, and it was only in the bowling alleys. Pretty much, and we couldn't figure it out. So, as you said, I went undercover again. <laughs> and what we found was you'd see the kids shuffling their feet, just going around in circles, just shuffling their feet, going around in circles, and then they'd go up and touch the game and static electricity, shock it, and it was giving them credits. And we were like, 
uh-oh, how do we fix this? <laughs> you know, so well, how do you recreate it? How, how did you well, show people that it was that well, happened? Well, uh, we bought a kettle prod, <laughs> <laughs> electric kettle prod. So then you, we just zap the coin doors, and sure enough, it'd give you a credit. So one of the ways we stop it fast in the bowling alleys were uh, we get a bottle full of downy fabric softener and spray the carpets. And that slowed it down, way down, slowed it way down. But then thus the uh, static boards came out, the auxiliary boards for the, miss, for the pac bands came out, so it wouldn't do it anymore. While we're on Undercover Jimmy, <laughs> which is actually my favorite topic of the, the whole panel, talk about Dragon's Lair. Oh, God. <laughs> Dragon's Lair was one of them we could not get the distributorship for. But since, since we had the distributorship for uh, cliffhangers, we were getting those, and we were trading a few of those out. But everybody wanted the game, and it was the most expensive game on the market. I mean, when you're paying, you know, $24.95 for a game, and all of a sudden on Dragon's Lair is five grand, it's like, I can do twice as much over here as I can in this. It's got to produce twice as much. Well, actually, it started out producing about twice as much. But then all of a sudden, it went just rock bottom. And we couldn't figure out why, what, what happened. So there again, <laughs> I guess I went undercover and found out what the kids did. They were playing it in pairs of two. And when a guy would play it, he'd be playing it, and the partner next to him would go up, down, left, right, up, down, left. They were writing the moves down on a piece of paper. So they had the whole cheat sheet of the whole game, the next move, ahead so the guy playing it knew what to do before it even got there so he did so they put a quarter and walked through the whole game never lose a man so i was like okay that's that's the, there was no fix for that so they got converted yep no we threw those, we threw those away they, 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 there wasn't anything to do with those those cabins were just terrible and the, i'm sure the laser disc players was probably a pain for maintenance <sighs> yeah that was way ahead of its time. Yeah. Now it'd be on some little B disc and it would work. <laughs> Back then it didn't work. So what was uh, some of the other more nefarious and I guess rougher, you know, uh, what else happened that was a little rougher on the equipment in terms of theft? Uh, you mentioned a few things to me where basically that just led to the destruction of the machine. Yeah, we, I had uh, Marahari, which I think you've got some of the, uh, play field. Yeah, that actually ended up as part of the banner on our podcast page on Facebook. Okay. Well, you got that. That pinball was pretty much brand new, and it was in, I believe it was in Sullivan College, and uh, we got a call the next day that it was broke into, and come find out, yeah, it was. The security guard was tied up, and they took a sledgehammer right through the whole top of it, right through the glass play field, the whole nine yards, just totally destroyed the game. And I was like, Dude, I'd have paid you whatever was in the cash box not to do that. <laughs> but, yeah, that was it. And then we caught another kid out at, at uh, Dixie Bowl Bowling Alley. He was throwing bowling balls through the video games. And uh, we finally caught him. We had to hire an off-duty policeman to catch him. But, yeah, I mean, when he did, he would just imagine what a bowling ball does to a, a video game. Now, was he going down through the monitor or just right through the front of the game? Go right through the front of the game. Or he'd go through the front. If it didn't work, he'd go down through the top. He just Any way he'd get in there. Sometimes it'd be through the top. Sometimes, most of the time it was through the cash box door, yeah. the whole front of the machine. I've had some pins, and I, I've wondered why this is the case, where when you stand the pin up, you see there's a metal plate that covers half of the bottom of the pin. Why is that? Well, they used to cut the bottom out and drop the cash box out and then just go out the door. 
So we used to take, back in the day, I mean, we started taking big sheet metal and even wrapping it up on the sides of the machine all the way across the bottom to keep them from cutting the bottoms. But then, then they did it. Yeah. Money are in these boxes. So how much how much money are that's the uh, it, question. It just it, I mean it depends on what location. You might have fifty dollars, you might have hundred and fifty dollars. And then it, that's a fair amount of cash today, but imagine, you know, translate that back to eighty five, eighty six, eighty two. Well, so how often was the pickup? Once a week. Once a week. More, Ninety-nine percent of the places were once a week. Every once in a while, you'd find one that you would you would do every two weeks. But we tried to get to every single location once a week. So, in talking with uh, with Jimmy, kind of the pre-interview to get ready for this, I, I learned something very interesting uh, about the something that we as collectors know and and actually hate in the industry, and it. It may have originated with someone that, that we all know, and that is the lock bar that goes across coin oh. doors. And I'm looking over at the pack, the mispack that's sitting in the room, and I notice that there's lock bar holes in it, and it's bondoed. So, um, and, and this ties into the, you know, again, this is equipment, this is a business, and this is what uh, Fed fed their family and kept you know a roof over over their head. So keep that in mind when when when. Jimmy tells the story of, of lock bars. Well, so don't so, rush Jimmy. It's, what I'm saying it's it's it's, yeah. it's so easy to take a screwdriver and just pop a coin door open. I mean, you can do it in, in a matter of seconds, even with a good lock. Well, to put a padlock on it, the only thing you had was Wicko had a, a nice like U thing or V. You had to put three holes in one side and three holes in the other side, and the door shuts. You put a padlock in it. It was just too much work. It it it, it just was kind of, it just didn't work very well. My father came up with a single bar that went across there. It was two holes, one on each side, and they were slot. The bar was slotted so you could slide the bar back and forth, so anybody could drill a hole. Because if you missed it, there was enough play in the slot to go across, and so it was real easy to put on there and lock the whole whole front door up. And then as we went on making them having them made, we got rid of both slots. We got rid of we got rid of one slot, and on the other side was just a hole. So you drill it, put a, a, a flathead bolt in there, and that hole on the other side was slotted so for the padlock, so you still could be off and still make it, mm -hmm. you know? So that was only two holes in the sides of the cabinet. Then when we sold the machines and you didn't, they, I don't want that bar on there, fine, take it off. We put two chrome carriage bolts in there, and so it looks pretty decent, you know, mm -hmm. two carriage bolts. The only drawback with the bar is if they wanted in, they were going to get in, and then they destroyed the cabinets. But we kept, we kept the bad thief honest, mm -hmm. but the big thief was getting in no matter what. So what ended up happening with uh, the uh -huh. lock bar? Uh, well, well, we were down there in... in Back in those days, you know, Peach State, Imperial, Wacko, Wicko, they would all come to our office once a week to sell us supplies, parts, whatever we needed. And he saw it, and, and the Wicko salesman bought one. He goes, I want, I can't buy one of those. And he's like, yeah. Well, the next catalog, it was in their catalog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we, then we came up with, you might have seen it too, Dad came up with, instead of going all the way across because it was so much more expensive, just getting a little piece of metal, putting it in the lock, the door lock itself and only drill one hole on the side of the cabinet and doing it that way so back off they also picked that one up too and took it but 
So you're to you're to thank for the the lock bar holes. Yep. All right, that works. And wood grain laminate. <laughs> For converting games. Well, that's that's a, that's a whole different story. Well, tell it. Back in back in the days, like especially the big, the main one comes to uh, I think of is track and field. Could not get enough track and fields. It was impossible. Everybody wanted track and fields. It was in the middle of the heyday. Everybody just couldn't get them. Thus came the bootleg boards, and they were out, and you could get those, and. We were buying bootleg boards right and left. And I found somebody in town that didn't care about the copyright, we're not gonna mention any names, but didn't care about it, and they were making me the artwork. And all we were doing was a panel and a header, and that was all, and putting the boards in. We were using defenders right and left. Defenders were the best cabinet in the world for this. It didn't look good. I mean, you, you hear you got track and field, but you got defender on the side and all this and that, and we were painting them. We were doing this, and it, it just didn't look that good. And I got the idea from Phoenix, from the video game Phoenix. Those cabinets were awesome. They were just nice wood grain cabinets with just a sticker on them. So I was like, why don't we start laminating, and we can put stickers on them, and then when we do something else, we'll just take that sticker off and on. It's a one-time shot. We won't have to pay anymore. We won't have to do anything. So thus, we started laminating all the games. And literally had almost in a semi-line, running defenders down a semi-line, just making them into track and fields. And then you all had to experiment, too, with the lamination. It wasn't... Oh, yeah, we, we didn't know nothing about it. And it took us forever to get the lamination to stick and stay on there and do it right. I mean, we were using the glue they were giving us and this and that, but it was just... We, we were trying everything. They said, put an iron to it, iron it on. I mean, we were doing everything in the world. Like a normal clothes iron. Like a normal clothes iron. Do you have yeah. any video of this? No. Okay. Dang it. Yeah, really. <laughs> but we finally found the right glue and everything and found out that you glue the cabinet and you glue the laminate and you let them sit until they dry. And then when they touch each other, it's you, you, it better be right because it's not coming off. As we kind of wind toward the end of the, of the session here, I wanted to throw a couple games out and get your feel just to give us an idea of how they actually worked in, in, okay. for the public. And let me even begin this with asking, what do, you, do you have a feel for what may have been your most successful piece of equipment, video, pin, anything? I'd say the most longevity video has to be Miss Pac-Man. has to be. And I say it's because anybody can play it. A little kid can play it. Mm -hmm. Anybody can play it. It's not complicated. You don't have to fire buttons. You don't have to do this and that. It's just one little joystick moving around. It's probably been the most longevity game ever still around still popular mm -hmm. so how did you already mentioned track and field so it it, it obviously earned pretty well it, it was it was a it, it didn't earn any i wouldn't say any more than say donkey kong did or anything it was just in the peak of video games and it was like there wasn't really anything else out there and it was the newest greatest give it to me now because what would happen is if you had, let's let's just say there was 200 track and fields on the, street, on the streets, after a couple of months, it's an old piece, even if this place hasn't had it yet. It's still an old piece because somebody's played it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So you got to get it when you can get it, and then it's gone. You know, the newest, it still might do good, but it might not be doing the big dollars. So you mentioned converting a lot of defenders. Did that fall in the same boat where uh, when it hit, it hit, and then it was... 
once it was you mean a, the a couple months old the defender it game itself the defender game itself yes yes same thing now they might last a little longer than that like uh, defender lasts a little longer than that uh, centipedes last a little longer than that donkey kongs last a little longer than that but like jungle gyms phoenixes stuff like that it, they didn't last very long and you already mentioned food fight what about burger time that was worse than food fight <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if the mics picked that up. Groans up from the crowd. That was awesome. No, it, they just didn't produce. They didn't produce at all. What was? Did, did, do you have a standout piece? Something you thought was just going to be awesome, and it just didn't didn't do anything. I know that's kind of putting you on the spot. Not that I really know. It, it'd be the other way around. Like I said with Pac-Man, I didn't think it did. What was a surprise? Yeah. So, like, on the, on the pinball side, I mean, I, and I put down a couple titles here, a couple popular titles. How'd Scared Stiff do? Uh, uh, any, any of that did real well. You know, the Elvira's, the Scared Stiff, uh, they all did real well. I don't, pinballs, there wasn't one that just out, stood out from everybody else and just did everything. Mm -hmm. They were just usually good. Oh, okay. Or they were a flop. And, like, Black Knight 2000, that's the one that comes to my mind. It was just a flop. Black Knight was great. But 2000 was terrible. I made a couple other notes, and this might fall into the, it just did all right across the board. Twilight Zone, which was the, you know, kind of the big follow-up to Adam's family. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a good piece. It was a little wider body. Mm -hmm. The wider bodies did not do as good as the, I'm going to call them normal bodies. Mm -hmm. They just, people, I don't know if people, why, but they just did, they did okay, but they didn't do as good. So no, the normal ones were more, everybody played better. So backing up in time a little bit, like 8-Ball Deluxe, that's another popular earlier solid-state game. How right. did that do? It was good. It was it was a good piece. You know, it followed the, the uh, it was from the, like the mechanical. All the 8-Ball, eight 8-Balls, eight they were just a good, good piece. You know, limited edition 8-Balls, all those, they were all just good as if you could keep them working. First generation 8-Balls of electronics was terrible keep them working. So that kind of comes to the end of my list, and I wanted to have a little time for some questions. So, go ahead, I'll wait. Okay. Uh, oh, sure. Go ahead. We've got, we've Somebody. Got the nicest, we've got the nicest crowd. No, you go. No, you go. Somebody. Somebody. Arm wrestle. Yeah. All right. Well, fine then. We'll take a question from the back. Hold on. So, so. So Matt, we're actually recording. Yeah, if you don't mind, wait, yeah, you're yeah, not doing. I one of your games, did I? Yeah. <laughs> so thank Jimmy for all you know his knowledge he spread with everybody, and uh, give him a little slugger with his name and our logo on it. Oh, thank thank you. you so much for doing this today, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're so. Matt, he's, feel better now. Matt, Come on. <laughs> he's liable to hit me with that. Okay. That's, that's what you call an operator fix right yeah, there. Right. That's a, yeah. All right. Uh, and I'm going to repeat the questions back into the mic so that we get it on the recording. So, Whitney, did you have a question? Yeah, I, I've got, I've got kind of two questions. There's, there's a few uber-collectible games today that the Internet and the collective community just kind of goes gaga over. They're kind of like the games of the year. Uh, over the past couple of years, games like Zookeeper, Cuber, uh, titles like that. How, how, did, how did Zookeeper work? How did Cuber So Whitney's asking about games that are like uber popular yeah, today. Zookeeper, Mad Planets. How, how did, they, how did Ma they earn? Never had a Mad Planet. Okay. Never had one. I uh, had a couple of Zookeepers. D okay. Cuber uh, uh, did really well. In fact, that was one of the ones we got a bunch of bootlegs off of. Yeah. 
and the, the only other thing I'll mention is, it's just kind of funny from my perspective. I picked up a Super Pac-Man about, I don't know, three or four years ago, and I picked it up Dog. out of a, a home, and the lady that I bought it from said, oh, my husband bought this brand new from here in Louisville. And I'm like, okay, and I didn't really think you know, too much about it, and she said, here's all the paperwork on it. And I got it home, and after I'm right through the paperwork, I pulled out the bill of sale, and it's Jimmy Wilson. <laughs> Got it, so. Okay, well, yeah, that's one of the ones we got rid of. Yeah. <laughs> How did Super Pac-Man earn before uh, it was not, sold? It? it was, it didn't. It didn't. It was one of the worst Pac-Mans we had. Yeah. All right, question? Lisa. First of all, Jimmy, thanks, thanks for coming out. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Enjoy it. Um, I, I have a few questions. What, is, there, is there a particular shooting game that sticks out back in the day that... Skeet shoot? Yeah, so, crossbow and... No, you're talking like you're talking. Opera Operation Wolf and stuff like that was good, but like uh, the old Clay uh, Skeet shoot. Now that was an EM though, wasn't it? Yeah, but he said gun game. He didn't specify. Uh, yeah. He didn't but specify video. He, he said gun game. <laughs> I should have been more specific. Yeah. Um, Not like your area, like your area fifty ones were good, and, and they were good. Um, usually, anything with a steering wheel or a gun did good. Because you get the kids that are, say, 15 years old or under, they want to drive, they just want that steering wheel, and they just play it. And they, they did good. And then people like to shoot stuff. <laughs> and, so back, back when pinball was just everywhere, I mean, they were, I know there were hospitals and just so on. And, um, I mean, at that time, there, just, there weren't very many people collecting these in the halls. So the, the it, question it was, was, it was back back when you were operating, there there wasn't a lot in homes. It was mostly commercial. Yes, but there was still a big pretty not like it is today. But there was a good market in homes. Uh, I remember we had we were trying to get rid of a, a bunch of older because we we dealt with all the other operators. So operators would bring us their pins and trade them in for new. So we it was right around Thanksgiving time. We had a lot of used pinballs that we didn't want to put back out on the route because we, we put the new stuff out. We're not putting old stuff out. I don't know how, and we put an ad in it. We always put an ad in the newspaper because that was, uh, what else is there to advertise by, you know? That or TV. You're not going to do TV. Well, I don't know how a TV station picked up on it, though, but they did, and they called us and asked us if they could come down and, sh and shoot a, a segment for the news, and we're like, well, yeah, and they did. <laughs> And we, we weren't open on Saturdays, but we came in at Saturday. We were going to work a half day. Just me and my dad were going to work a half day in case somebody showed up from the newspaper. We were swamped. We sold every pinball we had that day. We looked and said, maybe we've been should advertise on TV. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But no, we sold everything we had that day. So there was, a, there was a pretty decent market for it. But I mean, we're selling pinballs back in that day for $295, right. $250, $295. So let's grab one more. Oh, look. Go ahead. Yeah. Because then we got a, we got another one coming in right behind us. So, were there ever any pinball wizards that you came across that you figured out like they were losing your money, like a specific people so, who were particularly good at it? Were there were no. there people oh, that were so good at it that you felt you were losing money because I guess long play times? No, no. I mean there would be there, there was a, one guy named Roy. He was an older gentleman that he would always call us and say, "Where's your new pinball?" He was a he was a pinball fanatic. He would go play in pinball tournaments all over the place. 
and he might he might beat us. He might beat a couple games, but in the long run, it's like playing a slot machine. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> I'm so, get all right, you. real quick, one more. Oh. Go go ahead. Yeah. This is the nicest crowd in gaming. Has there ever been any tremendous flop within an arcade or a pinball machine that your business have encountered? So he's asking if there's just a tremendous flop that that you had and then it just absolutely just totally bombed. You you invested in it and it completely bombed. I'm sure there was, but we didn't uh, buy a whole bunch. We would buy, you know, maybe 10 or 15 of them, and then if they bomb, we'd get rid of them. Um, but you want to know if it, which one that was? I'd, uh, I'd, have, to, I'd have to think about it. <laughs> it's, I mean, I'd have to think what really bombed. Well, that, that, I'll, be honest, I'll be honest with you. Food Fight and Burger Time, that's two of them right there. And, and uh, they really did. I mean, they they go. Out, nobody play them. Team, to give you an, just, again, to give you an idea of the scale of the industry, you're testing. You know, why didn't you play them more? I would have kept some. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're testing with five and ten games. You know, I'm sorry, you're to give an idea of scale of the industry. You're testing. Your test is five and ten games. Well, yeah, because you. You know, we, we, you you would find a place that you, you buy. Let, let's say let's say you put a food fight in this place over here, and it didn't do any good. That doesn't mean it's not going to do good over across town. Mm -hmm. So the only way to tell is to scatter them around and put, you know, ten them out, and then get the general feel for it and see what happens. Because not every location played every game the, the same. same. I mean, you're the talking about you're talking about defenders and Miss Pac-Man, sure, but you know. When you get other games that Cuberts or, or Jungle Kings, you know anything like it, it would be hit and miss. Yeah. Or maybe you know, if it was, it could be hit and miss. Not that it would be. Well, Jimmy, I greatly appreciate the time that you spent with us today. And if um, we could do a lot more, I'm sure we could. And we're gonna, we're gonna. You never, really got, you never got into, into the pinball part. No, that, I didn't. Uh, was. Oh, I they, knew we, they almost shut shut them down. Uh, I, kn I knew in the time that we had, we were going to barely scratch the surface, and so we've threatened forever to get Jimmy on the Broken Token podcast. Time has just not kind of gotten us there. I promise it will happen, and we'll get into some more stories. Um, hopefully, I, I guess folks can tell that uh, I know a lot about Jimmy and, and his family. I've been good friends with him for, I guess, at this point in time. A week. A week, week and a half, and uh, Jimmy has has become has gotten to be what, what I consider a very very good friend of mine, and I, I'm I'm grateful to know him in my fam in my family. Definitely. It's like my family yeah. almost. I dislike him just as much <laughs> to get to know Jimmy and his family. Yeah, and, and sometimes we'll have to sit and talk about how Kentucky almost lost pinballs. Period. Okay, we can do that. Absolutely. And everybody, if you if anybody has any questions, I want to make room for the next panel. I'm sure Jimmy would be glad to, to answer any questions after the fact. If anyone has any loose quarters, I'm sure he'd be glad to take them. And with that, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. We are live here at the Louisville Arcade Expo, and we have the very good fortune of sitting here with very distinguished guest, Mr. David Crane, one of the founders of Activision. Mr. Crane just uh, wrapped up a great seminar on developing for the Atari 2600, and we're fortunate enough to have him uh, sitting here with us today to uh, to have a, kind of a follow-on discussion. So, uh, Mr. Crane, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So... <laughs> 
So, David, it, is it okay if I call you David? Is that all right? Sir. Okay. Th- thank you, sir. So, David, the presentation that, that you just wrapped up was a lot of background on what it took, or I guess what it still takes today to develop for the 2600. How often do you work with other developers as, as they're developing games or homebrew games or anything like that? I mean, are you still active in the 2600 community? Are you still you know, helping people with code, or is it, is it something you kind of do on the sideline or what? Well, I'm really happy to see all of the homebrew stuff that's being done today and a little jealous actually because I don't have time in my work to do a 2600 game or I might do one myself. I don't have any situations where I have protégés or where I'm helping with people to do it. I see. But I have tried to capture and preserve for posterity some of the technical issues of the 2600. A few years ago I was thinking, you know, I ought to write a book. And then I said, wait a minute, I am a publisher. I'm a video game publisher. So I actually developed some iPhone titles that uh, explain the magic inside the Atari 2600 and um, how Dragster was made and other things like that. And I'll occasionally do a, um, a magazine article showing how something was made. So I really I don't want that, that technology to be lost. So that brings up a very good question. I mean, if you're looking at the code for these 2600 games are there still remnants of pitfall are there still remnants of laser blast that are out there that you think are used in in other games and just out of curiosity what's happened to the source code for all the activision games is that something that that you still have or still have access to or is archived at some point or is that code long gone well i'm sad to say that um all of the source code is gone uh the video game business the industry is one of the worst ever at preserving their history. We have groups, I mean, there's private collectors, there are museums, there are groups, groups who would dumpster dive outside of Atari to get the stuff that was thrown away because the companies just were so focused on chasing the next hit that they didn't preserve the old ones. Plus, a lot of these games uh, only have a shelf life of like three or four months these days. It was kind of the same back then. It's really nice that some of the classic games are coming back around, mm-hmm. but otherwise they had a very short shelf life. So, you know, companies could basically say that has no value to me anymore. That was several years ago. Jason Scott, who is um, working with the Internet Archive, is now pressuring people to, as he puts it, he said, you know, steal from your company. <laughs> he says, take that stuff home and archive it so that it can eventually be uh, be saved for posterity. Well, I think that it would be, you can't advocate that behavior naturally, but you would certainly advocate the end result of that behavior just to make sure that the code lives on and that, that the code doesn't, doesn't disappear. I, it, it would be nice if that code were available, I, I know. So let me ask you this. When you look back on your time at Activision and everything that, that was accomplished there, what do you feel is probably one of the longest lasting legacies from Activision? When you think about leaving Atari, starting the company and everything like that, if, if there's one thing that sums up Activision, what, what would that be? Well, without a doubt, Activision's greatest legacy is the creation of the third-party publishing model. At the time that we left Atari, if you had an Atari game system, and you bought a cartridge, that cartridge was made by Atari. Mm -hmm. If you had the Intellivision and you bought a cartridge, that cartridge was made by Mattel, who owns Intellivision. What Activision did was we became the first third party to create 
develop and publish games for someone else's system. And in fact, everybody tried to sue the pants off of us because of it. They thought there was something wrong with doing that. Whereas today, uh, that's pretty much all that it is, is everyone who's in the business is working for either a third-party publisher or a third-party developer. When you started Activision, or I guess when, when the group of you started Activision and you looked at becoming the first third-party developer, was there a lot of hesitation uh, in leaving Atari to start Activision? Did you feel that because you were going into this, I guess, essentially un, you know, uncharted territory, did you feel that you would be successful first out of the gate, or was it more so an, an issue of we've got to do something, and part of that something is leaving Atari? Well, Atari was a wonderful place to work for at one point, Understood. and it was no longer a wonderful place to work for by the time we left. There okay. were a bunch of problems corporately. As for whether we thought we would succeed, I mean, you don't ever do anything without thinking you're going to succeed. Mm -hmm. We certainly had confidence in our own abilities and uh, figured that we might as well be doing it for ourselves than for a company that we're not enjoying anymore. Yeah. An example of the management issues, it, it became known that the four of us who started Activision had accounted for 60% of Atari's game sales in the previous year. And Atari sold $100 million worth of cartridges. So the four of us had created that IP. Mm -hmm. So we went to the then president of Atari, Ray Kassar, and said, you know, at least offer us a royalty or a bonus or something. And he told us that as far as Atari is concerned, it's a corporate product, not an individual product. And so we were responsible for making the code, but the person on the assembly line was responsible for putting it together. And without both, you couldn't sell any games. So in essence, he told us that we were no more important to him and Atari than the guy on the assembly line. And they, yeah, that's devaluing the whole intellectual property contribution to everything. <laughs> yeah, that's that's... That's tough, and I can certainly understand that. When you all started Activision, what did you want to bring over from Atari? What worked from Atari that you brought over, and what did you all want to, to re, I, I guess, to kind of re-engineer, so to speak, in putting out your first series of games? Well, there was something that worked at Atari, and it was by accident, that we latched onto and uh, brought into Activision, and that was the design center concept. Basically, what we found is the four of us who started the company, plus our CEO, Jim Levy V, mm -hmm. but the four of us were the technical guys, and we worked very well together. Even though each game was one person working you know, individually, creating the art, the sound effects, the music, the programming, every single aspect of it was done by one person. But you're in a small group that um, is willing to kibitz and talk about the games. And so you would get suggestions from the rest of the group on how you might make the game better. And it would happen constantly. So we were getting the benefit of maybe a hundred years combined video game design experience for every game that we did. At Activision we formalized that and we decided that we would never have a group bigger than six maybe. Okay. And we called it the Design Center and um, when we needed to expand to grow the company instead of putting six more people into one room which would be chaos 
we opened up a design center 3,000 miles away in New Jersey and put six people there. Okay. And they all worked well together. So we, we looked for people who had a group synergy, put them together, gave them all the equipment they needed and everything, and set them up to design games. I see. And that design center concept became a, um, like a Harvard Business School test case or something. And uh, so it was, it was accidental that the four of us went to lunch together and we just kind of hung around together. I see. Uh, that we realized that it was that working together well that made the game so good. The product certainly speaks for itself, and one of the things that I noticed growing up as a, a child of the 70s and 80s and getting to play almost every Activision game was that the cartridges, the box art, the manuals, everything had a personality at Activision. Atari's often lauded, I guess, at least the, the early Atari cartridges are often lauded for their box art and everything like that. The Activision games are, are no different. They're, I think they're widely heralded for the style of art that's used. Who came up with the branding for Activision? And who, who was responsible for the box art and, and the concept of the cartridge design and um, you know, the instruction booklets and everything like that? Well, it all goes back to our CEO, Jim Levy, um, okay. who came from the record business. And he had really good feel for promotions and marketing and that sort of thing. But the impetus came from those of us at Atari or from Atari who didn't really care for the way Atari was doing it. It's kind of funny. You know the game Breakout. Yes. You know how that works. Yes. I mean, you're bouncing a ball and you're knocking out bricks. Right. They're clearly they're bricks and it's clearly a ball, right? Uh, if you read the manual of 2600 Breakout, it begins, you're flying through space and you encounter a multicolored force field. So rather than recognize that it's a ball bouncing up and hitting bricks, they painted this story around it because space games were popular. They decided to put it in space somehow, make yeah. it a force field. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So at the founding of Activision, I remember speaking up and I'm saying, look, the games that we make, the displays are really nice. I mean, mm -hmm. it's really high quality stuff. Why do we have to have some, you know, fictional story around it that doesn't make any sense, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we had this discussion and like, like in many cases where cooler heads prevailed, Jim Levy said, you know, you're absolutely right. The game should show the actual art because when you bought a, an Atari game, you didn't know what you were buying. I mean, you thought you were buying some you know, piece of art. You did. Yeah. And if, you, if, you look at the, if you look at the box of Berserk or Missile Command or Defender, the, the game that you get on the inside is certainly different from the art on the outside. Right. So, but he said, however, the front of the box is really a nice place for some high-quality art. Mm -hmm. So we compromised, and there is a game screen, a real game screen, on the back. Yes. It's stylized a little bit because it gets hand-drawn rather than, it's not done in pixels, mm -hmm. it's done with an art, by an artist, but yes. it shows you what that screen is going to look like. Yeah. So that was kind of our compromise. Every game will have a real screenshot, pretty much, on the back. And then the front can be stylized and can be nice. The other family resemblance in Activision games is on the spine, on the side. Mm -hmm. I was in Jim Levy's office once, and every one of us had every one of the games as they came out in our own homes. Okay. Right? And you'd make a bookshelf, and we actually numbered them. <laughs> yeah, I've done the same thing at but, my house. Yeah. It sits the same. Yes. They, they actually have a number, AG001 was the first one. Dragster was AG001. Okay. And then... 
Boxing is 02, checkers is 03, fishing derby 04. So we would always line them up by order, of okay. course, too. But um, I was in his office, and he had all the Atari games, and he had them all lined up. And he said, look at those. And he said, there is no common uh, theme when you've got them on the shelf. Yeah. And Activision did. We used the same you know, font, the same, same everything. Font. Yeah. It was just so that on, when, when on a shelf, it showed that there was a family of products. And Atari, for example, Superman, they used the highly stylized Superman logo on the spine instead of something that tied them all together. Mm -hmm. So that was, um, again, it was all of us together having ideas, and, uh, but he was the champion of it for the entire time. Okay. Well, at some point during the Activision days, the box art kind of changed. So when you look at something like pressure cooker or skateboarding or something like that, kind of seemed to move away from the from the classic, I guess, kind of rainbow swoosh artwork that was done for Kaboom and Chopper Command and Mega Mania and Pitfall and things like that. What what was the impetus to change the art direction at that point in in the uh, I guess in the product history? Well, if you look at the schedule, Jim Levy left the company in 1987. Was that the primary driver? Well, he was there to be the guy in to manage it, to make sure it stayed that way. Yeah. And he was gone. Okay. Okay. So when you look back at the games that you've worked on or the games that you contributed to, what ideas did you have or do you have that never made it into a game? I mean, it, I'm sure there's many, but when you think back about what you wish you could have done from a game perspective, is there anything floating around from that viewpoint? Well, as I tried to convey in my discussion of the hardware of the Atari 2600, there's only so much it can do. Mm -hmm. And, for example, in Dragster, I used all of the display objects to make the Dragster. Therefore, there wasn't much left <laughs> to do on that part of the screen. But that's okay because it could move up and it could move down and it could accelerate to the end of the thing. And it worked for a drag racing game. But I had many games that I got to the point where they were finished games uh -huh. and they weren't fun and I wouldn't put my name on them and I they, see. they went on the shelf. And in most cases it was because, all right, I used up so many of the objects, the screen objects, to make a particular really pretty thing that I didn't have enough to add gameplay to, hazards and pickups and other things like that. So um, yeah, I had a uh, motocross game which had a fully articulated motocross bike where the tires move independently and all sorts of things, and it would go up and down bumps, and, mm -hmm. and it was really cool. And you could drive it around, and you could drive it around on bumps, and that was about it. I mean, so, yeah, maybe you could try to race with it, but it just wasn't an Activision-quality game. It, it, it just wasn't <laughs> compelling enough, I guess. Yeah, now, somebody else might have just put it out. But yeah, I, understood. But we didn't. Yeah. I took the same motorcycle into a jumping game, like you know, jumping buses, but I didn't have any buses because there was no more objects to put under there. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was just a accelerate as fast as you can and jump and see where you landed and game over. Yeah, It was just boring. So it never made it out. I wish I could find the sources of those because you know they have historical value even if they wouldn't have been fun games. Yeah. One of the things that's always stood out to me about an Activision game was the field of depth of the colors chosen. And I know you touched on that a little bit in the prior uh, seminar that, that we were just at, where you talk about the color palette and the available options and everything uh, along those lines. But it seemed like Activision was very famous for creating 
I would guess an aura of color around sunset and around changing weather conditions and night and day. And, and there seemed to be a lot of extra care uh, or fit and finish put into the Activision games that we just never saw on the Atari games. Whose idea was it to go that extra mile? Was that something that you all as a group decided to do? Or was that someone's brainchild to say, let's kind of create a reoccurring theme across the Activision games? Well, I don't know if it was all about a reoccurring theme, although as soon as we came up with the um, sunset, it was so pretty it had to go into a lot of games. It was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. It is beautiful. Right. Yes. In fact, there's a story behind that with the Venetian blind you might ask about me later. Ask me about that. That was actually going to be my next question, but um, yeah, but yeah, we can get to that. No, it was really a matter of polish. I mean, the four of us gravitated together at Atari and ended up founding Activision because we had the same values. We really cared about the polish of the game. We used to say that the final 10% took 90% of the time and effort. And um, so certainly if you've just done, you know, when he was doing Enduro, all right, Enduro wasn't enough. Go back and put in some weather, go back and put in some time, you know, all sorts of things like that. The final tweaks were really important to us, kind of our legacy. I see. Well, you brought up the Venetian Blinds technical demo. Maybe that's the best way to call that. I've done some reading on that, a little bit of research. What do you feel is the historical significance of that? I mean, I know much has been talked about litigation. Much has been talked about that being the differentiating factor that helped to differentiate. Well, I guess I used that word twice, but to differentiate Activision's code from being a rip of Atari's code. How did that come to pass? Actually, it was just a funny story. I mean, you know, when Activision started, we became the first third-party uh, publisher of video game cartridges. And the companies that owned the hardware didn't like that, and they all tried to sue us, um, Atari being the first because we had left Atari. Mm -hmm. First, they claimed we stole their trade secrets, which we didn't, and then they claimed this, and they claimed that. And when it's clear when their lawyers were trying to figure out what things to claim that we did, I see. they went and talked to some of the technical people. Okay. And they came up with this term, the Venetian blind technique. Now I've demonstrated the actual Venetian blind technique. It was invented at Atari by Bob Whitehead and uh, used in video chess. And um, it's just a trick of getting more apparent objects on the screen, even though you're putting out an odd line of one object and an even line of the other nearby and so getting more, more, like I said, more apparent objects. So anyway, so when we were in the midst of being sued, uh, we read all the, uh, all the filings and everything, and one of the things they claimed that we stole is the Venetian blind technique. And we could tell that the lawyers had no idea what the Venetian blind technique was. I see. So I actually spent a week, instead of making games, and I made a cartridge that had a beautiful little window yes. with a landscape behind it, and a Venetian blind that you could joystick up and joystick down and control. And right. Each of the little slats would stack correctly, and they worked all the way. It was perfect simulation of a Venetian blind. Yes, it's beautiful. And we showed it around the industry, saying, is this what they mean by the Venetian blind technique? Because <laughs> it was a Venetian blind. Uh, the funny part about it is the first visual occurrence of the Activision sunset mm -hmm was in the Venetian blind demo. Okay. In other words, I had already started to put it in Decathlon 
and um, I think it was barnstorming okay. at the time. We were working on those two, and it was already going into those. And um, so I put it into the Venetian blind demo just because, just because, because I could. And so I was showing it around to all industry people, including programmers at other companies. Okay. And it was fine. Like it was three days later that Steve Cartwright comes to me and he says, you realize that you just showed to our competitors one of these the cool things that you're, you're doing in one of the games and uh, realized that that was probably a mistake. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we liked that. We liked the colored swoosh on the Activision logo and all those things that we could do. We did it because we could. When you look at everything that became the Activision brand, and then everything that rolled forward into games like Pitfall, which, as you were showing us earlier today, just a lot of the technicalities behind creating Pitfall, the mathematical routines and everything like that, were a lot of Activision games based upon innovations like that? I guess maybe the second way to ask the question is, I'm sure that there were some accepted standards in coding Atari 2600 games, and then there were, I guess, some secret sauce that Activision came up with, that you and other developers came up with. How much of that, from a percentage standpoint, is in every Activision game? I mean, did you guys reuse code? Did you share code with one another in order to help create that brand across the games? Or was that something, or were those routines kind of tightly guarded? Well, at Activision, it was really all about the secret sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, we had a body of work pushing us from behind. So every game we made had to be better than the game before. Well, how do you do that? And with the Atari 2600, it was typically come up with a way to use the hardware that the designer never intended that gave us extra capability. But everybody got their game ideas in different places. You know, some people just stared at the ceiling until the game came to them, you know. <laughs> Others wandered around outside until they saw, like, as I told in my story, the guy trying to cross Lakeshore Drive that, that yep. influenced uh, the creation of Freeway. Right. But more often than not, my inspiration was a new bit of technology. I would spend weeks, maybe even months in some cases, fiddling with the hardware until I could get it to do something that it nobody had ever done before. Okay. And the Grand Prix car is an example of that. And once I had it, it told me what the game was going to be. That technology lended itself to doing a race car with a racing stripe on it. Okay. So I did that racing, racing game, Grand Prix. Boxing, Activision's second game done by Bob Whitehead, uses the, um, the new size that I told about in my seminar. Uh-huh uses the ability of making the player quad, double wide, wide, quad wide, stretch it out, make the fist, double wide, you know. He basically pioneered that technology to make objects that were larger than just the tiny little tanks. Mm -hmm. And that technology went into fishing derby. We don't share code. There's, There's an example of one piece of shared code, I'll tell you. But in that particular case, Bob just wrote the shark for me. He created the shark because he was good at that technology. He had just invented it. I see. So the shark is using the technology of the boxers. Okay. The most dramatic technological improvement that I was involved in had to be the dragster. I demonstrated in my uh, seminar how it uses kind of the same code as a six-digit display that we invented. Right. But it actually, it does, but it also doesn't because it can move across the screen. So the six-digit display was so integrally involved in when you could write data to the screen 
What if you move the objects? Now everything has to change. So I actually figured out a way to create that same effect, but one in which could move and be on any position of the screen. And I was out at a local mall at the food court one day when, when the programmers from, uh, from a Magic were wandering around. And these were all guys who used to be at Atari. They were the second shift to leave Atari after Activision. And um, we were talking about it. And it turns out that they, um, they had just taken the code right out of Pitfall. Not the source. They, they took the ROM image right out of Pitfall and were using it for their six-digit score because it gave them the ability to do six-digit score, but anywhere on the screen. I see. And rather than even figuring out how it worked, they just took the code right out of the ROM and admitted it to me. So was that commonplace? Did you find that happening in, in other you know, scenarios? Because Magic and other publishers continued to, I guess, push the envelope you know, a little bit later on down the line from a timeline perspective. And a lot of those publishers were really successful. How much of Activision do you see inside those other titles? Well, I mean, we, like I said, we were being pushed from behind by our body of work. Uh-huh. Well, it was also pushing them as well. Yeah. Um, there's only so many things you can do with the Atari 2600 hardware. I mean, we, we expanded greatly beyond its designer's intentions, what it was capable of, but there's still only, only so many things you could do. The person who saw the swinging vine in Pitfall, the game programmer, knew exactly how it was done immediately. Mm -hmm. They might not have thought of it, mm -hmm. but as soon as they saw it, they immediately knew it. He could deconstruct it That's just right. like that. Yes. When they saw that the dragster was you know, that wide and able to move, it astounded them. And there's some tricks involved in there that I didn't even go into in my seminar that are so, so just esoteric yeah. that they didn't even bother to try to deconstruct it. They just took it. Yeah. But the next game after that, that's commonplace now. So it all gets built into the technology. So we were never open with each other. We were always trying to keep what we're doing away from our competitors because you need that few months of advantage when you put out a game. That's true. But as soon as it's out, they have all of the same things you have. Except for the um, dragster kernel of code, you never reused code on the 2600 simply because Every wow. computer cycle was critical. If I changed one instruction to represent, instead of representing this kind of game, it represented that kind of game. If I changed one instruction, it would break the whole thing. So you ended up starting over from scratch and counting your machine cycles to get things to happen at a certain time perfectly and all that. So there really, it was, it was so integral between the microprocessor and the hardware that you couldn't reuse the code because it was designed to do only one thing. Yes. Sounds like it was very specific to the purpose of that game. Is it fair to say that the code just would really have no portability forward for another game just because of how tight everything had to be? Yeah, that's true about the code. Yes. Now, the game ideas and the game concepts are different entirely. Sure. Uh, Steve Cartwright got his job because he came in. He was a friend of mine, and I brought him in, and... As I said at Activision, it was more important that you could work together with someone than what they did. Understood. Okay. Uh, they had to fit into the synergy of the group, and I had known Steve for a long time. And he came in, and he proposed five different game ideas. But what we could see that what they were was he looked at skiing, and knowing if the 2600 could do skiing, then the 2600 could do 
uh, whitewater canoe rafting, mm -hmm. where instead of a skier, it's a raft or it's a canoe. And uh, so he proposed games that could be made based on looking at all the technology that had been done before. So it was clear that he saw that he could take a working game concept and retask it into a different game and have a fun game. And barnstorming is skiing on its side. You go up yes. to go over and you go down. Well, yeah. that's since sideways, it was to go sideways to one yeah. gate and over to the other. And you mentioned that to me, uh, Sky Jinx is a lot like skiing as well. It, it, I can see some of the characters and the graphics swapped out, but there's a lot of similarity there. And now thinking about everything you've talked about with the new size capability and everything, you can see where the shadows come from and you can see how the trees are laid out, you know, in skiing and things like that. It, it starts to click. It starts to make sense. Right. So let me ask you this. When we fast forward to Pitfall 2, Lost Caverns, and you had mentioned developing the custom sound chip for that game, was there any intent on using that sound chip outside of Pitfall 2? Because I don't recall, just kind of thinking back in the catalog, the Activision catalog, I don't recall any other game having the depth of sound that Pitfall 2 had or has. I'm kind of curious as to what happened to that technology after Pitfall 2. Well, first of all, the uh, chip in Pitfall 2 had expanded sound in it, but yes. it, it was definitely not a sound chip. It was uh, actually a graphic enhancement chip. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. It, it let right. us do more things in graphics. I see. And it also just happened to have all that music in it. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate um, the clarification, and thanks. And it was intended to keep the 2600 alive for a few more years. That was its job. Okay. The 2600 was clearly coming to its end. You know, other people were shelving that, putting it in the back of the closet and putting a newer newer technology machine in front of them. Since Activision pretty much owned the 2600, you know, high-end game field at that point, we wanted to keep it going. Mm -hmm. So I designed that chip to keep the 2600 alive, and it probably would have, except the whole industry started to crash as well. Uh, so the uh, demise of the 2600 went along with the demise of the industry and accelerated even more. I see. So in fact, that chip exists only in Pitfall 2. So with that, you say that there's expanded graphics capabilities and expanded sound capabilities. When you look at the capabilities of the 2600 built in, what were the additions from a graphics perspective? And how was that exploited with Pitfall 2? Was it the rise and the fall of the wave of the water? Was it the shadows? Was it the, some of the physics in the game? What brought that about? What, what was the necessity? What inside Pitfall 2 drove you to make that chip? Well, the 2600 had hard limitations. We know it had two 8-bit player objects, but then with new size, you could make multiple copies of right, them. Right, right. But there was an absolute hard limit. The hardware existed. It was in Grandma's house. So the cartridge really couldn't do anything about what hardware existed out there. <laughs> in Grandma's house. It's already there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a fair analogy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The next question is, what could we do with the processor? Well, the 6502 CPU is also in the game system. Uh -huh. runs at 1.2 megahertz. And it was pretty clear that if we could like have a faster processor, we could change more things on the, on the line, the scan line, and get more stuff to happen. Yeah. So the gist of what the Pitfall 2 chip does, it's actually called the DPC for Display Processor Chip. Yes. It also happened to be my initials, which is why it was named that way. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a neat bit of trivia, yeah. Yeah, the DPC contained auto-incrementing counters. 
If you were going to do a tank game, for example, you would have a vertical counter in software, which is a variable that counts down. Mm -hmm. That way you know if you want the tank to start at line 27, when it gets to 27, you compare a value to this value and you say it's now time to do the tank and you branch over and you do the tank and you do all this sort of thing. What the auto-incrementing pointers did in Pitfall 2 is they pointed at graphics and they had counters in essence for top and bottom of where to start and where to end. So put out zeros until you get to the start, then put out the graphics, put out zeros till you get to the end, and then put out and you're done. You're done with the screen, do it all over again when you get to the top. By automating that process, you eliminate several lines of code during the scan line. So now I've saved microcycles inside the um, inside the display kernel. So that means now where I couldn't before change the color of two other things on the screen, now I can. So that there was no specific use in Pitfall 2 of that, given the fact that now I can do more processing on a single scan line, what can I do? Okay. And uh, that gave me more capability in the game itself. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the sound. The tune for Pitfall 2 is very catchy. It's, it's very easy to listen to. I think it adds a lot to the game. To rewind just a little bit, one thing that I noticed that made the biggest impression on me as a child playing Activision games was the sound. The bass was there. The contact was there. You felt the blast in Chopper Command. You felt, I guess, the sound of the acceleration in, in Dragster and Grand Prix and things like that. What about Ural's code made, <laughs> made those sounds so much better in Activision games than what we would get in combat or something like that? Because there was a clear distinction between the Activision games and the Atari games. I'm just kind of curious as to, as to how you guys were able to roll that so much differently, knowing the limitations of the system. Well, you, you don't even know the limitations of the system. Uh, people don't really know how sounds are made on the Atari 2600. It's really very simple. You have... Uh, two different channels, and those channels can make a tone or a noise. Interesting. Okay. And what tone that is is based on the frequency control that you set and um, what kind of noise can be selected a little bit. So there's like a white noise and there's a, a uglier white noise. <laughs> I guess that's a pink noise. They call it. <laughs> yes, a fuzzier um, white noise. Yeah, so there, yeah. there are a few of those things. And every sound effect is actually a program that is... Reading data from a ROM, maybe, from a table, and outputting, changing the volume every frame, changing the sound type every frame. So tremendous amount of experimentation had to go into making these sound effects. So it's, it's really the same thing we've talked about all along, which is that extra 10%, uh, the polish at the end, is we put a lot of effort into those sound effects. It got to the point where, you know, so, so what I'm saying is you can't just, like, go to the sound effects guy and have him record a sample. Well, and, and that was going to be my next question. Did you as the developer create your own sound for the game, or did you work with a group of people to come up with the soundtrack for the game? In that era, every aspect of the game came out of my fingers. I mean, I was it's sitting... beautiful. Yeah, it's, sitting so, a, it's so neat. I was sitting at a desk with a graph paper. Mm -hmm. I colored in the pixels on the graph paper and then read them in. The only help you would get is have somebody read the numbers while you type them in. You know, just typing in the hexadecimal equivalents of what the drawings were on the graph paper. 
same thing with that's, that, that's amazing yeah. when you think about how game development is done today. Exactly, exactly. compared to today. Yes. Um, so every line of code, every sound effect, you know, everything in that game was one person. So we all had um, our own expertise, I suppose. However, as I told you before, we shared expertise. We kibitzed with each other. Mm -hmm. A good example of that is Carol Shaw was working on River Raid. And um, she had the game play exactly as you know it to a certain point. And uh, it just wasn't fun. And so we kind of put our heads together. And I suggested that you create a bridge that you blow away at each level. Mm -hmm. And so at least you've got this feeling of accomplishment where you get from level to level to level. Okay. And then she can ramp up the gameplay at each level. So creating the bridge, uh, I probably drew it and she put it in. And, you know, she wasn't heavily into graphics, so we would help her tweak her graphics and, and make the plane look better or whatever. Okay. And then finally, we're getting near the end of the game. The game's pretty well working. And I'm sitting in the lab with five or six other people. And Carol kind of turns around and she said, I need a sound effect for when the jet is low on fuel. Mm -hmm. And so um, there was a little bit of silence. And I said, all right, try this. And I... I told her off the top of my head, I told her the code to type in. And she typed in you know, 25 lines of code, started the game, and the um, low fuel alarm, er, 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 uh -huh. Yes. that's actually a program making that sound effect happen. That was just off the top of my head from across the room. Wow. I remember Mike Lorenzen was in the room and just shaking his head, <laughs> thinking, how do you do that, you know? He's like, how does that even happen? <laughs> well, one of the questions that I've been wanting to ask for quite some time, is, and I've, I've read reference to this, is how you've defined gravity in two lines of code. Can you go into that? Because it sounds to me like there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of code that's, that's been floating up in your head for years and years and years. How did you define gravity in two lines of code for the Atari 2600? Well, you have done your homework. So I was working on the game Canyon Bomber. Uh -huh. And in Canyon Bomber, you drop bombs into these blocks that are worth points. And um, if you undermine a block the upper block has to fall down and take up the space of the lower block. I see. So that was how the arcade game worked. Now, I also had a game option where I could turn off the gravity, mm -hmm. which is a different story. But anyway, so I'm new to this. Canyon Bomber is only my third game, I think. So I sit down with my notepad, and I start scribbling gravity calculations that I knew from physics. Okay. I mean, you know. And um, scribble a page full of stuff, and I said, I can't implement that. There's no, there's no square root in the, <laughs> That's not gonna work. In the 6502, you know. <laughs> and I keep hassling it down. And then finally, it just occurred to me that basically the, the blocks down there are using RAM. Remember our limited RAM? There's only 128 bytes? Yeah. They are using that. And it occurred to me that looking at the binary image of these blocks, if there's a hole it's a zero, and if there's a block, it's a one. If I take that and and it with the one above, I put the hole where, the, where a one might have been, and I save that and then or it back down, and as soon as I just do an and and an or, I have made the hole bubble up to the top and the bit bubble down to the bottom one. And I just run that in a loop up and down, and so you can actually see them slowly, you know, loop and fall like that so it had nothing to do with gravity it's it unreal there was no acceleration there was nothing but 
But it created the effect. It did create the effect. Yes. And when you only have 2K bytes of code, being able to do it with an and and an or Is, saved, saved a lot. Saved a lot. Well, when you look at, when I guess when you look at the library of code that has been created for the 2600, especially what Activision has done, what advice would you give to someone who wanted to start developing for the 2600? And it's interesting that I'm even asking you that question 30 plus years, you know, on after the system hit the market. But I'm sure there's a lot of people who may have been a little uh, apprehensive to start developing for the 2600. They may feel that it's, it's a little too hard to write in assembly language today. How would you counsel somebody to get started so that they could create their own library of gravity in two lines of code? <laughs> well, I mean, the first thing is to just start hacking at it and try because it's very simple. You'll know very quickly if it's fun or not to do mm -hmm. this. This was the hardest piece of technology I ever worked on. And it was also the most fun I ever worked on. Okay. Now, why is that? That's a quirk of personality, obviously. So you have to have that quirk. But beyond that, my advice to the indie developers is you've got at least 8K of ROM now. Use it. Mm -hmm. A game that has just one main character, that main character should really pop. You know, work really hard on every pixel you put in there and use a lot of animations and a lot of fun stuff. Because the game has to be fun to look at as well as fun to play. Yeah. If you were to pick it back up today, what would be the tool set that you would use in order to start developing code again for the 2600? I'm sure the tool sets have come a long way over the past 30 years. Have you been keeping up on the tool sets as they've modernized? How would you get back into that? The tools are actually the problem, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I, I could, Fair enough. I could easily start writing a 2600 game, but I used to have animation tools where I could change each pixel and animate it and see how it looked. Don't have that anymore. Okay. You know, pixel editors are gone. Uh-huh. You know, if you have Photoshop, it's it's hard to find the pencil that talks to a pixel. Everything else is brushes and brush strokes yes, yes, and all yes. this. Yes. Um, so pixel editors are almost gone. And of course, now everything is JPEGs. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to do a pretty screen using some of my higher technology tricks, mm -hmm. I would probably have to write a tool that took a JPEG and moved it into pixels that were colored by rows and lines instead of individual colors and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I would spend more time writing tools and I'd write the game to start with. Well, it's an interesting answer to the question because when you look at just the road assemblers that were used to compile the machine language and everything, did Activision create their own tools? I mean, did you guys have to spend a certain amount of time priming the Activision machine before you could even get you know, your first game out? Or was that tool set very well established at that time in the industry? No, there were no tools at all. Okay. Um, we had to build everything. From the beginning, I had to build a development system that let you develop. Wow. Now, a development system is basically a ROM emulator that uses RAM and plugs into the cartridge slot. But more than that, it has to be able to um, set breakpoints, stop the code, modify memory, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I built those for Activision, wired up five of them, and uh, we, <laughs> you know, we got going. And um, then you have to write the uh, code that lets you control the memory then, like I said, the animators, pretty soon, I mean, when we got into like the C64 era, we finally started having professional artists. Yeah. And yet, that was a different breed too, a pixel artist drawing. They used to use the thing called a koala pad on the, 60, on the Commodore 64 where they could actually draw the pixels and all that. 
But every time a new system came out, we had to write new tools, mostly graphic converters. Uh, most of the graphics you see on the Super Nintendo, on the NES, uh, Commodore 64, are character-based graphics. That is true, yes. Sprite-based graphics. No, they're yeah. actually, the backgrounds are even character-based graphics. So they're eight by eight things that have to be defined. And um, if there's a lot of blue sky, there's only one eight by eight blue. And that's used for it's the just whole sky. Just repeated. It's repeated. Yes, okay. That's why Super Mario Brothers looks the way it does. Those are all characters. Okay. Those are all little square characters on the, you know. So we wrote uh, code that would take an image like a JPEG, although back then it was a Super Paint LBM. Okay. And we would take that and convert it into characters, and they would report, you got too many characters. This picture can't be rendered in characters. And so the artist would have to go through and make this look more like that and, and make these characters match over here. And you keep doing it iteratively until you get the character count down to the minimum or the maximum you're allowed. So every single game system required all this kind of tool writing first. That's utterly unbelievable when you look at the development environments that are available today. And I know game developers are, have a wide array of tools that they can choose from to create their games. It's definitely, a, I guess, a completely different mindset when you have to create your tools from nothing. <laughs> yeah, it was a different, uh, different world. Yeah. The, the IGDA gave to me and my founders at Activision the, uh, their Pioneer Award, which they called the First Penguin Award. And the First Penguin Award is actually a story that um, the, after the horrible winter that the peng you know, male penguins have spent guarding the uh, eggs, they all march back to the sea, and they all stand at the top of the cliff because there's, there's uh, predators in the water. And they all stand there starving to death until one guy decides he's going to jump in and go eat fish. And uh, that's the first penguin. And as soon as he surfaces, everybody sees he's still alive, and they all jump in. So the, ph the philosophy of the first penguin is the person willing to take the risk mm -hmm. And then when he shows that it uh, is possible, everybody else can follow in his footsteps. Right. That's what pioneering in video games was about. Yes. Take yes. the risk, do it. We had no support systems. We had no tools. We had to do absolutely everything ourselves. On the business side, our guy had to figure out how do you sell video games, how do you market video games, how do you do all these things. And the early Activision pioneered these. I mean, a library of books could be written about the innovations that Activision brought to the video game business. That's something that I wish that we could sit and read all of that because even just getting the time to talk to you today, David, has been invaluable because I have a feeling that as the years continue to march by, a discussion like this will one day become impossible because the, the intellectual property, the people with the contextual knowledge, once they're gone, where is it at? And so I appreciate your time in talking about this today. I, I know I've had a great time listening, listening to this and hearing the stories and just being able to connect with a part of my past that really meant a lot, really meant a lot. So are you working on anything right now from a book perspective? I, I know you mentioned that at the very beginning of the interview. What are your plans from taking your experience in the industry and rolling it forward over the next several years? I was making video games programming every day, eight hours a day, up until about two and a half years ago. Okay. Now it's it's a lot less, but mm -hmm. I am still dabbling. I have ideas every day, and I think about it. Yeah. Um, 
I even might do a 2600 game, although, again, what really holds me back is the tools I would have to write first. <laughs> yeah, understood, understood, understood. Yeah. Well, we certainly look forward to anything that, that you would do, anything that you would publish. I mean, undeniably, you're one of the greats in the industry. And just thank you for taking the time to sit and talk with us today. Learned a lot. I've been able to ask a lot of questions that have been on my mind for 20-some-odd years. And so even just from a purely selfish standpoint, I walk away a much bigger Activision fan than I was when we sat down. So I appreciate your time, and thank you so much. And I know you got a plane to catch. We'll certainly make that happen. That's great. It's been fun. Oh, thank you, sir. Congratulations, you made it to the end of another episode of the Broken Token Podcast. I promise they'll do better next time. Just go easy on the guys. They don't have a lot to work with. Since Whitney is my dad, I'll be nice and get on to the closing business. Please visit our website at brokentoken.com for articles, reviews, restoration logs, direct show downloads, and expanded show notes for this and every episode. We want to hear your feedback, comments, rants, raves, and otherwise, both good and bad. Drop us a line via email at podcast.brokentoken.com or use the contact page on the podcast website. You can call us at 470-2-CALL-BT. That's 470-222-5528 and leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you and we might play your message on air in the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broken Token and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash brokentoken. Brett and Whitney are always posting up new content between the official episodes and it's a great way to stay involved with the show between the shows. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and just about any other podcast directory you can think of. Just search for Broken Token and subscribe to the show. Like what you hear? Please consider leaving us a review wherever you found the show as the reviews help us in search rankings and visibility. Once again, thanks for listening, and as my dad always says, keep your quarters clean and game on. Hey, so dude, before we kind of get started, I want to ask you, did did you see Star Trek Beyond yet? You for, I'm not gonna play too many more of these because I don't want you to realize what's coming. Okay, cool. Yeah, I got. Where's my list? <laughs> it's upstairs. I'm Nick Baldridge, and this is a Nippet Alert. I'm Nick Baldridge, and this is a Nippet Alert. Ooh. Oh, sorry. Oh no, it's fine. <laughs> Woo! Guess I should have warned you. Oh, it's it's okay. I'm out of here. See ya. I so hate you. In the end, I still win.